Let us now go up to uh, somewhere in Connecticut. He moved. Where Dr. Jason... I don't even know. I move every day. Yeah. The hardest working pediatrician in comedy, Dr. Jay Sute, joins us. And we're going to do a segment with Jackie the Joke Man Martling in a few minutes. And I thought I'd check in with you. You're outside? Very nice. Very nice. Yeah, it's another uh, cold day. I'm, I'm waiting for a day to be in the 50s somewhere. It hasn't happened yet. But uh, but it will, little by little, right? Yeah. Global warming while I watch baseball from 1987. <laughs> what games are you watching? Whatever they'll put up. I'll watch anything that has baseball on because I want to feel baseball in the air. Why is baseball? I always think it's a character flaw on my part that I just can't lose myself in baseball. Why is baseball so important? I, I think it's something that you're just born with. You know, there are certain people that could give a shit less about baseball, and there's other people that count the days until spring training, like myself. Why, so though? What, what, what those, is it? What well, is it? It's like a rebirth of spring every year, you know, that, that feeling of newness and uh, expectation and excitement. And then, you know, if you're the Mets, then it's usually uh, a remainder of the year disappointment and other <laughs> stuff. But, but, but baseball is it's rebir it rebir reborn itself every year, which is great, because you never know what the version is going to be until it happens. So it's kind of a cool thing to be part of every year, but not this year, apparently. And you're a doctor, so you're brilliant. Are there... Are there mechanisms, are the mechanics of the game that you understand that somebody like me, a mere mortal, might not understand? Do you pay attention to the subtleties of the game? I, I didn't for most of my life. I just barrel ass through life in baseball. But the appreciation is there if you want to sit back and enjoy it and appreciate the game. It's, it's there. So people don't like that kind of thing, which I do. Right. right. History and... and you know, it's, 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 and it's math. I used to like math. I can't do math anymore because of the, 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 the cancer. But I enjoyed math as a, as a, uh, uh, a hobby, you know, being able to figure shit out. Right, right. And now it's like if I don't yell at somebody to figure it out for me, nothing happens. So. Right, right. <laughs> so how's Rodney? He's doing great. Uh, he's a good boy. And he's enjoying being outside a lot, too. Today was a good day because I had a couple of friends over and we just have been sitting outside on the porch, which is really all I want to do anymore. So that's, that's, that's cool because that's what I can do. Right. Let's do this. Let's call Jackie, the joke man, Martling, and we will. More excitement I couldn't have. Oh, he needs 10 more minutes. So what are you watching on TV? Mostly repeated baseball games. To be honest, there's no new TV shows coming on anything. But I, I, what I what I I've liked the last couple of days, and maybe I'll get better at this whole broadcasting thing. But uh, uh, twice twice a week, uh, uh, Sunday night and uh, uh, Wednesday night, my college friends and I get together, and we've been introducing some luminaries from our past to come in that we're talking to and interviewing, and you know, goofing around with people that we haven't talked to in 30 years and. It's kind of kind of fun to do because I actually do have the recording equipment and everything that I can do, so there's no reason to hold back on this. So we've been trying to do that twice a week on Tuesday on a on whatever. Uh, the, the, I get the days mixed up again. But twice a week we're getting together and we're shooting the breeze 
bringing in some luminaries from the Fairfield View past and and uh, reconnecting with some people. And I think it's been a lot of fun for us to do. And every time I do it, probably because of you, I get a little better at doing the broadcasting. So that, uh, that's are, you, are, are you doing it on Zoom? What are we doing it on? What's the the thing we talk on? When we talk on uh, the thing, what do we talk on? With the uh, when we meet on the weekend on Saturday, and what what is the mechanism we use to meet? I bet it's Zoom. Zoom? Yeah, Zoom is. Oh, okay. Because we're doing a Zoom show fr- uh, tonight at nine p.m. Invitation only. You got to go to Dave. Oh, well, if you, if you send me an invitation, I'll come. Uh, you, all right. Yeah, maybe you don't want to waste it on me. No, you, 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 you know what? You've invested a lot of uh, uh, time, opportunity. There are other people that are more deserving. But, but if you're around and I can just chop, check in and listen are you, to what you guys are, are you kidding about, me? If cool. I'm, I'm sending you an invitation right now, are you kidding? Of course, we're just starting. This is like the fourth week now that we've tried to do it. Two, we've done it twice, two weeks in a row, four times. Uh, college friends just shooting the breeze and reminiscing, but now I'm starting. Now, now I'm starting to. I'm starting to book book guests. So, <laughs> so, uh, my college friends I haven't seen in thirty years that I just want to see them and say hello to. I'm booking guests now. So, That's hysterical. I don't know what's going to come of this, but it's fun. Yeah, it, it, we spent thirty minutes, forty five minutes on the phone the other night. We're just bullshit, man. It was yeah. great. And I said, well, we can actually get targeted people to come in and talk. And I'm, I'm trying to get that juice flowing, and that's, you know, because it is fun to talk mm-hmm. to people you haven't talked to in 30 years. It really is, and uh, there's a lot to be, to, to go. So I, I'm starting to start off little little uh, um, panel boards of people I want to talk to. That's so fantastic. It's inspiring me because, yeah, death is not coming as fast as I thought it was, so I do have to, you know, get some podcasts going or something. Yeah, yeah. Well, the because I don't feel close to death, other than the clumsiness, and I fell once today. Uh, I, I don't feel like I'm dying yet, so I I, I figure I should learn the podcast because right. why not? I have all the equipment there. Why not teach myself how to do it? It would be better than if we just sit around and shoot the breeze, which is also fun. But why not have a little something structured to it, right? Or just uh, you know have have a flow to it. So I am going to start having some of my old friends come in as guests and maybe my you know my cancer doctors and stuff i think it could be interesting sure yeah all right let's do this i'm gonna call jackie so if i disconnect you i'll call you back stay on the line let me get, okay i will do let, so let me get jackie on the line hang on jackie i was a lot more compelling before cancer though that's sad but mm, i'm much better no you're all you're great hang on Okay, all flight controllers, go, no, go for landing. Retro. Go. Fido. Go. Guidance. Go. Control. Go. Telcom. Go. GNC. Go. Ecom. Go. Surgeon. Go. Capcom, we're go for landing. Eagle, Houston, you're go for landing. Over. Roger, understand. Go for landing. 3,000 feet. You're listening to the David Feldman Radio Program, you sad, pathetic hump. Alan Minsky is the executive director of Progressive Democrats of America, and he joins us today from Los Angeles. 
Sorry to hear about Bernie. Big blow yeah. to the progressive Democrats of America. You had the day before his announcement written an essay calling on him to stay in the race. He mm-hmm. did not heed your call. What happened? Well, you know, actually the article flew all over the place. Um, might be the piece I've written that that or a couple other pieces are the ones that have been read by more people than anything I ever wrote. So there was a huge appetite for it and all the comments and all the platforms that appeared were very positive. Um, and, uh, we and PDA actually were putting calls into Wisconsin and the people, we were able to draw an incredible amount of energy, uh, from our supporters around the country who were on our phone banks going into Wisconsin. And we were getting good response from the people in Wisconsin. Uh, people had already voted. People were gonna, we, of course, were not encouraging people to vote in person, but the support for Bernie was very high. That's what we found. Um, do we know how Bernie did in Wisconsin? We're not going to know till the 13th. Right. right. Of April. Do right. we have any, uh, did they do exit polls? Do we have any indication? of? I hope they didn't do exit polls. And uh, of course, I think only a relatively small percentage of people who voted, you saw the long lines, but they had so few polling places. So I think only a small percentage of the people who voted, uh, voted, um, you know, in person. And I don't know how exactly you would do an exit poll other than that. So I don't imagine there's much now. I, you know, of course I speculate that the Sanders campaign might have field information about how they think they did or how they did. And that might have informed the decision. But uh, again, we, we were met with a lot of enthusiasm for Bernie's campaign um, from our base. Uh, and certainly, you know, it's anecdotal because we're just a slice of, of every state which we call into. But it was, you know, we felt it was better than it had been in uh, some of the, say, March 17 states. Start over. Uh, we don't need to start over. Uh, we'll just deal with it. So who would risk their life to vote for Joe Biden? I'm being serious. Um, well, I mean, I really think Bernie's uh, response to the, the lead up to the Wisconsin primary was what was responsible. I wouldn't have encouraged anybody to do it. You know, I think we're just right now we're in a, we're in an incredibly, you know, difficult uh, historical moment, obviously because of the crisis and also because of uh, the fact that Bernie Sanders will not be the Democratic nominee in 2020. Um, I really, truly believe that the United States of America and then the world by extension would have benefited tremendously by having Bernie Sanders be president ASAP uh, because of his platform. You know, it's great that Bernie is the person that he is, but this is all about the ideas and somebody who's really going to push them, the policies, um, you know, very aggressively. Now we understand the Congress are not made up of people, the Democratic Party, the caucuses in both houses are not made up of people who have shared the same perspective as Bernie, only really a few of them have. But, uh, you know, we, especially then with the crisis hitting, and this is what, of course, I emphasized in the piece that I wrote the other day, uh, you know, it was believable that uh, we were going to face this incredible economic crisis, obviously a public health crisis. Uh, public health and health care has been a major component of Bernie's platform in both campaigns. We know that, Medicare for all. And then, of course, supporting uh, the uh, policies modeled after the guy who pulled us out of uh, the other greatest economic cr- crisis in terms of mass unemployment, certainly. Uh, in U.S. history. So he matched the moment. And one could see many, many of the Democrats uh, who had, you know, maybe got into party, party politics and Democratic politics uh, with, with ideas that were closer to Bernie's and had drifted to the center would maybe come back and really uh, assist in seeing that kind of program uh, be passed if he were president. Now, of course, that's not happening. And I think it's a real loss for the 
for the world again uh, and the country. It'd be great to have Bernie Sanders be the head of the United States in terms of foreign policy, too, and also in terms of the necessary international response to the climate emergency. So it's a huge loss. Yeah. Yeah. You're the executive director of the Progressive Democrats of America. Is Joe Biden a progressive? Uh, No. So what do you do? (laughs) Uh, Well, what we traditionally do is um, we uh, endorse actively uh, candidates at the presidential, Senate, and congressional House of Representatives level uh, federally, Uh, and those are progressives, and we uh, campaign actively for those candidates, and we raise money for them um, as independent expenditure federal PAC. We we didn't do that. Uh, We, of course, encouraged all of our people to vote for Hillary Clinton and really leaned on that. Uh, in swing states, we'll do the same for Joe Biden, but we won't be, uh, you know, having an independent expenditure. Um, How full-throated was your endorsement of Hillary Clinton? Well, we we knew that look, Donald Trump was the opponent. Um, and Is you know, she we, progressive? Look, they're, they're pro- you know, I, I don't know how to really put Biden and Clinton on the ideological spectrum and can compare them. I think that Biden is much more of a career politician type of politician. And so he goes with where the winds blow. You know, if you look at his career across his career, generally though, he has been of course a neoliberal politician, somebody who supported more or less the um, drift towards the center, towards the center right of the democratic party, especially around, uh, you know, financial deregulation, uh, been pretty much of a international hawk in terms of foreign policy. Um, and, uh, so he hasn't been, but again, you see moments in his career where the winds are blowing more progressive and he can go that way. Hillary, I think by the time we saw her as a second, uh, her second take to be uh, the president in 2016, she was pretty deeply, um, entrenched in not only an international ideology, but a national, uh, economic approach that was very tied into the sort of globalized system of neoliberalism. Um, and I only bring that up because of course Biden is too, that, um, of course, the Clintons play have a much larger international profile than Joe Biden currently does, even though he was the vice president in terms of being a real standard bearer for that global economic order. Um, but also Hillary Clinton, though, you go back and there were times in her career where she was more conspicuously um, uh, advocating for progressive positions. I mean, there are a few in Biden's career, but Hillary was out in front of a few things across the time from 1970 to she ran in 2016. So, you know, it's a mixed bag when you compare the two. Um, but I do think at this hour, because Hillary is so associated with the um, what's the place Davos sort of worldview that uh, Biden is a little less so. And I think at a time where the progressive wing of the party is now stronger than it's been in, in the past four decades, we might be able to get more honest concessions out of. Well, let me not say that we can get some concessions out of him as a candidate. I think the big tell, if he does become president, will not be the words out of Joe Biden's mouth, but really will be who will make up his administration. And that also goes to the fact that Joe uh, isn't uh, seeming seemingly as, as, as sharp and vibrant intellectual as he was a few years ago. Let's put it that way. And so he's going to surround himself with opportunistic infections, neoliberals, Anita Dunn. I mean, these are people who... I want, to, I want to hold on the opportunistic infections. Are you are you managing to speak more in terms of, uh, you know, um, sort of metaphors that relate to the pandemic? And <laughs> is that a transformation in our language we're going to see now? 
Well, I, I just think he surrounds himself with health insurance lobbyists and <laughs> fracking lobbyists, and they're going to all have jobs in Washington, D.C. if he gets elected. I don't think he can get elected. I, I, I've got two words for you, Hunter Biden. Hunter Biden and also, if not today, just today as we're speaking, he um, released uh, two new policy positions that are seen as uh, coming closer to, though not the same place as Bernie Sanders, on the issues of student debt relief, in Biden's case, as opposed to full cancellation of Bernie's, and on the Medicare issue. Well, on Medicare, so what did Biden propose today? Uh, you know, you might have heard that in Bernie's actual proposal, it goes in 10-year increments. So first year, it's down to 55 and up. Everybody gets on to Medicare for all. Biden, without going to Medicare for all, but just Medicare as it exists, he lowered it just five years in the proposal. So 60-year-olds in Biden's proposal, if it's passed by Congress and signed into law, that's pretty damn incrementalist. Um, but and, not bad. I mean, not uh, bad. About as incrementalist as you can get. Yeah, but still... Yeah, uh, not a total stone wall. Yeah. Um, and the fact that if you ask anybody over the age of 65, if they like Medicare, if they would mm -hmm. prefer private health insurance to Medicare, they would say, I want Medicare. So lowering it to 60 as opposed to raising it to 70, yeah. 71. Right. Which sort of used to be on the on the on the, you know, something yeah. that you think Biden would have supported. OK, but here's the thing. Here's here's why I bring that up. The Medicare just down to 60. Imagine the, one of the first, if not the first, presidential debate, Joe Biden versus Donald Trump. Moderator asks, Medicare for all right now, 60% approval. What do you think? Joe Biden, first answer, I'm going to lower it five years. Donald Trump, first answer, I support Medicare for all. And I think that Medicare for all, I mean, you know, he, he could say that. And I think Medicare for all right now is not a winning issue. I think it is a political winning landslide political issue right now, Medicare for all in the context of coronavirus. I think this is, you know, if Joe Biden gets into office and he implements Medicare for all, um, then Bernie Sanders, because everybody knows that Bernie Sanders was the one who made it happen, uh, will be known as the uh, American equivalent of Tommy Douglas in Canada. And you may know the little factoid from his daughter just passed away. Oh, that's sad. But Tommy Douglas was voted the most the greatest Canadian in Canadian history for that one thing. Kiefer Sutherland's grandfather. There we go. I didn't know that. Oh, so learning more facts about Tommy Douglas. Yeah, he's Kiefer Sutherland's uh, grandfather and the mother, Douglas, passed away, I think, like at 85. So I'm, I'm guessing he's not Donald Sutherland's father. Uh, no, Donald Sutherland married Douglas's daughter. daughter right, right. Yes. Right. Uh, but Joe Biden can't beat Donald Trump, right? Well, I mean, obviously, we're first of all, we don't know how this economic and pandemic crisis is going to play out. And that's obviously going to be a huge factor in the results. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I don't know where the population's collective mind will be at around the ways in which Trump represents a threat to the constitutional republic, which is real. Uh, Trump does have all sorts of, in his, his own crazy Donald Trump ways, I think really very serious a manner in which he has, has authoritarian leanings and wants to operate outside of the constraints of, you know, was, has been the American system. Um, and, uh, and that's very, very dangerous to 
uh, democracy to the very fabric of the society we live in, in which, you know, for better or for worse, even with the oligarchic class and the domination of politics and society by the very wealthy, we've, we've, you and I, and everybody has lived in a society where, you know, we have had this idea that we don't have our superiors, our aristocrats, that we're all equal. We don't have kings. And Trump, uh, Trump isn't about that. And so how much that could be foregrounded. And I think it, you know, it was a big thing in 2018 in the sweep. Uh, and the other uh, obscenities about Donald Trump, how much that's going to be able to be brought forward and reachieved, that you then maybe having a, a empty suit as the person who's the Democratic nominee can achieve something like 2018. But yeah, I hear you, man. It's going to be difficult. You know a lot about economics. Schopenhauer talks about creative destruction when it comes to capitalism, right? That that he says the beauty of capitalism is every so often it gets destroyed and then is rebuilt. And that seems to be uh, the persistence of capitalism. That One could argue that the financial crisis of 2008 saved capitalism. The crisis itself saved capitalism. Uh, it collapsed before capitalism cl- collapsed on the weight of itself. An argument uh, could be made that this pandemic, they turned the switch off. They turned off the economy mm-hmm. before the economy collapsed upon its own weight. Right. Right. Well, there was, there was, there was, uh, well, the economy collapsing, under its own weight, I mean, the stock market had had inflated numbers. Um, is I think the thing that most people. But the, are this, the, well, well, I guess, the question I'm asking you is: the econ- we collapsed the economy before the economy yes, collapsed right. itself. Right. Sure. And and we, so, so we saved capitalism once again by collapsing it before. No, because the same mechanisms that that saved it, as it were, in 2008. Um, again, I don't know if I buy the logic that the market collapse of 08 itself saved capitalism. What, what saves capitalism in the, in 2008, 2009, um, is, uh, you know, the operation of the, the, particularly in that crisis, the use of the Federal Reserve and the Federal Reserve, uh, you know, windows that are available for financial institutions. Uh, there definitely was a winner and losers that got sort of, you know, obviously, Lehman Brothers, bye-bye, Bear Stearns, bye-bye, Goldman Sachs, more power to you, you know, and they go forward. And, uh, you know, the use of the Fed window and then the use of the Fed and its resources underwritten by the United States federal government and the tax base of the American people to save the system across the world. Um, and that uh, that saved the system and it reinscribed it pretty much back into the logic that was operating before. And, um, and, but it hasn't been a good deal for uh, the people around the world since that time. I mean, the low unemployment rate, that's all because of these gig jobs, the precarity of the workers in those jobs and the fact that it just doesn't add up to anything like a decent life. I mean, what a, what a fucking scam. Oh, excuse me. Can I say that? Sure. There we go. You're uh, with you KPF, know. you're with KPFK in Pacifica. <laughs> um, so you pay, but, you paid the fines uh, and then yeah. challenged it. Um, so there we go. So um, seven dirty words, George Carlin. But the mm-hmm. the gig economy. I mean, look at the people driving Uber and um, and Lyft. Right in capitalism, the idea is the capitalists provide the capital. Now they just provide a um, what is it? They provide a uh, 
an, uh, an infrastructure, you know, an, an app, app. an app, right? And you provide the capital, your car. Right. So the worker provides the capital and accrues all the costs of the capital on top of the fact that you have to work like crazy straight by, endanger yourself, yada, 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 and down the line. Well, that gig economy, we have to come up with something better than that coming out of this. I think there'll be a public appetite for that. But power and political power and economic power may be even more, well, certainly economic power, even more skewed in the hands of the wealthy, in particular with Steve Mnuchin calling the winners and losers from the last uh, stimulus bill. So we got we got political work to do, but I think there's, thanks to Bernie Sanders, um, in particular in the United States, a few other movements in other countries around the world, I think there's a real sense that neoliberalism, the sort of political ideology that brought us the gig economy, the fragility of the global economy, all the money going to the wealthy, people can't stand it. They know it's broken. Something else has to yeah. be built. What can yeah. be built? I want you to hear something. I don't know if, can you hear this? You hear that? Yeah, I can. What is it? At seven o'clock, that's when we're doing this okay. recording, seven o'clock in New York City, everybody, I'm getting the chills. Uh, everybody opens up their window mm-hmm. and thanks the... Uh, Healthcare Health workers. workers. That's great. And there. Can you, can you hear that? I can. Yeah. Yeah. That is fantastic. And, um, I might get interrupted here in a second by not. Hang on, I got, now, and now I always followed up by opening my window and saying, can you please be quiet? I'm an essential <laughs> podcaster who has to talk to Alan Minsky. Oh boy. Yeah. Oh boy. How's, how are things there, David? Horrible. I believe it. Horrible. I haven't really been outside for three weeks. Uh, and you hear that? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Or, or maybe uh, the Yankees won. I don't know. Uh, I don't think they're playing these days. Yeah, it's not quite like that in L.A. at all. Of course, there's a population density is much less out here. And um, but you see, you do hear sirens now. They They think... It's beginning to plateau in terms of hospitalizations here. Mm-hmm. So the death rate is continuing to spike, but fewer uh, New Yorkers are entering the hospital. And the only thing that seems to be working is social distancing. The The scary part is, you know, if you are suffering from indigestion, but it might be a heart attack. You're not right. going to the hospital. Oh, yeah, I know. I mean, there are people, I don't mean to be, this is what New Yorkers are talking about. You're not getting other medical conditions looked at. So we're never really going to know the true number of fatalities. What's your sense among New Yorkers? Obviously, it's ground zero. Obviously, it's a very liberal, at least, pop- population uh, is there, do you sense, a, is, is, are New Yorkers reaching a consensus of support for Medicare for all? Well, that I, I, you know, I wouldn't know. I do know that if you live in New York City, you hate Donald Trump. He couldn't get elected. <laughs> he, he couldn't get elected to be in charge of prosecuting Donald Trump. I mean, you know. And, and of course, this makes him very popular with a certain portion of the American population. Right. So he's, he, uh you know, New Yorkers are also very, uh, there's a certain type of New Yorker who hoards 
toilet paper and stuff. So, you know, I couldn't get horseradish. I don't want to go into that, but uh, let, let's let's talk about the economy. Sure. I and then I'll let you go. I don't think. I don't think this is going to change the country. And you kind of touched on this. I think. Really? I think that I think the pandemic is the best thing to happen to the richest one percent because for many reasons, because they have authoritarian impulses. They don't want people voting. So that works for Trump. Mm -hmm. You know, this whole mail in ballots, we can deprive plenty of African-Americans the right to vote now in terms of the economy. uh, I think the economy comes roaring back. The stock market hits new highs, but it doesn't include 80% of America. I think well, we're going to see. It, it never does, um, but or at least not recently. It used to be probably a slightly higher percentage of people because the pension funds were more people at pension funds. Now it's lower. And I do think it's really only about 20% of the population. I think you can keep an economy going virtually. I think you can, through PayPal and through Zoom, I think certain businesses can keep going. And, um, I, and I then some I, people are dispensable. They, they view certain workers as cannon fodder for COVID-19. Um, before I go, by the way, I have one other thing I want to touch on about Bernie, but let's stick on the economy here. Okay, we we don't know how this is going to play out, of course. Um, The core fabric of the American economy preceding this was, you know, doing very, very well for uh, people who had, uh, you know, who had had investment in the stock markets for the wealthy, uh, for the people who had uh, professional money managers looking after their accounts. And it had, uh, you know, professional class, the universities, the lawyers, the doctors, et cetera. And then, uh, you know, down into the few people who still had something in a range of union wages in the jobs they had, and then half the population in economic precarity, working for low wages, et cetera, with almost no benefits, uh, already so huge uh, class striation there. Now, exactly how, David, do we rebound from this quickly? Which of these industries, these service industries that are devastated are going to come back? Aren't a significant chunk of them going to take quite a while to come back, and that's going to make an impact in the economy with millions of people affected. There really are no other instruments in society to address that than um, some kind of welfare state response. So either we we do go to an extreme that we haven't seen in, in America since the Great Depression uh, and at times before. In other words, before the Roosevelt administration, before the strengthening of the welfare state or the bringing into existence of the welfare state in the United States, uh, a response to uh, ameliorate the damage done in the market economy by people who can't find work, can't make money in it. And, um, and that's, I, I don't see how that we rebound from it in any kind of economic boom that addresses all the millions of people who are going to be out of work because they lost the service sector jobs. They can't rebound. I mean, when are people going to go back into mass crowds? Now, if it's true, somehow some vaccine occurs and that happens very quickly. Touche. I think uh, that uh, we'll be back quicker than what I'm outlining before I mentioned the word vaccine in, in this little um, uh, little bit I'm talking about here. But, um, you know, still I think there'll be some serious spillover and there'll be the necessity and there'll be a large mass movement of people calling for support for the people who are on the outs. 
that's just my sense of the temperature of the American public. Will it be structurally transformative? That's going to be the big battle. I, 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 I would, I think that's going to be a huge battle. 6.6 million Americans filed for, right. yeah, for, for unemployment. I don't see this country responding to the 99%. I just don't. The, the, the first instinct when the pandemic hit was to save capitalism. Trillions of dollars poured into the banks, the S&P 500. That was our government's first concern. They don't care about the workers. And even if there's a mass movement for a mass social safety net, they won't allow it here. And we have to stop looking to the West and start looking to South America. That, that is the prologue. Mm-hmm. I hear you. And also, I, I agree that if Donald Trump is reelected, and again, on his whims, the willingness, along with uh, his partnership with Mitch McConnell, to uh, toss off more millions and millions of Americans and their welfare is real. But I do think that there'll be a very strong political response to that. I do think the American public... Uh, again, of the prevailing myths that they that are sort of politically operative in our society, one of them remains, and this is even parroted by Bernie Sanders as he goes through the critique of half the population being, you know, one paycheck away from economic despair, that we're still the richest country in the history of the world, and that that will no longer be part of the prevailing contemporary myth. I don't think the public will allow that to dissipate without putting up a big fight. And of course, PDA will be involved with that. Now, in the very short term before I go, David, I do have to say, PDA is going to continue campaigning for uh, the down ballot candidates. No, no. But this specifically for winning delegates for Bernie Sanders to the Democratic National Convention. We need to have a hand in the platform. We need to push for these things that they become, uh, you know, Democratic Party policies that are adopted. And uh, and every 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 delegate we gain to the convention is a plus. So PDA, look for us. We're going to be one of the organizations leading the charge to still uh, winning delegates for the progressives at the convention and for Bernie Sanders at the convention. Alan Minsky is the executive director of Progressive Democrats of America, PDA, PDAmerica.org. Thank you. Can you stay on the line for one second? Hopefully we can do this next week. Sure thing, man. Love okay, thank you. You're listening to the David Feldman Radio Program, you sad, pathetic host. Let us now go down to Georgia, where Professor Ben Burgess is standing by. He is the author of Give Them an Argument, Logic for the Left. You can see him every Tuesday night doing the debunk on the Michael Brooks Show. And he is a columnist for Jacobin, who is fidgeting with his microphone. Welcome back, Professor. Thank you, comedian. Thank you. Well, before we talk about Thomas Friedman, his column in the New York Times, Joe Biden, Bernie dropping out, let's talk about the pandemic for a second. How are you holding up? Oh, okay. I, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, a little, uh, little stir crazy, maybe, but I'm okay. I, uh, I actually, uh, yeah, my, uh, my birthday was on Tuesday. Um, and, uh, and it was, 
it was definitely involved less going outside than I would have anticipated a few months ago, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm fine. Yeah. What is the good that's going to come from this pandemic? I, I'm the eternal optimist. I know that people are dying and jobless claims have hit 10 million and they cannot feed people here in this country. The food banks don't have enough. But what is the good that's going to come from this? Said, <laughs> as they said in Nazi Germany in the <laughs> 30s. What's the good that he's doing? What's the good that uh, can come from this? Uh, well, I mean, other than, um, I mean, obviously there's a little temporary good about, uh, you know, uh, pollution and whatnot. Um, I I get a little creeped out when people celebrate that too much, you know, (laughs) uh, but, uh, why do you get creeped out? Uh, you know, cause there's kind of a Malthusian kind of eco-fascist tinge to it. Like, oh yeah, humanity is such a you know, blight on the world or whatever, you know. Um, but, uh, but look, I mean, long-term, I think they're, I think it's, it's up to us, right? I mean, like at the risk of sounding cheesy that, uh, there could be no good whatsoever that comes out of this. Um, you know, I, I don't think there was any particular, um, benefit after the Spanish flu, or it could be that we collectively take this as a cue to, um, you know, do some things differently and learn some lessons from it. Uh, like, you know, it's probably not a good idea uh, to tie people's health insurance to their employment. And, you know, that would be great. Right. One of the things you've taught me, and I can't shake it, is accelerationism. And I want to return to this conversation briefly because yeah, I, uh, after talking with you, I'm convinced that we can learn lessons, we can learn from history, but because of the system we operate in, we're not allowed to change. That We recognize that socialism is better than capitalism. Polls show that. Polls show that Bernie beats Trump while Biden doesn't really, but there's a system in place that no matter what we learn, we're not allowed to act on that knowledge. And how does that play into accelerationism? Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't, well, on the first part, I mean, I don't think we should be too, um, like, fatalistic about this. Um, like, as as depressing as things are right now, uh, the fact is that Bertie did come very close to winning, right? He, uh, he won the first three states, which nobody has ever done before, you know, in a contest, you know, contested primary. I mean, like you have cases like Kerry 2004, where he just took every state, right? You know, but like, um, and uh, I, you know, since Did I, I think Dean won Iowa or something, and then screamed or something. I don't believe so. I believe he almost won Iowa. Oh, okay. I, I think the Dean scream was given while he was like consoling his followers you know, it's like okay you know we didn't quite make it but we're doing oh, it in I New see. Hampshire and we're doing it in South Carolina <laughs> <laughs> uh, I remember Dave Chappelle had a uh, had a bit where he imagined Howard Dean going around his life you know screaming in enthusiasm about everything that ever happened to him but uh, yeah um, although, so, the, you're, although, so you're uh, optimistic about Bernie's showing yeah look Look, I mean, he, he, he came remarkably close. Um, 
you know, like I think there's a, uh, there's, you know, like uh, if, um, you know, I mean, if, if, uh, if Biden hadn't, hadn't won South Carolina by quite as much, if, uh, uh, if, if Buttigieg had not been offered God knows whatever he was offered to get him to drop out despite Super Tuesday, despite what a strong position he was in, um, then, then, you know, who knows, right? Like, uh, so, th- so the, the point is just that, like, I, I, think, um, I think it's a mistake, you know, to, to say that, like, we lost, therefore, like, you know, we're never going to win, right? Like, that's... Um, uh, I, I think that I think it's more contingent than that. As far as accelerationism goes, uh, that's the idea that like bad things happening is is going to be enough that we just sort of win automatically, right? I mean, it's almost the flip side of that kind of uh, fatalism that uh, that rather than thinking that uh, the fix is in and we can never ever win, uh, we think that we're just going to like win automatically. If, if things get bad enough, right? You know, that, uh, that if, um, you know, if, if Trump wins again, then it's going to be so bad that, you know, people are just going to, you know, automatically all become Marxists or something, right? You know, that if, if, uh, yeah, I, I would, I had Harvey Kay on Tuesday's show when I mentioned yeah. you teaching me about accelerationism. Harvey is an expert on Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And we always think, I mean, the bedtime story that I was always told as a kid is J. Edgar, J. J. Edgar Hoover, uh, President Hoover, Herbert Hoover, and Coolidge and Harding, these Republican presidents from the 20s, they destroyed yeah. the economy. And that is an example of accelerationism. I believe that things got so bad, Franklin Roosevelt right. came in and gave us a social safety net. Have we seen that since? Have we seen things get so bad that we learn our lessons. Yeah. Um, I mean, again, just because things get bad doesn't necessarily mean anything about how people are going to respond to it. Right. Like, I mean, we, we could get, um, we could get FDR, the new deal, or, or we could get, um, you know, well, or frankly, we could get Obama. Right. You know, I mean, like that was, you know, he came in under very similar circumstances and, and didn't do much, you know, is, right. is the sad truth about that. Um, you know, so it's, it's, I mean, I, I, and again, I think in both cases, like the problem with accelerationism is the same problem as just like throwing up our hands, you know, that it, it, it sort of treats it as if it's not under our voluntary control, right? You know, that, uh, uh, that there's just going to be either an inevitable bad outcome or an inevitable good outcome. When did accelerationism come about? When did this theory come about? Well, uh, I mean, I think it's probably, I don't know when the word came about, but like uh, the sort of thing that people use it to describe, like a classic example comes from uh, like the uh, the late 20s and early 30s, or uh, I guess, yeah, yeah, I guess late 20s and early 30s uh, when um, the, uh, you know, when the, uh, Communist Party in Germany, uh, you know, there was what was called the Third Period, which was uh, which was a policy that that Stalin declared for all the communist parties around the world, where uh, you know he thought that like revolution was very close, and the most important thing was just to denounce the uh, the Social Democrats, uh, 
so that, you know, the workers wouldn't be tempted away by reformism and, um, and, and, and then, and as part of it, right, see that sort of main danger as being reformism. He, uh, uh, the, the communists in Germany at, at that point weren't really taking very seriously at all the dangers of Nazism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, and there was this famous phrase, uh, not Hitler uns, you know, which is, uh, after Hitler us, right? You know, it's like, okay, maybe Hitler will take power for a little while, but that's okay because that'll get so bad, you know? It sure wasn't. It's not Hitler, it's us. Or is that uh, Chinese? Uh, what that means. <laughs> I, I was making it. It's not me. Yeah. It's, uh, I don't yeah. Whatever. Yeah, but it's like, but it's like things will be so bad if Hitler takes power that that'll just sort of make people communists and, you know, and, and, and then we'll win, right? So it'll be fine. Um, but so, Hitler was beyond their imagination. Yeah, Hitler was be- was beyond their imagination, absolutely. And um, now we find, because I've had Dr. Harriet Fraud on the show, and she is saying right now there is a tension between socialism and fascism. This is the same thing that confronted the world during the Great Depression. Had Bernie won in the back of your mind, yeah. did, you, did you fear a turn to fascism in response to Bernie taking power? Mm. Uh, you know, it was a discussion that, that I've certainly had. My feeling was that, um, was, was that the economic, you know, elite would, would feel that, um, it was fascism was was a riskier bet that they needed, you know, that they uh, that they didn't have to, you know, because that's that's, you know, that's very destabilizing. Like uh, like they they get a lot of uh, benefit out of the fact that we do have these very stable um, semi democratic institutions that have all this popular legitimacy, um, and they wouldn't want to risk that. That they think that a, a better strategy, right, would for them would have been to, um, well, I mean, obviously they'd, they'd, they'd try very hard to make sure Trump won the election, but if that didn't work, you know, that they'd, uh, that they, you know, that it, it would be a much better strategy for them to just kind of like let Bernie take office and ruthlessly obstruct him, uh, try to stop him from getting anything done. Uh, you know, that I, I would think that that's what they would turn to first. Um, but were we naive? Me. Were we naive? You know, the feeling on March 3rd on uh, Super Tuesday was that Obama and the Clintons put the thumb on the scale and they ordained Joe Biden as the nominee. Were we naive in terms of the groundswell that we thought would uh, encompass Bernie, that everybody would come to their senses and Bernie would win by a landslide. We were naive. I mean, yes, the Democratic establishment yeah. informs public opinion. Yeah. And all it took was Obama to come out in favor of Bernie. And Bernie, no question, would have gotten the nomination. All sure. it took was Obama sure. to, to crown him. But uh, did we underestimate the American uh, yearning for centrism? And uh, Maybe. So I don't, I wouldn't, I mean, look, I don't want to, I don't want to make the mistake of saying that it's like all the fault of uh, the democratic establishment or the media, because that's, that's just another way of, of being a fatalist about it because, you know, 
those the democratic establishment in the media were always going to be um opposed to any effort like bernie's like the, that's just baked in from the beginning right you have to expect mm-hmm. that um i didn't necessarily think they were going to be as smart about it as they were right mm-hmm. uh you know, I mean, I thought they might repeat some of those mistakes that the Republican establishment made in 2016 when they failed to consolidate against Trump. Uh, but, but look, I mean, I'm sure they're all, I mean, like, I don't feel like enough time has passed for, for me to be sure what the, you know, what the lessons are, but I'm sure that there are any number of mistakes uh, made by the Bernie campaign that, that contributed to, to, his failure uh that there are a lot of things that could have been done differently name Um, one name one okay um i think that um i think that you you were referring to yearning for for centrism that i don't know that it's exactly yearning for centrism in terms of policy right because because the all the uh, all the polls um all the exit polls, right, showed that even even in the states that Bernie lost, right, most people supported Medicare for all, for example. You know, most Democratic voters, you know, supported Medicare for all. But I think maybe there's a way to talk about it that would um, that would have done a better job of connecting. I, I, I'm going to interrupt you because I was always stunned by how he tried to talk about it and couldn't accept at a town hall on Fox or a <laughs> town hall. But in the debates where everybody was really watching – the media wouldn't allow him to explain Medicare for all. And nobody in the media would explain Medicare for all. They just turned it into a shout fest. I don't know what he could have done different. Okay. Uh, so, so here are a couple of tentative ideas about things that Bernie could have done differently. Obviously it's always easy. It's always much easier to, to say the stuff, you know, after it's over, right. Sure. You know, but um but I think one thing one thing he could have done differently uh, is you know when he did you know get his thirty seconds to talk debate or maybe more importantly in ads whatever you know um, I think that uh, I think that he could have talked a lot more about how his policies would give people stability uh, you know that they that you know that you don't have to you know like. Uh, you don't have to worry about your health insurance changing all the time, right? You know, you have stability in health insurance, right? You know, stability in employment, other things, right? And I think that that might have threaded the needle with uh, with some of the legitimate concerns of. I think uh, he said that. I don't mean to well, interrupt you, but I think he did say that. Oh yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there are instances of him saying it, right? I mean, like, I think the I think the question is like, you know, what would be the sort of you know, I mean, I think there are questions of emphasis about, you know, about how, um, you know, how much you say one thing, you know, one thing rather than another. You know, I, I think that, uh, um, you know, I think that uh, I think he could have pushed an electability argument um, uh, against against Biden in particular um, that and, you know, like even when Biden wasn't doing very well, I think he could have used him as a foil for his own, um, you know, his own electability argument that, you know, um, you know, that, uh, I mean, I, you know, Michael Brooks, I saw, you know, suggested, you know, 
obviously this wouldn't be Bernie's style, but you know, like you could almost imagine him like doing like the Trump thing with the nicknames, you know, mm-hmm. ah, I don't know, risky Joe. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and, and I think that, I think that a combination of, Oh, I think that like, it's possible that really emphasizing the electability argument, really emphasizing the stability argument and maybe not letting himself get drawn into, uh, I, I do feel like there was a certain point where uh, he kind of got drawn into uh, a political arms race with Elizabeth Warren over who could sort of have the most ostentatiously progressive positions on everything, right? And I, I don't know that that necessarily uh, served him that well. I'm not saying that the position... Well, what was he supposed to do? She was co-opting the names of all his ideas. She wasn't actually co-opting the the actual plans but she was calling uh-huh uh, yeah plans. well i mean again uh you know it's it's very easy you know this is this is why i said you know that uh, that i don't i don't i don't know that we have have enough you know distance right. yet to, be, to be confident about this but i think that um but i wonder if um he had uh, if if the if the if the strategy for dealing with Warren had put more emphasis on um, you know on on the on the electability um, argument um, and and yeah I don't know I mean like because because I do you know if if he could have. Um, you know, like, like if, like, I mean, all, all of these things were obviously understandable at the time, right? You know, but we also know that the cumulative effect is that he lost. And of course, the, the big, you know, the big obvious reasons why he lost were, you know, the, um, you know, were what the, what the other side did, right? right. You know, but there are but, two missed opportunities that yeah. I see. One is the coronavirus should have hit. A, a month earlier, right? I, I doubt the the nature of Super Tuesday would have been any different, but at least we could have begun to really see in reality what this. I mean, it, it would be undeniable what our healthcare system needs. Yeah. And then there's something that should have happened but didn't, and that is some debates between. Biden and Bernie and Biden is a piece of human excrement for not debating Bernie because the American people are entitled to a debate. Even though Biden was the prohibitive nominee, we are entitled to a debate between the candidates and it was sheer cowardice on Biden's part. And that's going to hurt him in the general I have no respect for Biden. You know, uh, Barry Goldwater and John F. Kennedy in uh, 63, they knew that Barry Goldwater was going to be the nominee. And they talked about touring the country and debating because debate is important Uh, for Biden to hide in Biden. And he also was not the prohibitive front runner. Uh, on the day that Bernie dropped out, he was 300 delegates behind, right? It was 1,200 right. to 900 uh, out of about 2,000 you need to win. Um, you know, but what it got, what it, 
got down to was that at, at that point, uh, Sanders really didn't have a lot of choice because uh, in order to in order to win at that point, there would have had to be some sort of major, unexpected, unpredictable event that would have resulted in a second change of the winds of the race, right? The way that there was before Super Tuesday. And um, the coronavirus made it less likely that that was going to be that, if nothing else, because people were paying less attention to the election. And the Biden and DNC position was that was, you know, essentially, when you get down to it, that they were going to keep executing hostages until Bernie dropped out. That they uh, that um, that they were going to insist on having these uh, these in person primaries that you couldn't participate in without violating CDC guidelines. Right. Uh, right. So 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 at that point, I think it was a, a done thing. I mean, I don't I don't think there's anything else he could or should have done. Um, you know, but I don't. Um, I, you know, and uh, and of course, there's also you know, like there's also the question of what would have happened. You know, the one the one debate that Bernie and Biden did have one on one, Biden um, he did pretty well. You know, Biden did pretty well, right? He had a good night, right? Like, and I, you get the sense that that's why he didn't want to do any more because you know he managed to to stay pretty lucid, you know, for for one. And Bernie did a good job prosecuting him. Yeah. You know, if you watch that debate and you weren't going to vote for Bernie, then you're never going to vote for Bernie. So the political will wasn't there for Bernie, perhaps, or not perhaps. It's it's apparent. Um, Tell Tell me what I do with... Biden, because I was talking to my daughter and I said, right now, right now, I know I'll vote for Biden in November, but right now I'm not voting for him. I will, but right now I am not ready yet. And Uh she said, you, you have to vote for him. He's still better than the alternative. And I said to her, this is role reversal. I'm older than you. I'm the father. I should be explaining to you why you need to vote for Biden. I really learned to hate Biden. We we had he has credible credible rape allegations against him. You yeah. know, you know, uh, Clinton had Jennifer Flowers. That wasn't rape. That was an affair. Yeah, I mean, Clinton also had Juanita Broderick, but that wasn't widely known at the time. Right. Um, right. Yeah. I mean, look, uh, I mean, Biden, if, uh, you know, my, you know, my position on that, right, like, and, and, and it's not even a conversation I'll push at all right now because I think that, you know, we've got plenty of time to have it later, right, but is that, um, you know, Biden, like, I think that, uh, you know, I think that, if you live in in a in a swing state, you know, I, I think um, I think you should you should make a tactical decision about you know what kind of enemy you'd rather be fighting about what, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that you know, I think that that does mean 
you know, voting for Biden, but the, but but I, I don't think you have to. I don't think you have to lie about what he is to to do that, right? Like, I think that that's. I think that you should take your cues from like um, the French election and was it two thousand two or something where uh, there was Jacques Chirac who was the uh, conservative incumbent and uh, the only other and you know they do runoffs there, so the other candidate in runoff was. Um, uh, the uh, extreme right winger, you know, Jean Marie Le Pen, and uh, the and you know leftist parties put up posters before the runoff election, saying uh, vote for the crook, not the fascist, right? You know, right. that's you right. know, like 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 I think you could just be honest like that, and you know, and and I, I don't think it's I don't think you're doing yourself any favors, particularly being. Um, you know, say like trying to, to make nice about it or saying that, you know, um, you know, like trying to like turn on a dime and, and, and praise Biden or anything like that, you know, because he's, uh, I mean, look, even, even if he, he were, uh, you know, quite possibly, uh, guilty of criminal sexual assault, uh, you know, like, 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 even if, even if you were, even if he, he were mentioned his personal life, you know, that, that he's also the guy who, uh, last year he ran a, a, an ad in which he strongly insinuated that passing Medicare for all would be an insult to his dead son. Right. 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 You know, that, you know, and I, unions and this year was unions. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he said, he said that if, if, if the house, he said, yeah, he said a few weeks ago, that if the House and the Senate passed it while he was president, he would veto it. Right? You know, right. I mean, like that. That's uh, he. He is. He didn't just. He didn't just go along with the Iraq War vote. He was, you know, possibly the main person on the Democratic side pushing it. You know, he uh, um, he spent decades as one of the the loudest voices uh, for for you know tougher you know, carceral legislation against drug users and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Like, you know, he's, he's, uh, I, I, I would, um, you know, I mean this, this idea, you know, when I see people talk about, Oh, what can, what can Joe Biden do to earn the trust of the left? You know, well, that's not going to happen. Right. I mean, like I, 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 I trust Joe Biden to share my policy preferences about as much as I trust Hunter Biden to pass a drug test, you know, without using someone else's piss, you know, like right. that's, that's not going to happen. Uh, but, um, you know, you, you can, you can still, you know, you can still say that even if two people are both your enemies, you know, there are differences between them that have real world consequences and you can make a, a tactical decision based on that. Uh, however, I've got to say um, that, you know, what I think about, what what Biden might do as president, what I really hope he does, because it would be awesome, is if he takes Thomas Friedman's advice. Yes. Yes. Um, you know what? We should talk about that next week, but go ahead. He has yeah. a, for your birthday, Thomas Friedman wrote a column how we need a, a centrist cabinet right now. Yes. National unity for Biden. Yeah, we should have a, na- a national unity cabinet with Republicans and all this stuff. Yeah, uh, the best thing about this is that he um, he references uh, um, Abraham Lincoln 
right? Um, and this 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 book by Doris Kearns Goodwin, Team of Rivals, mm-hmm. right? you know, which is about how uh, how Lincoln and his cabinet, you know, he, he he brought together all these political rivals into you know into this great unity cabinet. Uh, and, and when I was having a previous discussion about this column, I vaguely remember having heard about that book. I think I saw John Stewart interview George Kearns Goodwin about it. Um, uh, and I thought, okay, well, you know, I was willing to accept that, that that was, that Friedman's, you know, like Friedman's, uh, take on the, the book was right. But then like, I, I looked it up since then and, when Goodwin says Lincoln had a team of rivals, what she meant is that he appointed his main rivals for the Republican nomination to key positions. So his Secretary of State, William Seward, was one of his main rivals for the Republican nomination and who was widely perceived as more radical than him. So if... Um, to follow Friedman's analogy, if uh, if Joe Biden was going to do a uh, a Lincoln style team of rivals, that would mean he would make Bernie Sanders the Secretary of State. Mm-hmm. Well, let's go through for for Vice President. He's recommending uh, Governor Gina Raimondo of Rhode Island, the the neo liberal from Harvard, who try to round up anybody with New York license plates last week and had her state troopers knocking on everybody's door asking, are you from New York for treasury secretary, Mike Bloomberg, Mike Bloomberg. Awesome. Health and human services, secretary, Bill Gates. Right. I mean, that's bill. Who the F is Bill Gates? Well, he's rich. So, um, that's you know he, he he you know like he uh, you know he'd surely be good at that. Uh, yeah, no, that's awesome. We're we're three in, and he's already got two billionaires in there. Uh, billionaires. Secretary of State Mitt Romney, in a Democratic. Here's where it gets better: a Secretary of National Infrastructure, new cabinet post. Who who would he appoint as Secretary of National Infrastructure? The CEO of Walmart. Doug McMillan. Nice. Commerce Secretary. He would make former American Express CEO Ken Cheneau. For Education Secretary, Lauren Powell Jobs. You know why she would be great at that. She's Steve Jobs' ex-wife. He is unbelievable. Yeah. I, I just... Unbelievable. I mean, the thing that always strikes me about this um, is you would think that given the combination of popularity and prestige, right, you know, that the New York Times editorial pages, that's the most, you know, coveted bit of op-ed space that exists, um, you would think that it would be like getting a piece landed there would be uh, it would be like, you know, like, 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 like getting a big, uh, you know, grant from the NEA or something, you know, you'd have to jump through all these hoops that like 
even if you've been there a hundred times before, you'd still have to pitch, you know, mm-hmm. that they'd be like, ah, I don't know, you know, like, like there's somebody said something similar or there's a, you know, like, like, I don't know about your argument uh, that like this, this would be, um, that people would really be like sweating to, to try to do this. But instead it seems like they just have this hack. Yeah, like, 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 and, and there are these people like Friedman who, who it's, it's, it's just like, oh, okay, you know, you have, uh, it's like getting a Supreme Court seat that, you know, that like, uh, you've just got this, you know, you've just got this perch in the New York Times forever, right? It's yours to do with what you will. And everything that I ever read there, I never get the sense that anybody spent all week working on it. No. Right. Like, I mean, they all read like blog posts, you know, it's like, Oh, these are my thoughts. You know, like the, the whole, you know, anything resembling an argument you ever get there is always like, yeah, some people think blah, blah, but I think blah, blah, right. right? Like it, this, this is so thin. It's ridiculous. Um, you know, he's just like, he's just listing off his fantasy football team of, uh, of, of, of billionaires and Republicans and, you know, and, and people he met at Martha's Vineyard, you know, <laughs> who used to be married to CEOs. Um, and, and my favorite part about it is, okay, so he, he lists three historical precedents for this. Um, so one is Abraham Lincoln, right? We covered that. Right. Um, that's the classic one. And his others are, Franklin Roosevelt in 1933 and Barack Obama in 2009. And you think, hold on, Franklin Roosevelt? Really? And then you go and see what he says about Roosevelt. And he says, uh, Roosevelt made Frances Perkins, the first woman cabinet secretary, his first say his secretary of labor, because she thought he was the best person to lead the fight for social security. So wait a second. So FDR is a historical precedent because he appointed somebody from the rival gender? Who happened to be as big a labor leader as you could find. Yeah, I mean, if, I mean I she was borderline I mean, socialist. Francis, is, Francis Perkins was ever a Republican, but if she was, she'd come a long way from that when by the time she was serving in his yeah. cabinet. I mean, right, she was the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory activist in New York. Yeah, so so this is a very very left wing appointment, um, and you know yeah, as labor secretary, up get the first minimum wage, overtime laws. Okay, so that one's a little wacky that you know that that uh, that Franklin Roosevelt is sort of appointing a a team of rivals because you know one of his was a woman, uh, and then. Uh, and then he says, at Barack Obama in 2009, and it's like, okay, fair enough. Uh, Obama in 2009, I could see that, right? He, uh, he both, you know, that uh, one, you know, he had, he did the Lincoln thing and made one of his big rivals, his rival, main rival for the Democratic nomination, Secretary of State. And two, there were a couple Republicans in, in the Obama cabinet. But last point about this. Scrolling down, he says, I quote, such a national unity government might pay another dividend. Fracture the Trump, McConnell, Evangelical, Limbaugh, Fox, GOP, a warped coalition dedicated to nothing but its own power and cutting taxes on the rich. 
Our country needs a healthy conservative party. Geo Trump's GOP is not healthy. Okay. So just to review, he lists Obama as one of the precedents for this approach. And he says that one of the advantages of this approach is that it's going to fracture the opposition of the Republican party. You know, the way that Obama wasn't really opposed much by the Republicans. Right. Logic for the left. Give them an argument. Logic for the left. Certainly not coming from Thomas Friedman. We, you know, we, they keep saying we need a conservative party in America. He's trying to build one. Turn the Democrats. Well, the Democrats already are a, con- a conservative party. All right. Oh. I will vote for Biden in November because you've taught me about accelerationism. Jim Earl will not vote for Biden. He thinks things have to get so bad that the Democratic Party will finally come to their senses and nominate a Bernie type. Yeah. And I wouldn't you, count you, on it. I think, I think another four years of Trump and they'll be so desperate that um, it'll make it it'll make it easier for the next Biden because, you know, because they say, hey, don't you just want to get back to normal after eight years of Trump? Right. We're uh, not allowed to change, even though we want change. We're, we're, we, we can be sold change like Obama. He sold us change, the, the branding of change, but we're not allowed to change the Democrat. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm not interested in, uh, in, in yelling at anybody who, who can't bring themselves to Biden. People want my tactical advice, I'll give it, which is that I think that they should, you know, that uh, they should, you know, they should vote for him to, to stave off, you know, another four years of Trump. But uh, but I'm not interested in, um, you know, doing the thing that's usually counterproductive anyway, right? You know, where you wag your finger at people. Right. Um, I, I think that the I, I think that uh, the main you know the main thing here is that uh, the Democrats do have a problem because. Um, they they have a deeply uninspiring presumptive nominee who um, who is at the very least blurs even the personal moral case against Trump, right? Never mind mm-hmm. anything else. Uh, and and uh, and I think that you know it's the fact that even after he became the front runner. Right, he was still consistently losing something like seventy percent of votes from people under forty-five. You know, is a very bad sign. Um, but you know, that's the that's the bed that the Democratic Party has made, and and you know they'll they'll have to uh, they'll have to sleep in it. You know, I, I I hope he wins despite everything because I don't want I don't want four more years of Trump. But um, you know, but I'm not optimistic. I mean, that's one of the reasons that we push so hard for Bernie is that uh, is that we knew that he'd have a better shot. Yeah. Dr. Ben Burgess teaches philosophy at Perimeter College, Georgia State University. He is a columnist for Jacobin. His new book is Give Them an Argument, Logic for the Left, published by Zero Books. You should go subscribe to his newsletter. You can get two of his essays delivered to your inbox each week by going to patreon.com forward slash Ben Burgess. Watch him every Tuesday doing the debunk on the Michael Brooks show. 
How's your new book coming? Uh, done, being revised. You know, we'll see what makes sense in terms of a publication date at this point, but uh, stay tuned for information about that very soon. Okay. And name one good thing that has come from your sheltering in place. What one productive thing have you accomplished where you think people are suffering, this is horrible, but I'll look back at this pandemic and be grateful that I did blank. Mm-hmm. My answer is diddly squat. Your, what's your answer? Uh, <laughs> did you learn a dead language? I did not. Did you tackle a book that you've been meaning to read? Uh, you know, to be honest, I've, I've, I, I have been proud of myself to the extent that I have managed to, to be, do the things that I would have done before, uh, which, which I haven't necessarily on every, any, any given day, because, uh, I think the lack of, of structured schedule is, is not great. Um, but I, I don't think that, uh, I don't think anything that I'm, that I'm doing right now is, is, is going to be like, Oh, at least I did that. Right. Like I think that, uh, um, I, I mean, you know, teaching online is, is harder, uh, and, and much less fun, you know, than, uh, the teaching in person. And, uh, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, like I, 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 you know, I'm, I'm not seeing a lot of, uh, I'm not seeing a lot of silver linings here, but if I've learned any dead languages by the time we speak again, you'll be the first to know. My advice to my listeners is we are social animals. And I, I'll let you go, but I just want you to respond to this. We are social animals. We are isolated right now. This is not healthy. We need companionship. My advice is turn on MSNBC and CNN and keep it blaring 24 hours a day. They're your friends. Rachel Maddow and Wolf Blitzer and Jake Tapp. These are your friends. And if you feel you're not getting enough human interaction, blast CNN. Right? Is that good advice? Yeah. A few days of that and your mental health should be wonderful. Thank you. Stay on the line, Professor Ben Burgess. You're listening to The David Feldman Show. You happy, self-actualized hump. Alliance for Justice has been leading the fight for a fair America for 40 years. Joining us is the press secretary for Alliance for Justice, Zach Ford. Everything he says today, says today, uh, reflects his opinion and not those of Alliance for Justice or anybody else's, although his opinion is my opinion. Hi, Zach. Hi. How are you, David? Oh, uh, well, you know, I'm an empath, as you know, so this pandemic affects me more than it affects most people because I feel for the rest of the world. So, You know, compared to how sociopathic I usually think of you, um, (laughs) I'm not sure that that really holds up. Uh, Yeah. Well, 
Okay. I want to talk to you about Wisconsin, not me. Let's not talk about me. Uh, I want to talk about Wisconsin. And I want to talk about the LGBTQ community because my listeners mostly know you as an LGBTQ activist. Besides covering the White House for Think Progress, you also covered LGBTQ issues I, for Think Progress, I think for what, eight, nine years? How, yeah, how eight and a half years. Eight and a half years. You helped unionize that shop, I believe. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Before we talk about Wisconsin, it, I've noticed, if you don't mind, that you're a little cranky. I am a little cranky, and it's actually partly because of Wisconsin. But, uh, you know, I think we're all going through uh, these challenging times in our own ways. And I'll, I'll just do a little personal sharing that um, I was sort of uh, just trying to, you know, coast by a little bit. Um, and today I actually got um, some sad news that uh, a friend of mine um, – is probably going to lose uh, her father to COVID um, today, tomorrow, imminently. Um, It's not someone I know super well, but it's a friend, somebody that I I work with on occasion. And um, it just sort of hit me and was the, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back. And I've, I finally had a good cry today. Um, I, I just sat and sobbed for a little while. And it was the first time that I had cried, um, since we entered this whole situation and that's not to excuse how I feel about all of the other people who have suffered and other friends I have who have themselves had COVID, um, and thankfully recovered and all of the anxiety and all of the job loss and, uh, everything. Um, I just tried to swallow my pride, um, and just say like, I'm going to be okay and I'm going to soldier on. Uh, and the, the dam broke a little bit for me this morning. And as sad as I still very much am for my friend, I was actually a little relieved because I needed the cry. Uh, it released so much tension for me, Mm -hmm. um, that had clearly been building up and, and, and getting worse and, and, you know, accumulating in such a way that um, every day was getting a little bit harder. And the rest of the day has actually kind of been okay and, and, and better than the last couple have been because it took some time to let myself feel and let myself process. Uh, and that's not an easy thing to do. And I, th- I think it's particularly harder in this case because we know we're going to be in this situation for a long time uh, and we don't know how long. And so part of us feels like, well, we need to, you know, tap into whatever grit we can find uh, to help us get through that. And I don't think that's actually how any of us ever experience feelings anyway. There's always an ebb and a flow and there's always uh, tension and release. And we need to acknowledge that that's still going to happen and it's going to happen through the lens of this very stressful situation and, and these very bizarre parameters about how we can move about and interact with others. Uh, and we need to just kind of, let that happen to us uh, and be okay and, and soldier on, but not to the uh, exception of processing what we need to process. So that's sort of what I've been feeling and going through. And there's lots of other things like Wisconsin. We'll get to that. In a and, and all the nonsense that are sort of adding to that uh, exacerbation and stress. But I don't know. I think we all just need to let ourselves experience this. However, we're experiencing it. You talk about your friend's father passing away or about to pass away. 
most Americans are thinking about their self-quarantine, their, their shelter in place, what an annoyance it is, how scary it is, but we forget why we're doing this. And when you bring up your friend's father, it's important to remember we're doing this because people are dying. I, I think there's so much tension in people's homes right now that they forget why they're sacrificing, what they're sacrificing for. And so what you cried about was what what we're doing this for. Not that we're capable of doing great things in the United States and not to get patriotic, but we shut the economy down and we're sheltering in place. That is not the same sacrifice your grandparents made to take on Hitler, but we're willing to shut the economy down and we're willing to stay home. Uh, maybe a little pride, maybe, you know, I, unfortunately Trump is our president, but maybe the world uh, should have a little pride that we're capable of thinking of others, or at least some of us are capable of thinking of others. Well, I'd like to believe that, except that there are a lot of people that still aren't, right? We're not flattening the curve in the United States like a lot of other countries have. And Trump, just as we got on here, was still lying about um, how much testing will be available and, and downplaying how important testing is, which was one of the most important things that has helped yes. other countries flatten the curve. And, you know, I'm still trying to support some of my neighborhood businesses who are struggling. Um, so I go out and about, I now have some masks thanks to my roommate's aunt who sent them to us. They're not the prettiest, but they're, they're quite effective. Uh, and I, I, you know, we don't want to shame people because that's not actually what's going to help with behavior. But I feel like I'm trying to model good behavior when I wear my mask to go out and it annoys me and it's uncomfortable and my glasses fog up. But like, we all need to still do more. Um, and, you know, it's easy to be so freaked out about just how different these circumstances are and, and, you it know. doesn't seem real to me. It just does not seem real. I, and, I'm, and I'm in New York. I hear sirens all night. It just sure. doesn't seem real. Well, we all have to do what we need to do to adjust to these circumstances, and particularly those with families and pets who are, you know, getting used to a very different living arrangement with them and, and, and making everything work. Like, you have to focus on that. You have to. Um, but you also have to remember why we're all doing it and, and continue to be vigilant about helping other people be safe. We have an epidemic of loneliness in America, in the world. I think it's Great Britain that now has a, a loneliness ministry to address the issue of loneliness. Americans are experiencing extreme loneliness. You're an LGBTQ activist, and we always think of sex, that, that, that you know, you're fighting for the right to have sex the way you want to. It's not about sex. It's about love and loneliness, isn't it? I mean, I don't think that they're mutually exclusive. I think it can be about both. Um, yeah, but, but, but we're talking about companionship, sharing your life. We're social animals. We like to be in love. Love is more than just sex. It's not being isolated. We, we go crazy when we're isolated and certain mores force isolation and loneliness on the LGBTQ community. It's maddening and depressing and it causes suicide. 
Well, you know, I think the more important point is that LGBTQ people, because of the other forms of stigma and discrimination we experience, are thus much more vulnerable um, to health inequities and and not being able to access the care and protection that we need and, and economic anxieties, uh, more likely to lose jobs because they're less likely to have them in the first place and things like that. Uh, you know, I think this is a conversation that even though I'm a gay man, I don't feel qualified to talk in generalizations about because um, I, I look around at, at the gay male community and I see a lot of people who are having a lot of connections with other people that are physical and are still very lonely. Mm-hmm. Um, notwithstanding uh, a pandemic. But they're humans. That's um, human beings. Yeah, but I, I mean, you know, the, there's sort of the, the quirk of male sexuality and, and hormones and how men process connections with one another um, that presents its own interesting challenges when they're men with men and, and how they pursue that. So is that a uh, function of age? Does that change as they get older? They, as um, I feel like it's uh, like uh, Jane, I'm talking to Jane Goodall, but uh, uh, I don't know what the research says. If research has covered that specific uh, kind of sociological impact, I think it's also harder to say because um we don't have a lot of older game role models because we lost a generation to AIDS uh, in the eighties right. and nineties. And so uh, we actually have a lot of ageism in the gay male community um, and just not a lot of, you know, older folks to look up to, um, to have paved that way and, and laid it out. And even if you just think about things like um, what it meant to not have marriage equality, like, most people don't think about it this way, but it, it was also a societal discouragement of monogamy, right? Like what is the incentive for gay men to become attached to somebody if they're going to be pilloried for it, if they can't connect with those people long-term, if they're going to be frowned upon, if they can't form their own families and join communities. Like there, there is a sociological consequence. It's not just the harm of discrimination. It, 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 culturalize us very differently well, um, to, so, to not to not be encouraged to engage in a more sedate lifestyle well to to see it as a bigger risk even mm-hmm. um, you know it you're much less likely to get hurt for your sexuality if you're not repeating patterns and and raising suspicion by being connected to one person or or things like that. Um, You know, this is a a separate tangent, but it's been really interesting to see lots of different conversations had about uh, comparisons between the HIV epidemic and the the coronavirus pandemic. And uh, my friend Matthew Rodriguez wrote a really great article today at The Body that kind of looks at that and and appreciates, uh, particularly for people who lived through the AIDS epidemic, um, why they would take it personally to see these kinds of uh, parallels drawn, but also then kind of digs into really what a lot of those parallels are. And, you know, certainly there are parallels of uh, communities that experience more stigma uh, being hurt more by this, whether that's specifically Asian Americans who are uh, being the target of bias um, just simply because uh, the origin of this virus or um, any of the many communities, uh, trans people of color, people with disabilities, people with low income who are much more vulnerable. Uh, and nurses, we, doctors, nurses, doctors. And, and particularly if you look at um, some of the death rates that we've already seen uh, being 
overrepresentative uh, African American. Uh, yeah. If you look at the stats yeah. we've seen from Louisiana and the stats we've seen from uh, Chicago and, and places like that, where it, it, it's the death rates that are different because there are these major health inequities that, um, you know, are just sh- are shown in clear sunlight because of the pandemic affecting everybody. Um, and there, there are a number of other parallels in terms of um, the government's slow response and, and um, funding being targeted to those who need it the least and, and not to those who need it the most and, and things like that. Um, so I'd encourage people to go read his article at The Body. Uh, it's a publication about HIV and, and related issues because, um, yeah, there, you know, anytime you make a historical comparison, the people who uh, have a lot of emotional attachment to that history are going to object and say, this is nothing like what I went through. Um, and yet there are so many lessons from what it looks like when the government doesn't prioritize the life and safety uh, of the people that are most vulnerable. Um, And that's exactly what's happening with the coronavirus. And it'll be curious to see if the Republicans will begin to blame the victims for their lifestyle choices. We've already seen that too. And we've seen, uh, you know, cases where people are targeted because they, they had COVID and, and, and all kinds of just stupid um, things uh, and, and in ways that parallel the criminalization of HIV that still persists to this day. So um, just so many of these. In lessons. Rhode Island, Raimondo, the governor Raimondo, a Democrat, ordered state troopers to go knocking on doors to see if any New Yorkers were living there. And the state troopers were stopping people with New York license plates. Uh, yeah. How bad, I don't want to catastrophize here, but, you know, I, I, people keep thinking there's going to be rioting in the streets and we're not going to take it. And I say, oh, you're going to take it. You're going to take it and you're going to keep your mouth shut and the police are going to be your friend and we're going to become an authoritarian state if we're not already because that's where we're going. Uh, I don't see people taking to the streets with guns and robbing stores and robbing each other. I just see if this thing continues a complete lockdown and the loss of our civil liberties where we're basically not allowed outside. Uh, Don't mean to freak you out, but. Well, no, and I, I think there is some comfort to be taken that people are taking this seriously and, um, you know, we might see stupid nonsense like people bombing Zooms to post and, and say nasty stuff and, and take over people's meetings, but we don't see looting and, and harm on the streets. And I, I think that speaks to a collective understanding that I, I don't perceive this as um, a, a obstructing our, our, our civil liberties, as, as you just framed it, where we're making a sacrifice ourselves. And I think that's a, I think it's a different thing. I don't think that, I mean, if anything, a lot of state governments still aren't doing enough and are still behind on encouraging safety measures or creating uh, exceptions for, you know, like these churches in Georgia who are still gathering and and big groups. And they're not only endangering themselves and each other, but then they're still going to have to go to the grocery store too. And these other exceptions that we still make for people to interact with each other and they're endangering everybody. Um, So, you know, I, I I don't see it as a government crackdown. I, I see it, 
a lot of failure uh, in the government and a lot of people doing the right thing um, because they know it's going to help other people. Yeah. By the way, I should mention we're coming to you live from Liberty University. <laughs> Do you have a crickets one? Uh, no. Okay. We're, we're, we're packed in here. We got <laughs> Jerry Falwell Jr. protecting us. So the New York Times was reporting on Liberty University remaining open and the little mini epidemic that that caused. And Jerry Falwell issued uh, arrest warrants. He has his own campus security. And there were arrest warrants issued for any journalists covering the return to classes over at Liberty University. Before we get to Wisconsin, you and I spent about a year going back and forth about Bernie. And I invite you now to give it to me. I'm really bummed that he dropped out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I listen, there was a lot that I didn't love about Bernie. And when there was a more crowded field, I, I had favorites over him. There's a lot that I don't love about Biden. And I am in no way excited or thrilled uh, to vote for Biden. And, you know, I think this pandemic probably had a lot to do with it, but I was hoping that Bernie would stick it out and, and keep the interesting conversations happening and pull Biden left uh, on a bunch of things the way that I thought he was really effective at pulling Hillary left uh, on a lot of things. If you had to choose ago. between Bernie and Biden. I'd have voted for Bernie. Right. Right. And, uh, I, you met my, one of my daughters and we had a conversation the other night and I said to her right now, right now, I'm not voting for Biden. I cannot bring myself to vote for Biden. I'm going to vote for him, but right now I can't. And she starts explaining to me why I have to vote for Biden. I said, no, no, this is the other way around. This is not, I should be telling you, you're my daughter. I should be telling you that you have to vote for Biden. Well, I think there's a really interesting thing happening. And I've actually managed to not have any conversations with anybody about Bernie and Biden this week. My, my mentions have, my tweets and my mentions have both been free of that conversation. And here's the important thing I think uh, I want to offer. I actually think you're kind of right in, in what you're saying uh, and that your daughter's strategy might not be the best one, which is in like a couple months, I think the right message is you need to be voting for Biden. Mm -hmm. But in the week that Bernie dropped out and, and people who really believed in his cause uh, and believed in his mission, that's not the time to rub in their faces that they need to vote for Biden. We have, you know, it's what even is the time anymore, but we have six, seven months until the election. Until the elections are postponed. Well, until whatever next happens next, right. but you know, I don't need you to be like totally a hundred percent gonzo for Biden today. I, I want you to, you know, have time to sort of mourn that your candidate didn't make it and uh, isn't what's going to be there and, and, and process that and, and come to peace with that. And then like, as we get closer, like have a conversation to kind of get you back on board that like, Hey, yeah, this is not what we wanted. It's not nearly as as drastic a change as we could have been making, but uh, we still need something better than Trump because the number of reasons that he has been a terrible president are, are hard to keep track of, um, but certainly the number of people who were dying because he cared more about his ratings should be reason enough. Not that children in cages wasn't reason enough and not that, you know, 
trying to blackmail other countries into helping him win the election wasn't reason enough. And, and the list goes on and on and on. But like, you got to draw the line somewhere and say, yeah, I, I, I want to do less harm than, than Trump. Um, but take the time you need to, to mourn your candidate. I was upset because I was, I'd really kind of um, gotten enamored by the idea that Warren could have a comeback. And, and I, I thought it was a great loss when she dropped out too. So I, I know mm-hmm. the feeling and I think we should give each other a little bit of time. Before we get to Wisconsin, I just want to ask you about Zoom, video games, phone sex. Your generation uh, lives in a more virtual world than my generation. It's not uncommon for you kids out there on my lawn to partake in phone sex and are they having phone sex on your lawn because i feel like that's oh (laughs) yes that's a weird place to have phone sex but okay well by my lawn i mean well we don't want to talk about it but uh there is virtual connection that's almost real pornography sexting texting video games that you play with people three thousand miles away this pandemic our zooming Zoom parties, it's going to rewire our brains, isn't it? There, there can be, I mean, there can be virtual relationships almost. I mean, are we? I totally disagree. I totally disagree. Okay. I think that what's happening right now in terms of all of the virtual connections is, is beautiful in so many ways. Um, and, and in part because we're actually kind of making a lot of time to connect with people that we don't see regularly anyway. Um, and so I'm, I'm connecting on video chats with all kinds of old friends and acquaintances that I probably should have been connecting with virtually more when there wasn't a pandemic. Exactly. Um, But I think the exact opposite is going to happen is what you just suggested, David, which is when things are kind of getting back to normal and it's safer to go back outside and go and be with people in public spaces, we're just going to value it that much more. I mean, last night uh, I I had a great group chat with some of my old college roommates um, who I see maybe once a year um, and only talk to maybe one or two times beyond that. And that was really nice. And then one of my friends who lives near me here in DC uh, invited me to just go for a walk with him and and check out the moon because the moon was big and pretty last night. And we walked six feet apart and sat on opposite benches, but we were just kind of sitting out at night and, and enjoying each other's company. And I felt really bad that I couldn't hug my buddy uh, as we parted ways, but it still meant so much more to just see and hear his voice in person than it would have uh, if he and I had hopped on, on phone chat. And so I, I think we're recognizing how important these connections are to us in a way that maybe we took for granted. You know, we had bowling alone and this whole conceit that um, technology was separating us. And now we see technology bringing us together in a way that it hasn't before. And so I think, is it at the expense I'm, I'm going to ask you if it's at the expense, and I hope it is, of Hollywood, that we spend too much time on Netflix, binge watching. Maybe we're going to see in the next couple of months fewer and fewer people watching Netflix and binge watching their friends. Isn't that better? 
eh, I mean, <laughs> I, I think spending time with your friends is better, but you can also binge watch things with your friends. And one of the great activities that a lot of people are doing right now is group viewing parties. Uh, my roommate has a group of friends that fix a different movie uh, one night a week and they all watch and they mute themselves while they're watching. And then they like take breaks at little you know, intervals throughout the film to kind of talk about what's happening, or they might just chime in and, and say something, uh, you know, one quip MST3K style, and then, you know, right. mute themselves again. And then, by the way, also Frank Conniff a- is on the show today. For oh, wow. Science. Yeah. TV's Frank. Um, so, you know, media is a great way to bring us together and we have shared social experiences watching things. I, one of the ways I was amusing myself the other day was going back and watching reaction videos from a certain scene in episode three of the last season of game of Thrones. I mean, probably far enough away for spoilers, but it's the the moment where some important villain dies. <laughs> and before we get to Wisconsin, cause I, I promise everybody that I'm keeping these interviews short. I feel like I'm in a Beckett play waiting for Wisconsin here. <laughs> okay. We'll get to Wisconsin. Uh, the, well, go ahead. We'll talk about Wisconsin. Go ahead. Well, and I, just to finish that thought is, uh, you know, there are lots of viewing experiences that are shared. Now, I think you're probably right that in the short term when we can go back outside, people are like, oh, I've, I've binged so much while I was inside and I'm going to take a break from that. But I think it'll even back out in the future. But we'll appreciate being able to share those experiences with more with other people more. Yeah. Wisconsin voting. <sighs> Wisconsin, 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 like the number of just stupid, terrible, deflating things that happened in Wisconsin this week. So if folks don't know, there was still a primary election on Tuesday in Wisconsin. There was also a Supreme Court, a state Supreme Court seat um, on the ballot um, and, and a conservative that Walker had appointed trying to keep his seat and a really great progressive running against him. And there were all these efforts to try to, you know, make it easier for people to vote because of the pandemic. And uh, on the day before the election, the governor actually said, actually, we're going to push this back till June. And the Republicans who control the legislature uh, fought back and the conservatives who control the state Supreme Court fought back and they forced the election to happen when people couldn't go out and vote. There were only five of over 100 I think 180 uh, precincts in Milwaukee open. And so people were waiting in line well past midnight to vote, um, wearing masks, keeping six feet apart. You know, you shouldn't have to put your life on the line to vote, but that's what the, the state folks did. And then the U.S. Supreme Court also put out this ruling Monday, overturning, even just extending the deadline to uh, submit your absentee ballots. And there were obviously a whole lot more people requesting mail-in ballots this year because of the pandemic. And not everybody had even received their ballot by election day. But the U.S. Supreme Court said if you didn't postmark it by election day, you couldn't get it. And so people literally couldn't actually vote um, simply because of these stupid technicalities and this attempt by Republican state lawmakers who didn't even win a majority of vote, but had so gerrymandered the state that they have um, a super majority of control, conservative uh, state Supreme courts. And then of course our, our conservative majority U S Supreme court all saying voting isn't important enough um, that we should protect people and let them have the chance to do it without having to risk their lives. And it just, you know, 
so many people have clung to this idea that there's some fraction of reality to these claims of voter fraud uh, and the need for, for voter ID and all these other totally bullshit uh, ideas that Republicans have insisted upon. And here was this clear as day. We just don't want you to vote because if people, if fewer people can vote, we're more likely to win. And then Trump a couple of times has literally said it out loud and mm-hmm. other lawmakers and, and, and folks have said it out loud. We and Trump doesn't want you to have a mail-in ballot, even though he had a mail-in ballot, because it's fine right. if he does it. Like he, that makes sense to him in his head. And it's just this clear, 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 clear visibility that Republicans just don't want you to have the right to vote. And that's how they're going to cling to power. Uh, and it was just so depressing to see all of these dominoes fall uh, just in a matter of days. And and I agree with so many um, legal analysts out there who just don't think dem- democracy exists in Wisconsin anymore um, because you know, the Republicans can entirely control the state uh, and there's no way for anybody to do anything about it. Yeah. Well, there is a way for people to do something about it and it's to cancel your Netflix subscription, stop watching Hulu, go on zoom, organize chat rooms to take back your democracy. I hate to be a scold, but I do a radio show with Ralph Nader and he always says, you know, more people are interested in their bird watching than they are keeping an eye on the lawmakers. The real action is where Zach is talking to us from Washington, D.C. or your state capital. You, you, you got to stop watching all this crap on television. Put down your video games and stop retreating into your virtual worlds. And, you know, we have we don't have a critical eye anymore. We, 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 we watch this crap on television and then you go to a party and people say, oh, my God, there's so much to watch. What are you watching? What are you watching? How about watching your government, watching the corporations, watching Jerry Falwell Jr. Stop already with the, 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 the culture, your culture. It's killing you. Your culture is killing you. So I think that's a, a bit of a step too far. I think, you know, in a free society, we should be able to enjoy culture. Um, I, I'm sympathetic to, with, to the point, to the extent that, you know, we, we, need, we need to maintain the level of freedom that we have. And what's scary about Wisconsin right now is that I actually don't think that there's an easy way for the people to fix this situation because the state is so gerrymandered that the legislature is so rigged that Republicans can win no matter what you do. And when the Democrats elected a governor, the Republicans immediately stripped him of all of his power to actually represent the majority who elected him. And so we're in the circumstance where democracy really doesn't exist in the state anymore. And you can, or I want people to organize and fight back and continue to advocate to address all of these problems, but there's just no check anymore. There's no one at any level um, that's really able to like undo the way that Republicans have rigged Wisconsin right now. And it's just a sad state and it's, and it's a big red flag for what could happen. if People start mucking around with how this election is held based on what's going on with the pandemic in November. Yeah. We got to wrap it up. Uh, How about we stop paying rent? 
How about everybody stops paying rent, everybody stops paying their taxes, and everybody stops paying their credit cards and their student debt? The same way the ICUs are inundated with COVID-19 victims, you think the IRS, you think city core or whoever issues your visa, you think they can handle everyone not paying their credit card? I don't know. There, we could, we could, you know, they, they shut down the economy. We can shut it down too. Something to think about. I mean, drastic measures might be necessary. Uh, I, I think that kind of action would be a little unprecedented for the modern age. So I'd be curious. Well, to see so is shutting down an economy. How about canceling your Netflix and your Hulu and turning off your TV? How about starting with that? How about turning off your effing TV and reading, or if you can't read, getting a book on tape and communicating with your friends, stop watching these shitty movies, these Star Trek movies, the, the Disney Channel, you're adults. And, so and, first of all, the Disney Channel has Star Wars, not Star Trek. Second of all, Star right. Trek is brilliant and speaks to the kind of free world that I think many of us aspire to. So I take so much exception to everything that you're saying. Well, also, as soon as this interview is over, little, I'm going to go watch some Netflix with my roommate and have a Get off my lawn. Plan. Get off my lawn. Stop smoking your, your hemp and, and stop living in a fantasy world created by George Lucas and, and pay attention to what's really going on. And it's not MSNBC or CNN or Fox news. It's C-SPAN watch C-SPAN and put away your childish things. Not you, Zach. I think there's room for both. I want there people isn't. to be able to live and enjoy the pleasures of this world. Um, I just don't want other evil people to get away with crap because we're not paying enough attention to them. All right. Zach Ford, for Zach Ford is a social justice warrior. He <laughs> is a queer atheist, a pianist, and the press spokesman for Alliance for Justice, which has been leading the fight for a fair America for 40 years. Everything he said today reflects the opinions of Zach Ford and the David Feldman show, except the stuff about Bernie. They do not necessarily reflect the opinions or positions of Alliance for Justice. Follow Zach Ford at Zach Ford. Thank you, sir. Thanks. Be well. You too. Stay safe. Stand in line for one quick second. You're listening to the David Feldman Radio Program, you sad, pathetic hump. Joining us from somewhere in Manhattan is the brilliant comedy writer, Colleen Worthman. Hello, Colleen. Hello, David. I'm so happy to be back. And I want to shout out to all my beloved BMs, my basement masturbators. <laughs> Hope you're rubbing it out with glee. Now that we're kicking it old school on Feldman's show. <laughs> this is the best way to do the show with you. And, you know, supposedly Frank Conniff will be joining us shortly. In yes. the past, we used to work out of the showbiz studios over down in. Which was lovely. Right. But you had to get on a 
subway right. or a car, yes. and it was a, an investment of time. Now you're it in, you're schlep. out. I'm sorry. It was a schlep. I'm it not going to lie. Schlep. Right. Now we can do it. The sound quality isn't as perfect as it was, but this is uh, efficient. Are we going back once this thing, if it ever does end, are we going back? How is your life different since the pandemic started? <laughs> you know, to be honest, my life is not that different from how it was before. I, uh, in the fall and winter, I was writing a comedy variety pilot for this network called Freeform. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, like a, 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 it's all about women's history. Right. And, and, and so the men on the show history. don't wear underwear. That's why it's called free form. Right. Exactly. It, well, a free ball. That's the, that's the sort of junior network of free form. <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, they were going to call it the Donald ducking network, but <laughs> there was a copyright issue with Disney. Actually mm-hmm. free form is owned by Disney. Everything's owned by Disney. What is it? I'm owned by Disney at this point. Yeah, yeah. Which is a terrible investment on their part. (laughs) (laughs) What they do Um, is they get us young, Disney. Yep. And then they keep us young. And they just infantilize us until we're back to being infants again, just senior citizens who can't fend for ourselves. That's. I have to say, my my parents were never... uh, really into getting us Disney stuff or, or, you know, we, we, we never went to Disney world or Disneyland. Like we just were not part of that whole thing. Yeah. Me neither. When I was growing up, he was an anti-Semitic red baiting capitalist, Mm. but you know, we raised the kids. My kids were raised at Disneyland. It was the easiest. Yeah. It was the easiest way to be a hero with them. So you were working we have Frank Conniff joining us. TV's oh, Frank. Yay! TV's Frank Conniff will be joining us shortly, unless I disconnected him, which I think. Oh I no! Just here he did. is. I see him. Okay. We're on Zoom right now. Oh, there we go. Hello there, Frank Conniff. Welcome. Frank. Welcome to the Basement Masturbator Show with Colleen Worthman. <laughs> it's great to see you, Frank. Hey, great to see you. How's now I'm happy. I'm Yay. good. Well, can y'all hear me? Oh, y'all. Yeah. Y'all. Okay. So I was asking Colleen how her life is different now that we're in lockup. And I should mention that we're not quarantining. We, the three of us. We're not what? That, we, that the three of us are not self-quarantining. We're actually in lockup for securities fraud. But that's a whole other story for a different show. Right. You were writing on a variety show yeah. for Freeform. I, I was actually the showrunner, quote unquote, but like while you're writing a pilot, you're just basically writing. So it's not really like show running. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like you're in charge of a big team. I mean, it was basically me and the host who's this wonderful uh, performer named Laura Bell Bundy. Super funny. She starred in uh, Legally Blonde on Broadway. That's how oh, a right. lot of people right. know her. Now, for my listeners, you know, I don't want to get a little too inside baseball, but for my listeners, tell us what work means. A lot of us don't know what that means. What does work actually mean? Uh, Well, for for work, uh, writing a pilot, it's kind of like 
deciding what you want to be in it, first of all, like, is it going to be sketches? Is it going to be interviews? Is it going to be uh, field pieces? Like, no, I meant uh, like work. Like, what does that mean? What does the, what does a job actually mean? What does that mean? For my, you're going way too deep into the weeds. Oh, you mean for the unemployed, like for the losers Just who listen for, to the show? For 99% of us, what is it? What do you mean by the <laughs> word job? It means you get paid to do stuff like uh, use your mind or body for a purpose that some other people find useful. I so, I, uh, David, I apologize. I was getting way ahead of way ahead, way ahead of your audience. Right. I'm I'm working so little now that it's it, it, it <laughs> feels it feels like my career, which is really. <laughs> I'm working so little. We're, we we finished the pilot early. We handed it in two weeks early because they were so happy with it. And then they were like, okay, we're going to be making the decision, you know, fairly shortly. And then the COVID fucking thing hit. And now everything is in limbo. We don't know what's happening. So I spent the time that I was writing the pilot basically here in my apartment and, you know, texting and phoning with our hosts. And now I'm just basically watching programs. I'm making some food sometimes. Now you have wanderlust. Every job you have, you always make sure to take advantage of your time off to, to travel. What are you, how do you scratch that itch now, your wanderlust? Well, can I tell you, uh, right after we handed in our script early, I got in touch with my sister, who is a flight attendant for Delta, and I said, hey, I got out two weeks early. Do you want to do something? And she had time off, and she was like, yeah, let's go. And we went to Southeast Asia. We went to Thailand and Cambodia and Vietnam for three weeks. Now, when you bring home the coronavirus from there, does it go through the duty free? <laughs> do you have to declare it? How does it? How expensive is the? Well, my, at my at my age, I am always duty free. <laughs> <laughs> I'm duty full. I have I am like up yes. to my lips in poo poo. Uh-huh. Um, no, but what I did was I breathed into a container. Mm-hmm. And then I just put a lid on it and I labeled it coronavirus. And I, you know, I would just come up to people like I was sort of a roving sample giver at like Costco. And then people breathed it in. They licked the edges of the container. <laughs> Sometimes they would just like smear their whole hands around and then like wipe it on their children and, and spouses, even strangers. Uh-huh. It was great. It was so much fun. Frank, on a flight, what would you rather be sitting next to? A person coughing the coronavirus onto <laughs> you or somebody clipping their toenails? I <laughs> I would prefer oh. the coronavirus to somebody clipping oh, their toenails. Oh, well, I'm, I'm usually the toenail clipping guy. <laughs> <laughs> I can't be too judgmental about that. My whole thing on a plane is... I just have to have an aisle seat. That's all I care about. Me too. And, I'm aisle all day. Because if you're on a long flight, you got to drink some water, you got to go to the bathroom. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so that's my main priority. And, and, and I, I might have um, um, experienced uh, the work of your sister because uh, Delta is the, the, the airline that I fly on all the time. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, her name is Ingrid. She looks just like me, except she has light blonde hair. Oh, okay. Ingrid? Yeah. A flight attendant named Ingrid. Ew, Imagine David, you the, look way too horny. Imagine the possibilities, <laughs> Matt. Gross. 
Where does she fly out of? Uh, her hub is Minneapolis, St. Paul. Wow. Oh, so she lives in Minneapolis? Yeah. Oh, well, actually, she lives in St. Paul, but. Oh, yeah, yeah that's great. Yeah. Now, Frank? Yes. How are you holding up? I'm doing fine. I mean, um, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going for walks every day, which I've been told is, is okay. It's, I'm allowed to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been doing that and then just, um, you know, just social distancing. So my life is no different than it ever was. <laughs> and you've been producing yeah. social distancing porn. What exactly is social distancing porn? I <laughs> Um, it's, it's, um, it's where the, uh, the TV repairman, um, uh, just doesn't come through the front door. Does everything outside. <laughs> how, how does he repair the TV? He, um, uh, it's, it's very difficult. He actually, <laughs> it, that's why it's very unsatisfying as porn because, um, <laughs> I know that when I when I see those kind of porns, I it oh when, whenever the TV doesn't get repaired, I lose, <laughs> I lose my boner. So, what about uh, what if we invent a game show where you put masks on your partner and uh, then you mix it all up? You have like a key party, uh, and you don't know who you're having sex with, and you have to guess who your sexual partner is like everybody you look at everybody. Wait, then you but put can a, you see their body and listen to their voice? It's a game show. And okay. you, you, so everybody comes out naked and Ugh. then we put burlap sacks <laughs> on their entire body and just two holes for the eyes and okay. one, one for the you mouth. You said masks. I thought it would be a little more, you know, yeah, that's very elaborate. similar to the, the mask. It sounds Guantanamo-ish. Yeah. Uh, uh, Donald Trump, who has experience as a game show host, is hosting the newly dead game. <laughs> Where he uh, he stands over their coffin and berates yeah. them for catching coronavirus. Nope. Exactly. <laughs> what are we looking at a year from now? What 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 what? I mean, it is conceivable. For example. Not to paint a horrible picture, but I had I had a little trouble with my neighbor the other night. Oh yeah, thought, just a little trouble. Why? Because you were standing outside his window masturbating again. But there was six <laughs> feet. There was six feet. <laughs> it's so socially responsible. Yeah, okay. I thought I, I get along with my neighbor, but suppose I didn't. You can't call the police for anything. How? Why? How many days? Huh? Why can't you call the police for anything in your neighborhood? It's like considered taboo. Why would you call the, like the, the half, like 20% of the police have the coronavirus here in New York city. They're oh, being, they do? Su- they're being sucker punched. They're dealing with all. I mean, they're going to call up because my neighbor doesn't like me blasting my, uh, my stereo. I mean, you can't call the p- domestic violence issues are unresolved. Yeah, domestic violence is up now, yeah. um, which is very disturbing. Yeah. Yet unsurprising, sadly. Yeah. What are we looking at as a nation? I mean... I don't fucking know. I do not know. Yeah, I, could, I couldn't tell you. A year from now, who knows, you know? Um, I just hope uh, 
there's a different precedent and, um, and things are better than they are now. I don't know what else, uh, but there's no way of predicting what it's going to be like. Um, if Trump is reelected, it, it basically means the end of democracy and the end of civilization as we know it. And I'm not, uh, that's not a, an exaggeration, I don't think, to say that. I think his reelection means the end of America. And we turn into the Latin American country that I don't used know. To he's already, the already, he's already, you know, very close to authoritarian um, rule. So, um, uh, so it would be just disastrous if that happened. So let's hope that doesn't happen. Right, and we all have to rally around Joe Biden. Um, yeah. Yes, we do. Colleen. Yes. Joe Biden, of all the candidates running. You know, Demo- I've never had major issues with Joe Biden. I just haven't. I've always liked him. Um, was he my top choice? No. As we discussed however long ago, I was a Warren supporter. I, I still like her a lot, and I'm sad that she's not the nominee because I thought she had a lot of great ideas, and I'm sorry for all the Bernie people who put so much faith and energy into him that that weirdly sputtered out, you know, at the polls. Um, I can't say I'm terribly surprised because I think the majority of Democratic primary voters are not as liberal or, let's say, left right. as uh, as Bernie supporters are. But um, I listen. I, <laughs> I would vote for a fucking potato with eyes all over it on a skateboard. I mean. It's frustrating because as a New York Democrat, my vote doesn't matter. Like, New York is neon blue. It doesn't matter. Which doesn't mean I won't vote. I believe in the process and I believe in everyone's right and duty, more importantly than a right, a duty to vote. But, uh, you know, I, I just hope that people across the country who are on the left-ish side, but on the lazy left, mm-hmm. don't say, oh, fuck it, it doesn't matter, Biden sucks, Trump sucks, whatever, and and don't vote. All right, let me I ask you. State, let, let, I hope yeah. in the eight states that actually matter to an election, that people aren't completely stupid and lazy and ignorant. <laughs> That's all I can yeah. hope for. Let me, yeah. let me ask Frank about what you just said, because that was very interesting. Colleen said duty twice. Uh, Do you think she was taunting you when she said <laughs> duty twice? I mean, um, had she said it once, that would have been like, she didn't realize. It, it might have been a Freudian slip because my diaper is full. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I, I, well, she wasn't taunting me. If, if that was her intention, um, I love the word duty. I, I can't hear it enough. So you can say it as many times you want around me. It's a great word. I've loved that word since I was four years old. So, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, and, and and it's kind of a duty as you get older to have a duty. Yeah. It is your duty. It, it, the whole day like, revolves around it. I always like poopy the best. Mm-hmm. P-O-O-P-I-E. Yeah, because a, you've got poo and pie together. Yeah. Or P-O-O-P-E-E. You know what I used to do to my kids when they were really young? I would don't tell us. 
I would scream, put it in ice. We have to take it <laughs> and you to the hospital and see if they can reattach. <laughs> real? <laughs> put it in ice. <laughs> That's so good. That's so funny. I, no, I, I didn't do that. Oh, I, I wish you had. I do too. I do too. Aww. Talk me into Biden, guys. Here's, here's the deal. I know that I have to support Biden. I know that. But I have a visceral hatred for Joe Biden because I'm a big believer. Oh, yeah. I, I think he's, I don't want to, and that's the other thing. In a time of war, you can't criticize the president. It's considered unpatriotic. And there's an expiration well, I, date. I don't agree with that. Well, if you, if you have a visceral hatred of uh, Joe Biden because you're such a Bernie supporter, um, I would remind you that one person who doesn't have a visceral hatred of Joe Biden is Bernie Sanders, That's who true. has worked with him for years and who likes him a lot, and who was actually people within his own campaign wanted him to criticize Biden more than he did, but uh, but he didn't want to. So um, um, I, I say to all Bernie supporters, uh, you know, take your cue from Bernie. Bernie is supporting Biden. And uh, um, well, I want to thank you for that, because now I have a visceral hatred for Bernie Sanders as well. well yeah, so thank I mean, I, there are people <laughs> who, you know, who do think Bernie was a sellout or whatever. But 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 that's just crazy. You know, right. I Colleen, mean, you're right, Frank. You're right. How is Bernie a sellout? What? <laughs> that's so like 19 year old, like dorm room, late night jerk off. Yeah. Analysis. Like what? Ugh. I'm joking well, about they, Bernie being a sellout. I'm just joking. Oh, okay. But talk me into voting for Biden because I don't. I don't. You know what? Uh, I, I am not going to spend one moment talking someone into voting for Biden. If you um, are a, a, a Democrat, if you're like a Bernie supporter and you're not going to vote for Biden, um, I, I, I'm. I don't have time for that shit anymore. You know, it's like you're, you're helping Trump. You're not, you're, you're, you're taking the electoral process uh, into the um, category of narcissism where it's all about yes. you know, your needs and your concerns about your integrity or whatever. And, uh, uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna uh, have a debate about it. With I used to debate about that stuff online years ago uh, about Hillary with Bernie supporters, hey. and I'm just done. I'm just done with that. Uh, if you're not gonna vote for Biden, then 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 don't fucking vote for him. But I'm not gonna waste a minute trying to convince people who aren't thinking of anyone other than themselves in this whole thing. Colleen? And I mean you specifically, David. Well, I'm voting for Biden. I said I would vote uh, for Biden. Right. The thing I'm worried about, and I want Colleen to respond to this. Okay. I can only trash Biden, I feel, for another week, and then it becomes problematic because Trump is so far worse that it's almost unseemly to hate and despise Joe Biden now, even though I think he is the worst possible choice for the Democrats, the worst possible. Um, I don't think he's the worst possible. <laughs> I don't think he 
is the magnetic ooh la la candidate that many Dems were hoping for. That said, um, I think that perfect is the enemy of the good. And uh, if people want to be sour, now's the time to get the yayas out and then buckle the fuck down and get over themselves. Right. Frank, what do you think is the biggest issue facing this country? Uh, obviously, the coronavirus. The coronavirus, but- I would say uh, health care um, and, uh, and, and tied into health care, uh, reproductive rights. Yes. Um, Thank you, Frank. So uh, I think those are, you know, and along with a lot of other things, of course. But. And when you say reproductive rights, my right as a male to have a woman to conceive with, is that what you mean? <laughs> yes. it's, it's all about your jizz. <laughs> it's what it's all we about. hold jizz truths to be self-evident. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Colleen, I, I know this is an insulting question. Uh, why, is, why? Why am I an ugly hag? <laughs> yeah, well, I didn't want to put it that way, but since she brought it up, yes. <laughs> no, why? <laughs> By the be, grace of God, everybody has their own thing, and to be honest what? with you, my, yeah, their thing. It's you know, that's what the kids say. My thing is Medicare for all. And oh, as, right, right. And Frank has pointed out, and my daughter has pointed out, you cannot separate reproductive rights from Medicare for all. I feel that reproductive rights falls under the umbrella of Medicare for all. But because I'm a man, and I I have to point that out that I'm a man. Uh, I mean, I, I wasn't sure. Yeah. Well, so explain why reproductive rights is so important. I, I get it, but I, I want to hear it. Well, I mean, in what sense? In, in terms of like a rubric under which to discuss nationalized medicine? or well, we, well, you know, we have to prioritize as people and a nation. And it, you know, Bernie prioritized <clears throat> Medicare for all. He was right. obviously pro-abortion, but his priority was Medicare for all. And right. for Frank to... to mention reproductive rights at the top of his list. Why is that at the top of some people's list as opposed to other issues? Because the right and the religious right have been extremely skillful at slowly, gradually chipping away at state laws for decades now. They're, they're, their, their game is better than ours. Their game is stronger than the left. Frankly, uh, reproductive rights are cheap. Uh, Medicare for all is a much more expensive proposition. Right, right. And abortion is maybe 600 bucks. But right. Medicare for all covers comas. It covers uh, transplants, really, really expensive operations and rehabs and all kinds of things. Like, frankly, reproductive health and reproductive rights are a fucking bargain. Well, maybe I'm being serious. Maybe Republicans. Let me finish one second. A pack of birth controls, of subsidized birth controls right now is around 25 bucks a month, which for low-income people is a lot. And usually for low-income people, it's free. Now, if you have somebody on birth control who's taking the pills correctly once a day and not skipping or 
messing it up. It's about 98, 99% effective, right? Mm -hmm. That means they're not going to have an an unwanted pregnancy. That means they're not going to have a child they can't afford and have to go to an emergency room and go into labor and have a $20,000 price tag or $30,000 price tag attached to that birth, right? And to say nothing of the 18 years of expenses that that child will incur as just a living human being. So I think Medicare for all is a, a hugely expensive proposition that involves insurance. It involves <laughs> um, <clears throat> entire networks of doctors and hospitals. And it just, it's a much bigger proposition, but reproductive rights are things that, uh, everyone deserves as human beings. Men, the abor- women. thing that, that the Republicans are most intent on destroying yeah. over, over everything. Yeah. So, so on the other side of it, that has to be a priority for progressive people. That has, it has to be up on the top of the list because it's on the top of their list of, yeah. of what they want to destroy. Mm-hmm. If abortions cost more than $600, would Republicans be for it? If it was a profit center for hospitals, yes, then Republicans they would, be, would for be for it, right? Yeah. Well, so I we think have they're to- all in their own personal lives. They're all for it. I, oh, think yeah. of, I don't think any of them would hesitate to, if they got one of the women they were having an affair with um, pregnant, they wouldn't hesitate. And I'm sure they have on many occasions um, – um, impregnated women who had abortions. I'm sure, oh, it's, I'm sure it's happened to Donald <laughs> Trump many times. You know, they're not against it uh, in a practical sense. They're just no. in a political sense. They're against even it. in an economic sense. Uh, legal, readily available abortions are great for any country's economy. That's yeah. why all other uh, so-called. Uh, highly developed nations have free, easy access to abortion, except for Ireland, which is finally fucking getting there. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and when you say well, it's, it's different- almost as if the Irish have a weird attitude about sex. <laughs> <laughs> when you say a highly developed nation, you're talking about one whose testicles have dropped. Yeah. Okay. I don't know what that meant. The, uh, Are you still up there, like up in your, you're like duodenum or whatever. I'm sorry. Are your testicles like up in your duodenum or whatever? Well, they've they've descended along with everything else in my life. <laughs> my so my testicles my testicles uh, just descend on New Year's Eve. That's <laughs> <laughs> at the stroke of midnight my, is when yes. they uh, mine so, is chafe against my taint. Uh, Matain't wasn't he a senator from it's almost impossible to get an abortion in some states right now yes yep and uh, it's almost impossible for Frank and I to get a woman knocked up so that's probably I mean that was ever thus ever thus ever thus (laughs) before you go and by the way this is fantastic I have two questions I want to wrap this up with and I'm I'm keeping it short so you guys will want to do this more often listen I'll come on and join you anytime I miss you I love you both and I really enjoy talking with you let me ask you 
I would love to come back, but I'm only available uh, between now and next February. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Zoom and the virtual meeting. Yes. Right now we're enjoying this because it's efficient. Yes. And can, and I, can I just, David, I, I just want to say to all the BMs who are listening that uh, David has – uh, somehow employed some sort of video art so that he his, his avatar is that of a, a potato, but it has his eyes and mouth underground, and it is the cutest thing. It's so funny. I love it. I'm a talking potato. Yeah. Yes. Which, I, I, and as, you know, Frank and I are both Irish, so I feel that that was very kind of you. It was, indeed. Yeah, but if I had... Done it with a perhaps a, a little egg. Let's talk to Frank. Huh? Hey, Frank. Wait, is that your Irish accent? Yeah, it's my Irish, bro. That's like it's, Swedish Chinese. No, it isn't, you <laughs> motherfucker. I, I, I'm going to punch you right through this fucking screen. And it's, that's my Irish, bro, you Oof, fucking That was asshole. rugged as hell. Yeah. I don't have an Irish uh, accent, but I try to overcompensate for it by being really horrible towards women. <laughs> Mission accomplished. Well, before you guys go, Zoom, yes. what is the future here? What are we looking at in terms of doing shows, stand-up, television? What, what is Zoom? Somebody's going to figure Zoom out. Or maybe not, but somebody's going to figure out Zoom for Zoom's sake and make it great, uh, right? Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I was told uh, um, by someone I was skyping with yesterday who didn't want to go on Zoom because it was a private conversation. Uh, she said that Zoom has has big privacy issues, yeah, and, and that it's very easy to eavesdrop on a Zoom conversation. Which, right. There's uh, been all the all those like incidents of quote unquote Zoom bombing, like that horrible story about the guy who was doing his uh, oral arguments for his dissertation, and he's mm -hmm. black, and like somebody Zoom bombed his oral argument and put like N words all over it. It, it was just like there's been tons of incidents like that, yeah. like weird trolls, like 4chan people. So I guess they have to figure figure that out. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, in our case, you know, we're publicity horse so we'll let anybody listen in on what we're saying but right. uh, for this for this thing at least it's going to be broadcast anyway um so um so yeah uh, uh, other than that i mean i i know that um um you know people are doing stand-up shows online and stuff and uh I, but uh, but i i as is always the case with technology and myself i i don't know quite how that works and i'm really behind the curve on ev on everyone i'm so behind the curve i can't flatten it um <laughs> uh so and i don't know how uh i don't know how these stand-up shows that people are doing like when there's no audience that just must be uh i mean it would make it seem like a regular show of mine for one thing but, uh, <laughs> Um, so I'm, I'm not the guy to ask about it because I'm always the last one to figure any of that stuff out. But we're doing, see, uh, the, the, benefit of do, the benefit of doing this show from Liberty University. 
is we've got some, you know, an audience filled with crazy Christians and, you know, they don't, they got God on their side, so we can, we can congregate. But the rest of you, what about bringing back the sketches <laughs> and doing it like this? Hello. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm, sure, why for, not? I'm for everything, you know, whatever, you whatever is, whatever is a way, any way that people are, um, People are communicating with each other and talking to each other. In this situation, I think it's all positive, you know. And and I, you know, I, we all, I think, have spent a lot of time um, uh, trashing social media and saying how horrible it is and everything. I think in this circumstance, it's been, uh, thank God for it. You know, it's been a great thing that people are able to. Um, either work from home or just be able to video conference with their friends and family. It's it's a blessing. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a blessing that this is the only way you can see your family. <laughs> Sorry, mom. Can't make it. I mean, are you, what is the best part? Last question. We'll start with Colleen, and then we'll go around the horn. Uh, <laughs> this is like a big, what has been the best part of sheltering in place? Well, I think it's feeling like. It's a hard question. Since everything, I'm trying to figure out how to articulate it right I kind of feel like uh, like it's summer and I'm a kid again. Like, I don't have anything to do. Right. You know, I, I right. can't do anything that ordinarily in my life I would like to do, like worry about my fucking career or whatever stupid shit. Right. Um, and since it's indefinite, I've been able to sleep a lot. I've been able to have dreams like I haven't had in months and months and um, just enjoy uh, like doing puzzles, doing crosswords or, or other kinds of puzzles or room escape games and things that I really enjoy doing that just sort of activate my mind or really enjoy things without the notion that I'm somehow just killing time. Like, Truly, this is the time to to embrace do nothingness and idleness and daydreaming. And I, I feel like in in our world, there's so much, you know, scrolling through everything and liking this and right. noting that and blah 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 blah. That you can just slow down your mind, and slow down uh, your ideations and your noticings, and kind of have that artist eye become the main thing. Right. I know that sounds fruity, but I really do mean it from my heart. I think this is a wonderful thing to be forced to pause from the normal grind that we sort of just fall into. Right. Right. Frank and I were rummaging through a dumpster outside Walmart looking for expired meat. And I know. And thank you so much for finding me. I've been in there for like, <laughs> <two years. laughs> and that, you're, and you're a good mom. That kid looked healthy. Uh, usually. Thank you. No, that was actually ahead of rotting lettuce. Oh, oh, okay. But I turned. <laughs> I mean, to I did name him Thomas, but. 
<laughs> Frank and I turned to each other at the same time and said, you know, this pandemic's a gift, isn't it? It's just it's get, Otherwise, back. I would have never learned how to make a, a mini skirt out of rotting Oscar Mayer package uh, cellophane. <laughs> <laughs> Frank, what's the best thing about this pandemic for you? Um, well, um, um, it, it's taken all the guilt out of masturbating, mm-hmm. but, but you wanted to hear one of the good things about it. You know, <laughs> now masturbating is ruined for me. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I'm sure one of the BMs can give you some tips. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I don't, uh, uh, um, there is kind of the sense like I'm off the hook in a way, like, like I'm kind of just feeling what Colleen was saying. Uh, um, you know, there's no pressure now. Oh, I've got to get out and accomplish something. I, I'm doing, uh, uh, I'm on behalf of society. I'm not accomplishing anything. I'm staying inside. And, You're right. You know, um, so I think there's that, but, um, but I, I think the challenges of it are, um, uh, you know, much uh, like supersede that. Um, I, I think, and I'm, I'm being very serious right now, is that um, my experience um, with depression in the past um, is, is, is helping me now because I, I kind of, I think back of, of, of getting through those things it makes me feel like like getting through this thing is a possibility because um, I've actually had periods in my life where where I where I felt much worse than I feel right now. Like ba- basically, um, in a you know uh, in a prison of my own making, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and and I came through those times, and and so I've been able to use the tools that I've learned from that, like just kind of trying to live one day at a time and not uh, the one thing I really actively try not to do is, is think about the future at all because it's overwhelming and it's terrifying. So um, what I've learned from, from my past uh, in, in being depressed and being in 12 step programs is just focusing on today, one day at a time, just deal with what's going on today. And then tomorrow uh, dealing, uh, you know, waiting till tomorrow, till I deal with tomorrow. And that's, that's for me, that's very helpful. And if I could offer up a suggestion to the listeners, how I'm getting through this and it works for me. And that is, you know, we're all isolated. We're social animals. And the best way to feel connected is to keep CNN and MSNBC on all the time. Just have those two networks blasting <laughs> at you round the clock. Even when you're asleep, just have Rachel Maddow and Larry O'Donnell just blaring into your eyes and ears. And they're your friends and they'll keep you yes. company through this. It's, it's so soothing and comforting to watch those, uh, yeah. those channels. All right, guys, Absolutely. let's plug some gigs. Where are you going to be performing, Frank? Uh, um, I'm going to be on my uh, fire escape in about two minutes. So okay. Check out that show. And actually and- what I do is I don't know if, if where you live, if it has the 7 p.m. applause for help. Oh, no, yeah. I complained and they stopped doing it. Um, I, I go out on my fire escape and pretend it's for a set I just did. And, <laughs> and I wave to everyone and thank them. 
and tell them, you know, to not forget to tip their waitresses. I, I stood outside the window and told them to keep it down. I'm trying to have a panic attack here. Yes. <laughs> and then I called the hospital and said, can you turn the sirens down? There's nobody on the street. They don't have to be that loud. You're just showing off. This is showboating with the loud sirens. Nobody's getting in their ways. It's a, no. hey, look at me. I'm risking my life to save others. Aren't I a good person? It's virtue signaling. It's exactly. It's virtue signaling. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, you know, let's get through this with a little consideration for others is what I tell the hospital workers. And I, the I do all my virtue signaling in Morse code, which is <laughs> Oh, how retro. Follow like Colleen it. Worthman. How do people spell your, your Twitter handle? Colleen? Oh, okay. It's at C Worthman. That's C W E R T H M as in Mary a is an apple double N like in Nancy. Right. At C Worthman. And, and Frank, I will accept, uh, I will happily accept your tweets on, uh, Ideas for murdering my husband when I lose patience with him. Mm. <laughs> so I can sort of Lacey Peterson him off our terrace. <laughs> Lacey, or, uh, wasn't it the other way around? No, Scott Peter. Lacey well, got. Right, she's the victim. She's so the victim. So I, I would Lacey Peterson Gardner off the terrace. Like, I'll, I'll say, hey, honey, won't it be great if we, like, took our boat onto the terrace? Right. We'll row out onto the middle of our terrace, and then I'll whoop him. Right, and I'll Amber heard you. Right, is that her exactly. name? Amber heard. Who know. was it, who was the girl who fell in love with Scott Peterson? Oh, I don't. Amber remember. Tamblin. Amber, no, not Tiffany Amber Thiessen. Amber somebody. Uh, Tiffany Trump. It was somebody. I don't. I'll know. look it up. Okay. And Franklin, people follow you how? Um, Twitter, Frank Conniff. Facebook, Frank Conniff. Um, Instagram, I believe, is F Conniff. I always say F Conniff. F Conniff. Yeah, a lot of people say that. <laughs> this was so much fun. Stay on the line. Colleen Worthman and Frank Conniff. Thank you. Have you called in your backup econs now? See if we can get some more brain power in this. We thing. got one here. Roger. Fly it in, Go ahead, Cole. Uh, he's, never mind. He's straightening up a little bit. Okay. Okay, now let's everybody keep cool. We got the limb still attached. The limb spacecraft's good, so if we need... Uh, to get back home, we got a limb to do a good portion of it with. Okay, let's make sure that we don't do anything that's going to blow our CSM electrical power with the batteries or that will cause us to lose the main or the uh, fuel cell number two. Okay, we want to keep the O2 and that kind of stuff working. We'd like to have RCS, but we got the command module system, so we're in good shape if we need to get home. Let's solve the problem, but let's not make it any worse by guessing. You're listening to the David Feldman Radio Program, you sad, pathetic hump. This will be our best one. I promise you. Joining us from Tucson, Arizona, is Dr. Jennifer Vertolin. She's the author of two books that you should buy right now on Amazon or Pals or 
Barnes and Noble, Wild Connection, What Animal Courtship and Mating Tell Us About Human Relationships, and Raised by Animals, The Surprising New Science of Animal Aminal, Animal Family Dynamics with Tridome Lessons from the Wild. Go to jenniferverdelin.com and subscribe to her newsletter. And if you want to see Dr. Jennifer Verdelin, subscribe to Wild Connection TV and you can watch her latest YouTube videos. Hello, doctor. Hi, how are you? Well, I'll be honest with you. Uh, <clears throat> Uh, hay fever. That is only yeah. hay fever. So before we started, we should be honest. We should be honest. Honesty. Yeah. There's a little, uh, you know, uh, yeah, right? A little, yeah. It, it, when does this end? I, I want to speak oh, to the. Cor- I want to speak to the coronavirus's manager. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah. David Feldman, and I've put up with enough of this. I want to speak to the manager. Yeah, no, I mean, this is this is the tricky thing, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, and this is sort of what really is getting to me a little bit, you know, aside from just the general isolation, um, <laughs> yeah. is, okay, I'm trying to envision the scenarios under which, what, when do we know it becomes safe, right? And and what does safe really mean uh, going forward? So we don't have a vaccine yet. It's possible there might be some impediments to the development of a vaccine, um, but maybe not. We don't really know. They're just now starting to look at the production of antibodies of folks who um, have, have recovered and I think there was a recent a small sample, at least in New York, where the plasma from from those that have recovered has been used on uh, some patients that were severely ill and they seem to improve, which speaks to the potential. It's, I mean, this is an old strategy, like kind of old, class, old school medicine, um, but clearly can have its place. And but on the flip side, there's another small study that's showing that um, maybe 30% of folks with a mild, you know, or asymptomatic cases don't actually develop any detectable antibodies. And now antibodies are the thing that our body produces in response to some infection. They're right? like proteins in the bloodstream that attack anything that's doesn't belong in your blood. That's right. And it, and it kind of depends whether your, your system launches T cells or B cells or, you know, other, other types of immune cells to combat infection. So it may be just we're not looking for the right antibodies. Or if you have a mild case, you really just don't have to mount a really strong response. Um, but so let me let me ask you: uh, Is a vaccine is a vaccine a vaccine doesn't contain antibodies, correct? Well, so no, but it's supposed to kickstart your body by either either delivering a diluted you know dose or a killed um, killed virus, um, so not live virus, and and then your body responds and, and mounts a massive response. 
and without you becoming ill, and then you have protection. And that protection lasts, you know, is variable depending on the disease. And, uh, you know, so the problem is that if we use a diluted mild version, and but we see in real life that people who get a mild version don't develop antibodies, then the utility of a vaccine in those people or broadly might be, uh, you know, questionable. We don't know. But these right. are things that you know pay attention to, and then uh, we don't know what's causing some people to what we call a cytokine storm. Uh, so essentially, the people who end up on ventilators or with pneumonia um, and their lungs filling with fluid—it's not really the virus itself, but it's the body's response to the virus. So their mm-hmm. immune system goes into overdrive, and essentially attacks itself and so uh and this is just based on you know kind of evidence coming out little by little and then things are changing and now we know it's aerosolized and you know and so to what degree and 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 how easily transmitted and then we know that cats and ferrets are susceptible but dogs pigs and chickens are not and you know is that scaring people and and what does that all really mean and do you have to be afraid of your cat? And the answer to that is no. And does that make dogs better than cats? No. Um, right. You know, and so it's just, um, and then, you know, we hate bats because they give us all these diseases, but we really shouldn't hate bats. And, you know, our, uh, we're losing sight of the bigger picture of what is our relationship to other species to the planet and how can we change our behavior to reduce our risk of this happening in the future. And at the same time, what is the best strategy for us going forward? When will it be safe to go back to some degree of activity and how will we know? Mm -hmm. And if you recover, but you can get infected again, um, you know, what does that mean? So, so there's just, um, gosh, there's just so much uncertainty. Right, well, well, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about immunologic memory and the pathogens entering your bloodstream again and whether or not you have enough antibodies to take it on. In other words, they're, they're saying that if a doctor, nurse, or anybody has been exposed to the coronavirus and recovers, they can then go back into the the workforce or into a hospital Mm -hmm. and not have to wear a mask. But the question is, is your immunologic memory sufficient enough that you can produce the, uh, the antibodies? Uh, These are uh, viruses that cause the flu flus disappear with or without vaccines. So I asked the irritable immunologist, he's a mm-hmm. new guest on our show, what happens to old viruses that don't get killed by, well, we don't really kill viruses, do we? We, we just inoculate against them. That doesn't mean we're killing them. Don't viruses have kind of like a, an expiration date built in? Um, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, actually measles could be a great example of this, right? So, we had eradicated measles in the United States until recently. And 
there's been an effort to try to eradicate it globally, but that's been reversed essentially by um, the anti-vaxxers. Mm-hmm. So, so, so take someone like me. I got my measles, mumps, rubella when I was a kid, uh, young, and then I got a booster. And then when I wanted to go to college, I had to get another booster just because that was the rule. So that was like a long time ago, like 25 years ago. But because I, and, and so in theory, I'm protected, but I'm, but my um, antibodies, the titers, the level of protection that I have is going to decline with time. Now, how rapidly that declines over time depends in large part on the virus. That's why we have, I mean, even if you, so if you get a flu vaccine, even if it's the same strain the next year, you should get the flu vaccine. You can get the same strain of flu more than once in your lifetime, right? And you can get the same cold more than once, but you won't get it necessarily back to back, like within three weeks or six weeks or three months. You might get it again six, eight, ten months later. Um, and so you have limited protection, and so okay. it wouldn't make sense to develop a vaccine for a, a cold, right? <laughs> because it's you're just not going to get the level of protection long term. And the reason why we have flu vaccines is because, you know, and they're recommended for particularly at-risk populations, right? And and, and we're trying to predict. And, and overall, you know, the flu is a pretty dangerous thing for lots of people. It's less dangerous than what we're facing right now, but it's not trivial, right? Right. It's just 20 to 40 times less as, as, as lethal as what we're looking at right now. And so, um, but so because I work with primates, I had to prove that I have sufficient protection against measles before I can work with them, measles, mumps, and rubella. And so about five years ago, I got my blood titers checked, which is going to look for the level of, of um, antibodies that are present and make sure I have enough, as you called it, immunologic memory to, from the vaccination that I got to fight off should I be re-exposed. I never would have considered that I needed another booster, um, even though my, my, my titers were just at you know, like, like just above the minimum. And that was after 20 years. Uh, so, and that's not comparable to someone who's actually had the measles and, and they're usually protected for life. So right. I might've been protected um, for life, but for the fact that people have stopped vaccinating and now you're getting outbreaks and with barely, you know, above the minimum threshold, of, of antibodies, I decided that I should get a booster again. So now, you know, I have a huge response uh, uh, once again. And that means if I encounter measles now, uh, there is no question that I'll be fine, you know, because I got the vaccine just last year. Um, right. Right. I got a booster. So sometimes we need boosters and, and, you know, sometimes you need multiple uh, shots of the same vaccine to build a sufficiently strong 
immune response uh, that will last for a long time. And what we don't know right now is what is the natural. So we know for measles and polio and, and some of those that there's a huge antibody response to the infection. So if you survive it, um, you know, you have uh, a tremendous protection and, and memory for that particular illness. And, and so vaccines are really great for things like that. And, um, and we don't know yet where this coronavirus falls. So how, how good can a vaccine be if you don't develop a massive immune response mm-hmm. that lasts, right? Right. So that means your secondary, if you encounter it again, you, you actually might, you might, your body might respond almost as if it's naive mm-hmm. to the infection. Yeah. There are other um, problems that are, that are coming out of this COVID-19 one is, as you mentioned earlier, uh, a hatred for bats, uh, anti-Asian sentiment, blaming China. I want to talk about that in a second. And they're finding that most of the deaths, something like 90% of the deaths in New York City had an underlying condition. Here's what's happening because of the sheltering in place. People are drinking more. People are smoking more dope. People are eating bad food. So they're creating comorbidities by sheltering in place. And, you know, in the future, I can just see how Republicans think they'll just blame the victims. Well, you shouldn't have gotten fat or you shouldn't have been smoking dope. That's what's killing. It's not the coronavirus. It's your lifestyle. Let's, right. uh, so we should be careful, A, of what, what Republicans say, and also be careful not to drink too much not right. to smoke too much pot and don't eat fat and salty foods. Use this as an opportunity to filter out the, the poisons in your food supply. Well, and I, I also want to point out one thing, which is that that is a very privileged thing though. Also, there's one thing to just kind of recklessly, you know, um, eat poorly when, when you have the means to do better, but, but what we're Seeing in certain places, Louisiana, Alabama, um, Detroit, uh, where we have a great disparity and inequality that pre-exists uh, this particular virus in health outcomes for people of lower socioeconomic status, uh, for people in um, largely African-American communities where they don't get the same services delivered Equitably, they may be more likely to live in a food desert. Which yeah, I mean, they've had to send in the National Guard to help the food banks. We, we cannot feed the tsunami of Americans who, who don't have enough money to, to buy groceries. And, if and even if they did, they don't live in areas where they can get access to high-quality, nutritious food. You know? So have, this is just amplifying right. disparities. And if you're on food stamps... You mm-hmm. can only use them at grocery stores, which helps right. spread the virus. Right. We are not set up to help about 60% of this country. 60% of this country is, is, is vulnerable, and it's going to get a lot, a lot worse. The, the jobless claims soared. I think it's now up to 10 million 
jo- uh, new jobless claims. Uh, we tend to wonder, well, this will be over in a month or two mm. months or three months. If it doesn't end tomorrow, <laughs> right. it's, it's going to get, it's cataclysmic. It's already cataclysmic. I mean, forget what's going on in New York City in the ICUs. They've shut the economy down. Right. And people live paycheck to paycheck if they're lucky. Right. And yeah. I don't think we're, we're, I don't think we're allowed. I know we're not allowed to question the system. We're not going anywhere. We're not changing. I just don't see it. More and more people, I hate to be a doomsayer, but I'm speaking the truth. There's a system in place, an economic system in place that doesn't allow for certain types of change. And it's not going to change. It is People can take to the streets. It won't change. Nothing will change. They'll bail out the banks. They will bail out the, the Fortune 500 companies and hope that that gets to the people living on the streets. But there's no plan to help right. the, the most desperate among us. And that's not going to change because the system won't allow it. Well, this is a, I, I hate to yeah, harp I on this, but this is a system that allows millions of people to die in Iraq for oil. It'll allow millions of us to die to die to to maintain itself. I mean, our system is like a virus; it has to find new hosts and is self perpetuating. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I don't, I don't disagree with with any of that. the The question is, you know, how do we, how do we get out of this uh, situation with this particular? And it's not limited to just the United States. I mean, the whole world really has to answer this question: What happens when we, you know, if we don't have a vaccine, and and maybe we have, maybe you know, it, it, it's uh, it's too early with those small sample sizes, you know, I always think like a scientist, you know, the, the degree of uncertainty around an estimate of anything right now is huge. And mm-hmm. so, you know, there's, there's got to be caution with, you know, science is happening really, really fast, but part of the process of science that a lot of people find uncomfortable, uh, except maybe me as a scientist, is that, that you know, we can, we can get information, we can get data, we can analyze that data, we make some tentative conclusions, and we always have to be ready for that to be turned upside on its head. Mm-hmm. And, and so that, that can make people feel really uncomfortable and, and, and wary and worried about, well, what, what do we listen to? Um, you know, how do we know that this is right and that's not? Or, or you know, there's all these things. So a lot, we can't forget about the as much as we need a, a quick answer that allows us a clear pathway forward and, and maybe, and maybe not, we will address uh, the amplified, you know, because maybe more people are being impacted by these inequalities than are already impacted on an everyday basis in this country. Um, you know, maybe there'll be something that happens. Um, you know, I say vote to register, register to vote early and by mail and absentee ballot wherever possible. Um, you know, just so you don't have to go stand in a crowded line and, 
and, and maybe you're willing to risk it getting sick uh, and, and potentially dying in order to make a change, but you don't necessarily have to. So how about this? Know. I'm just throwing this out there. I'm just spitballing it. And uh-huh. You shouldn't be spitballing without a mask on. <laughs> what would happen if everybody, I'm just throwing this out there. Everybody stopped paying their rent so that uh, the sheriff's office turns into the ICU unit and they're just overwhelmed with uh, evictions. What happens if everybody stops paying their taxes and the IRS turns into an ICU? What if everybody stops paying their student loans and their credit cards and we just go on strike? Well, what would happen? Uh, well, you know, I, I think uh, I, I think that change would happen. Here's the thing: we haven't been able to collectively agree to do that on something as simple as equal pay for equal work uh, for women and, and yeah. underrepresented groups ever. And I, I postulated this idea because this happened in Iceland, um, and recently there was a strike of uh, uh, women in Mexico. Right, where everybody, all the women said, we're not going to work. Now, in Iceland, they did that, and it still took 19 years to have it become law. So, so what you're, the problem with what you're saying is not in its uh, impact if it were done, but the collective agreement is required. Well, nothing's easier to agree on than not doing anything. Well, that's not true. That's not true because there are people who won't sign on board for that. So you won't have unity. And so the idea of also all women should go on strike uh, and just don't go to work. Well, you know, there's going to be some women who will take that job that you just got fired from. Yeah. Because getting paid less. Now, what's interesting is when you look at chimpanzees and capuchin monkeys, Chimpanzees in particular flat out refuse to do equal work for less pay. They just, so they just don't. Same with capuchins, every single one of them. So that's what we're missing is, is unity in response to inequalities. What do you mean? They, Even they, if, what do they do? They rewarded them with yeah. candy? <laughs> no, well, not candy, right? But, but so, for example, um, if you don't know, this is why transparency in pay is important. Uh, so for chimps, uh, let's say they have you do a task and you get a reward. And and let's say your favorite – so I'll use capuchins because I know their favorite reward. Their favorite reward was a grape. Their last favorite reward was something called uh, monkey chow. It's a biscuit. And it's dry and it doesn't taste like much. But, you know, uh, so if you separate individuals and you have them do the same task and you give them both a grape, they're like, cool. I got a grape or you give one of them a biscuit and the other one a grape, but the one who got the biscuit doesn't know that the other one got a grape for the same job, right? They go along happily doing the task. Now, when you put the two of them together and you have uh, one individual, they, they traded tokens. So one gave a token and got a grape. So of course the other one who saw this, fully expected that when they turned over their token, they would get a grape. Mm-hmm. And when they got a biscuit, they threw the, they took the token back and threw it again <laughs> and held out their hand and they got a biscuit again. And they visibly angry, uh, took the token and slammed it into the hand of the, the researcher insisting they get a grape. 
because it's not fair, right? Right. But it's only in transparent systems where uh, that is not tolerated. So what happens in our system currently is you can get paid more for the same job and your pay is concealed from everyone else. And so you don't actually have motivation to change anything unless you think you're the one getting paid less. Mm -hmm. And then the system doesn't support that because it's not transparent. What's cool is I work actually at a, at a university where all salaries are public. And so they you, are, you, you can, I can yeah. check. And I, and they, but they, but guess what? There's pay equality. I mean, it's not perfect. They're working on, on improving it, right? But I've been able to check people of comparable time, gender, um, you know, all of that and go, yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm right in there. So it's cool. There isn't a $20,000 pay gap um, or, or, you know, 13 cents lower on the dollar for right. the same job hired at the same time. You can see the year hired, everything. And right. I, I believe that's the way to go because the bottom line is all of us hate unfairness. We just hate it less if we think we're benefiting from it. Okay. Last question. Let's turn to risk aversion. You mentioned about, I think, 40 some odd years ago, women in Iceland took a, a day off. They went on strike. They refused to cook, clean, watch their children. They refused to show up to work. And it changed how Iceland looked at women. Fast forward to the financial crisis of 2008. Iceland was the first domino to fall. And they did a study and they realized that it was the male bankers in yeah. Iceland who fell prey to the Wall Street predators <laughs> and started lending money on ridiculous real estate ventures in Iceland. And Iceland was the first domino to fall in the 2008 financial crisis. They replaced the leadership in Iceland with women. Yeah. And, and also they, New Zealand now, and you see how well they're doing. <laughs> and they discovered after women took over the banks and the government in Iceland, they made more careful business decisions that they have a women, a built in risk aversion. Whereas men, there's something about testosterone that fires up your animal spirits and wants you to make big bets. Women, they've done studies, are risk-averse. Well, I'm going to challenge you on the testosterone being the driving factor because, um, you know, that, that's an easy um, sort of pitfall to fall into. You know, testosterone makes you behave irresponsibly. Uh, but I think that it's bigger than that. So I think that risks to females are fundamentally different than risks to males. Um, and, and so... We, you know, many social species, uh, females uh, have, have a, a broader, they accumulate more information from multiple sources and integrate that into an assessment of risk. Hmm. Okay. And, and I think that um, males are, you know, potentially, I mean, females are driven also by competition with other females, but they're also at, at great risk from males. So there's multiple threats for females that they have to account for in social situations and interactions. And, and so I think that 
um, you know, I know within females, there are plenty that are also less, less risk averse, but I do agree that in general, I would say that females are do a better job of calculating risk Mm -hmm. and making decisions from that perspective um, where maybe males might be driven by other factors in, in their decision-making. And I don't want to speak too broadly, you know, um, because I think it's so variable. Uh, right? right. But, but what we see is Finland, Iceland, and now New Zealand that is composed largely of female leaders. Boy, they're doing an amazing job <laughs> because females in social systems also rely more heavily on cooperation. They also cooperatively defend themselves against males. They will form coalitions and beat the hell out of a male. Right. And, you know, and so, um, you know, it's, there's high value for cooperative, collaborative interactions among females. So that might be their first go-to is, all right, how do we cooperate? How do we collaborate? Um, it's, it's, you know, I don't want to pigeonhole females as caretakers. That's not it. It's about, it's about the whole nature of the threats and, and risks that they face that are much more diverse. You know, right. most, um, most males don't uh, comprehend when I say, well, I feel anxious going into a parking garage at night. And they're like, why? I'm like, oh, well, because... I'm a target right. like just by virtue of right. being female and they don't understand. They're like, Oh, it never occurred to me. Right. That's right. the privilege of being male. And so, right. so they don't see risk the same way is I think the long, the short way to, to get to what I was trying to say yeah. is that, right. That men and, and women don't see risk the same way. And um, from a financial point of view for much of women's history, uh, our our fiscal survival was inex you know uh, inexplic inex inextricably inextricably yeah yeah <laughs> you that said word. it right I didn't <laughs> uh, um, I wanted to say inexplicably which is also yeah. true yeah that's tied right. right to men you know uh, as a way to control females and so in general potentially and females we know think longer ahead. So they, their planning is at a much longer time scale than men. And so when you combine this sort of different perceptions of risk, uh, fiscal independence that is pr- cherished once it was won, and, um, and long-term planning differences, it's a no-brainer that, that the, they're making better financial decisions, you know, um, at at the level of of the government now that you've got uh, more women in positions of power and, you know, and we're seeing that also show up in New Zealand. I mean, right. Right. Like they they talk about, you know, a beacon of how you, you know, now what happens in the long run when you start opening borders and letting people in. And, you know, I I think that's where this rapid point of care testing, meaning anybody that's going to come into you know, places like that needs to be tested at the airport. Yes. And if you test positive, you know, you got to go into quarantine. So you test a period, you Time know, or out. you leave you can, and go can, back. Me, yeah. You know, <laughs> um, so. To be continued. Let's continue yeah. this. 
Thank okay. you. Dr. Jennifer Verdelin is an internationally recognized animal, animal, I can't, <laughs> I'm an animal behaviorist. And she has two books out that you should read. They are Wild Connection, What Animal Courtship and Mating Tell Us About Human Relationships and Raised by Animals, The Surprising New Science of Animal Family Dynamics with Try-at-Home Lessons from the Wild. Subscribe to Wild Connection TV and see Dr. Jennifer Verdelin. Get her newsletter. Go to jenniferverdelin.com. Sign up for the doctor's newsletter and follow Dr. Jennifer Verdelin on Twitter at Real Dr. Jen. I hope you come back on, what is it? I don't, I've lost, is it, today is Friday. Yeah, so it would be Tuesday, right? Yeah. That's when you would come back. If, yeah, well, yeah. I'd be happy to, so I'm thrilled if you'll have right. me. All right, stand the line for one second. Thank you, doctor. You're listening to The David Feldman Show, you happy, self-actualized hump. Laura House joins us from Hollywood, California. Hello, Laura. Hello. Here I am in Hollywood, California. And we are Zooming. Mm-hmm. I've been trying to get you on the show for a while. You've been busy, but thank God there's a pandemic and <laughs> you can't leave your house. So you have no more excuses and you have to do the show. It's slowing us all down where we can realize the essentials, like podcasts. Yes. And we've run out of excuses for not doing the David Feldman show. <laughs> I, I oddly have still, it's going to wrap up in a week or so, but I've still had a job. So like my, my life, and I, I still write on a UK show. So oh my, my life right. has been uh, extremely the same as it was um six weeks ago, except the grocery store is weird, but otherwise. Well, you, as I recall, were flying to London to work on this show in the past. Yeah, I'm supposed to be in London right now, but I'm not in London. Are you working via Zoom in a writing room? No, it's mostly emails. I guess I could try to make it sound cool that we're in Zoom, but we're not. You're given assignments and you write and then... Yeah, well, I'm um, I'm the boss, so I give the assignments, and they write. No, you're, there's, you're running the show. I'm running the show. Yeah, as of um, thanks for listening. Um, I'm <laughs> yeah, as of this season. Your I'm, management. I'm the showrunner. Yeah, but I mean, I write three of them, and then I oversee the other seven. So it's a yeah. lot of um, yeah, it's cool. It's giving notes to writers, and then I'm like corresponding with the BBC, which feels very fancy when you're like, oh, I'll discuss this story with you, blah, 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 blah. Congratulations. This is, see, this is great news. This is great. Helene Olin, who's a columnist of the Washington Post, did the show on Tuesday, and, and she is adding to her resume. She's editing Partisan Journal. Uh, uh, I, I'm screwing up here. I'll give the... It's a, a, a journal out of the new school. Um, I, uh, but people are getting jobs, and you have a job. Well, I have slash had a job. So we were, we're getting to the end of scripts, and then we will stop. 
like I, I would be flying, I would be in London and then I would be flying to Belfast to shoot the show, which we will not be doing in June. Obviously it's so hard to look at you like this. Why? I know this. It's, it's so just, it's so upsetting how real, how real this is. Josh, who works on this show, made me these lenses that we're going to unveil tonight at 9 o'clock for our Zoom town hall, our office hours that we're doing. Liam McEnany. Oh, right. Yeah, Liam and I are doing a thing called office hours. Invitation only. You got to email the David Feldman Show website, hit the contact button, and ask for an invitation. I have a, a Zoom Pro account, so I can only allow a hundred people into the room. Yeah, like that's going to be a. I, you know, I'm figuring <laughs> we'll get like twenty. If we're lucky, we'll get twenty-five. People. What if you just have like a pandemic surge of fans? I don't know if I can handle it. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I can handle a hundred people in the same room. Let's talk about this for a second because Laura, Laura I just, is not. I just have to say that so you have meant so I know people are just listening to this, but you right. mentioned a, a lens that someone made, and it is making you look like a person who makes my stomach hurt so much. But then you're, but like even your mannerisms. All right, I switched to a new lens. All right, I better I guess. <laughs> so if you join our Zoom meeting Friday night at nine, you will uh, see my home studio, which isn't much. It's just basically my desk. And then I hide. I don't spoil anything by saying what this is, but this, this is shocking. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I know. I know. I know. It's, it's pretty bad. It's, uh, it's bad and great. And if anyone, if you have ever listened to David Feldman in your life, you have to watch this. Like I'm going to call and go, Oh, it just gets better and better. I'm going to call. This is pre- this one's pretty good, right? It's they're all each one's better than the last David. Okay. This it, it <laughs> just got somehow more upsetting. <laughs> I can't. All right. All right. Yeah. I know these are, I'm having reactions to visuals that people can't see. I yes. just, please know in the horror of my voice, what is what is happening over do you here? want an invitation to the zoom meeting so this is let me talk I do, to you and this. i want to say i want to i will say this right now so i'm looking at david Feldman. i don't want to give it away but i'm looking at david and he has the most horrific looking it's sort of a mask thing on and it's still not as disturbing as the first one that he had yeah this is true i agree with he you. had on who was a real person right okay so we're doing it. Let's talk about the Zoom meeting that we're having Friday night at nine. It's invitation only, Office not to sound like a snob or anything. I just can only accommodate. No, so you have people. to now with the Zoom bombing and whatnot. Yeah. Bombing is a strong word for it. Well, with me, it's everything is bombing with me. Yeah. For you, Zoom bombing is it's a whole other thing. I was talking with some friends about this. Like, what do you want this first Zoom meeting to be? My mind always goes into, let's put on a show. We'll do a late night show and we'll have oh. all the guests. And 
And then I thought, okay, well, well, slow down here, Buster. Just have a Zoom meeting with some of your listeners and Mm -hmm. let it evolve. Let it take on its own character. And don't try to make it something different from Zoom. You're going to let people talk to you to your face? Yes, I'm going to do Leah McEnany. Good luck. Leah McEnany and I do a a segment on the show called Listener Questions. Mm -hmm. And it's my favorite segment because it's a train wreck. I'm I'm your favorite segment, but also, okay. You're my favorite guest. Oh, I see. (laughs) Elman with the save. How about that? That was pretty good on my part. But uh, by, uh, the segment that I enjoy the most is it's listener questions because I get to kind of meet the people who mm. listen, you know, and, and Liam. So, and then so Zoom. People, people in prison can Zoom? <laughs> yes. That was a put down. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> and uh, <laughs> so I thought, just do Zoom. Don't. Mm. Don't record it for the podcast. Don't put it on YouTube. Let it just be Zoom. Let it be in the moment like a live comedy show, right? All right. I think that's a mistake, but okay. Why? Record it just in case. Yeah, but I should cater to the moment. You teach transcendental meditation, don't you? I teach something similar. You're an expert on transcendental <laughs> meditation. A, yeah, it's something I do, yeah. Okay. I'm an and how, how would people contact you if they wanted? Oh, are, are you making me leave? No, no I'm people, saying if... People if, find if, me through you on Twitter. I'm Laura House. And uh, my website, laurahouse.com. I'm very easy to find. <laughs> Anywhere it's I'm Laura House or laurahouse.com. And if... Through Zoom, I would assume Zoom. I would assume you mm-hmm. could do transcendental. What what, what do you call? It? Uh, well, first of all, I teach. Uh, I don't teach transcendental. It's a trademark term, and I'm not associated with. I don't. I I can't. Legal, that's not what I do. What do you um, teach? Uh, I teach something called Vedic meditation, and it is a. Um, a specific technique similar to transcendental and there's a mantra and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, Vedic meditation. Oh, Vedic meditation. I can't. Um, <laughs> Go on. <laughs> I, no one can see this and it's, it's unbelievable what David is doing. Okay. If they join my zoom meeting Friday night at nine, also, they can also the, the thing that you just had, I was going to say makes you look younger, which is very weird, very yeah. weird. That it's like good for your skin. Yes. Um, this not, this not as much. Okay. Right. Um, Go on. T- t- talk to me about Vedic meditation. Oh, I see what you're doing. Um, <laughs> it's a technique that puts your, uh, mind at rest, mm-hmm. and when your body, uh, your mind is at rest, and then your your, I don't know what it does, David. Right. <laughs> so, is anyone else finding it hard to concentrate during the pandemic, and then also while you're changing outfits? I'm the master of disguise. I, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> Weird. All right, every seriously. Now, 
I can't, I can't not do this Friday night. This is insane. Um, yeah, meditation's good. You know what I've also been doing? So I do teach a proper form of meditation. Um, but I also, uh, well, they're all proper, I guess, whatever. I'm rambling. I can't, because nobody can see what you're doing. So I sound like an idiot. All right. He keeps changing these weird. Don't. Instagram looking mask thing. Ugh. Okay. I re- I restarted my podcast because um, people had requested. So I have a podcast called Will You Med With Me? And mm-hmm. I just, I, I meditate and you can med with me. That's the gist of it. Mindful meditation. You don't have to know how to meditate or anything. I'm just, you know what? I'm just going to. Stop. I'm just going to look away. <laughs> but you can't. I you can't. cannot look away. I can't, and I don't want to, and then All I right. want to, and then I can't. All right. So uh, now let me ask you. Now, I do want to say, so we're on Zoom talking, and I can see you. I am judging you by what I see directly behind you. Okay. Has anyone else, and I guess in a way, like, I am speaking <laughs> – to listeners through you. Mm-hmm. Is anyone else noticing this in the Zoom? Like one of the one of the fun things about Zoom meetings are you're seeing people's little habitat. Like we're all like kind of zoo animals on the Zoom thing of like, oh, this is just I have this little pen that I'm in. This is what this wall looks like. Oh my right, God. Right. So what's driving you crazy? My vertical blinds? <laughs> um, no, it's just a, ju- a judgment. It's not even a critical ju- It's like, oh, that's interesting, the, a floral print um, chair that you're on. I, I wouldn't have suspected. And, um, oh, look, some, oh, a music stand that looks like, mu- oh, okay, you look like a rich guy back there. I go, oh, that's a rich. That guy really? Guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I look rich. It's it's nicer than some I've seen. Like, look at mine. Looks like the corner of a garage or something. It's just that the really? stuff I look at in my office is not what you're looking at. And I moved. I mo- like I moved my corkboards because I was like, all my dumb ideas were just sitting there for people to be distracted by. Uh, okay, I I'm it's in my apartment. You didn't think about pre-pandemic. Oh, what wall of the house should I sit in front of to talk to people? Right. Right. It's how we present ourselves. I mean, I'm trying to show my best version. I could turn the camera and you could see the blood stains on the wall and say free text Watson, but we don't want to do that. Well, or why are you hiding yourself? That's who you are. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess for legal reasons, I cannot believe you're doing what you're doing to me and no one else can see it. You're just torturing me with your weird. Yeah. I can't even say, I don't want to give it away, but I can't. Here's what I know not to do. Here's what I know not to do is to hold up filthy, disgusting messages while you're conducting a zoom to try to make people laugh with messages. Oh, did you learn that the hard way? Yes. Because somebody (laughs) was videotaping and I didn't know it. Oh, wow. And I thought, well, if this gets into the wrong hands, uh, uh, you know. I I, try- here, yeah, go ahead. Uh, here's something. Uh, I want By the to- way, this will be a great way, Zoom, 
will be the new Twitter when it comes to career destruction. Oh, oh, destruction. This is be that we will find in a month comedians' careers destroyed because of something they did on Zoom. Oh, yeah, maybe. Um, I, I like to do bits on Zoom. Like, um, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go get that. I'll be right back. It's, it's in the basement. Yeah. Hang on. I, I can't see you. See, because it was like I was. Oh, do it again. Do it again. I'm sorry. (laughs) Okay, go ahead. Or you go, oh, I'll take the elevator. And then you just, I didn't set up my chair, but you just. Oh, that's funny. (laughs) Then you go down. Yeah, we're we're not being fair to the audience. No, we're not. But they can understand this. I had, my birthday was March 20th. So I was going to have a party. And then I didn't because we you, we would all get we would all get sick, so um, I had a Zoom party, and we made it. I had people make it a surprise party by just going out of camera, and then I did right. a fake. I did a fake walk in, like, "Oh, your mom's on Zoom. Okay, great, Brian. We'll I'll go talk to your mom." And then everybody jumps into the camera and yells, "Surprise!" That's something That's everybody funny. can do. It's super fun. We actually did it again later because it was a real high point of most people's week. <laughs> so what happens? Uh, you know, where, where do you what do you see Zoom turning into? It's got to become something. Now people are going to say, "Oh, you know, Skype has gotten better because of Zoom, and you should do Google Hangouts." The thing with Zoom is, for some reason, everybody is able to use it, any well, age. I- so. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I know that uh, I tr- we were punching up a script last night and a writer tried to use Google Hangouts, but he could only have 10 people. So that was one of the reasons he switched to Zoom. So, oh, so you were, are using Zoom for your job? I use it. Well, I was just helping someone as a favor punch up. It wasn't job related. but Oh, I see. But technically, I guess. Yeah. Um, I cannot believe what I'm having to look at while I speak with you. Um, <laughs> All right, I'll uh, change it. Uh, it's not <laughs> going to be better. I'm so upset with whatever's coming. No, it's going to be here. You take requests? Yes. So if there are any fans listening, then you will have to do this. <laughs> they can see it at the Zoom meeting. This office hours thing. Um, yeah, I think it'll... I well, I keep wondering of like what <laughs> what imprint this whole thing is going to leave on our collective psyche. <laughs> yeah, it we, you know we we rewire our brains through technology. Pornography well, has altered sex. Yeah, but I just mean like the pandemic itself, not just zoom, not the technology of it, but just like how World War people who had been through. Uh, the depression or, you know, like you grew up like, gosh, why does grandma use a napkin 15 times or, you know, right. or, or whatever. Like, I just feel like in 30 years, it'll be like, you know, why grandma won't sit next to anyone on the sofa. What's like, you know, like, what are the things that's. Why it's, is, why is grandpa David things? washing his toilet paper? Yeah. <laughs> what are the things that are going to be like, we could go back to them, but we just won't. There'll be a whole generation of people who just won't go back to shaking hands or, or whatever. Well, shaking hands was always a bad idea. 
and spinning yeah. into each other's mouths. I'm like, hey, I'd like you to meet Frank Salerno. <laughs> and you spit into his mouth. Mm-hmm. That's got to stop. Yeah. I get your point. Shaking hands and spitting into each other's mouths is not. They're it's a Western. Less, it's Western. More what? More or less the same thing. Yeah. Or if we had, like, if this was a book, like Hunger Games, mm-hmm. I feel like our future would hold, like, there, you know, like in memory of the same way you have like Flag Day or whatever, like in memory of COVID, now nobody leaves the house in August. That's how we, you know, like that's how we mark that weird right. time, that time that we had. Right, right. Now you are in love, is that correct? Yeah. What? <laughs> what? I've never been visually tortured. Can you be, you know, I haven't had you on the show and I'm, I was looking forward to this and can you focus please? Let me ask you a couple of questions. One is, will you do this more often? If I, if I limit it to a half hour and I don't keep you on too long, will you do this more often? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can do it more often. Also, Brian likes to do it too, but he's napping. He's napping. Well, I wouldn't, that shouldn't stop him from doing my show. You could do this in the middle, middle of a nap. Huh? You could join my audience. They're napping too. <laughs> this one makes it look like your shirt is like unbuttoned way down. Like, <laughs> All right. Please don't like give it away. Creepy way. Don't give it away. I think I could say, I could say exactly what you're doing and not give it away. It's yeah, so good. <laughs> All right. So how are you and Brian getting along? I would assume you are in love. You're still in love. Is that correct? I guess. Is anyone, <laughs> is is anyone it, is, really? It, it's so, we, we, yes, we're good and in love and we get along. And, but it is so weird. Is it stressful? Like, is it stressful? He's For super, you. He's very easygoing, which is great. He's a good, he's a, if, he's a good dude to bunker down with, Uh but it is um, just weird when you're like, Oh, I just have this one, like, you know how you would hypothetically maybe ask someone like, Oh, if you had to live with on an Island for the rest of your life and you could only take three things or you could only take one people. It's like, we all made that choice. Yeah. Toilet paper. Apparently it's toilet paper. What? Apparently it's toilet paper. Uh, yeah, nobody used to talk about that. Yeah. Um, I is this crazy? I you don't need toilet paper. Is that weird to me that everyone freaked out? Like you can. Yes, I'm a vegan. Yeah, it doesn't even it doesn't even touch the rim when it leaves you. Right? It's just like. I I, I don't want to go into details. <laughs> but. But it is like if you had like there's washcloth, there's things that you can you you a squirt bottle, like there's things you can do and very simple. I, I can I tell you what I do? Have you been to India? Like oh, hang on for one second. This is what I do. People who don't use toilet paper. I don't it's need toilet necessary. paper. It's not you really don't? No, no. What I do is I rub applesauce on it and then I have my dog Buster come lick it off. 
You froze and it's so disturbing. I have peanut butter. I put peanut butter on my anus after I do my business. You froze. And do, am I still frozen? Can you can you see me? Oh, okay. Hello? I can see you. By the way, do you know why it's called doing your business? Why I call it doing my business? Because I charge people to watch me go. That's how I, I think we're losing Laura. Did we lose her? We lost her. All right. Let's, uh, did we? Hmm. Bye, Laura. We lost her. Laura House, she'll come back next week. We lo- Are you back? Is she back? No, she's gone. Okay, moving on. Laura House. That's the only Latin I know. I just cursed and I said, pardon my Latin, Reverend. We're coming to you live from Liberty University. (laughs) Coming to you. We don't need your stinking shelter in place. Please welcome the Reverend Barry W. Lynn. Thank you. Thank you very much. That's a, that's a very polite applause, and that's the kind of applause I actually got on my one and only time of visiting Liberty University. It's a debate there. I'm sorry. You... Don't annoy me. What? Oh, okay. The yeah. Reverend Barry W. Lynn was the executive director of Americans United for Separation of Church and State from 1992 to uh, November of 2017. Besides being a lawyer... He's an ordained minister in the United Church of, uh, I hope I'm getting this right, Christ? Absolutely. <laughs> uh, How are you, sir? Hey, I'm good, but I'll tell you, I was uh, at a pre-Passover Seder the other night. Obviously, all of these things have to be done over the Internet. Um, but Lewis Black participated in it. Peter Yarrow, the great uh, singer, part of Peter, Paul, and Mary. Wow. Um, Judy Gold, I think Peter, Paul, and Mary were at the original Seder that Jesus had, the last his Last Supper. Uh, well, at least uh, Paul was. He, he, Paul's oh. a very devout a Christian and a pretty conservative Christian in many ways, but uh, you know enough talking, of folk music for tonight. Well, hang on for a second. You talking about Saul of Tarsus or Paul <laughs> yeah, I was, of Peter? Yeah, I was talking about uh, Saul of Tarsus, who of course became Paul because he had this tremendous spiritual experience while traveling on the road, which of course. Uh, he wouldn't have an opportunity to have that now because nobody travels on the road. But I was talking about... Well, hang on. You're saying P- Peter, Paul, and Mary. Paul, from Peter, Paul, yeah. and Mary, was on the road. He was about to play Damascus, and he had <laughs> this religious epiphany? Or Saul 
from Tarsus uh, from the time of Jesus. Who had who is the yeah, well uh, Saul from the time of Jesus? Not to be confused with Saul. Better call Saul. Okay, uh, and, from uh, the internet, but no, but uh, Noel Stuckey uh, is a very conservative Christian, and uh, but he still got along with uh, Peter, whom I know, and and Mary, who I never knew, but uh, so many people didn't didn't know Mary, and Peter, yeah, from Saint Peter from the yeah. Rock, correct. He came later. He wasn't one of the original disciples. No, he he was the first theologian of the Christian Church, and his uh, words and his thinking are valuable, uh, but uh, they're often not terribly important because he honestly believed, and this is very clear to anybody who, who actually spends any time studying the letters he wrote to the Christian communities. Uh, he expected an imminent coming. Second coming of Jesus, imminent. He talks about the inbreaking of the Spirit, which means he thought literally there were signs already during his lifetime, just a decade or two after Jesus was crucified. He thought Jesus was coming again, so that was the first of several errors uh, in his theology. But like so many of us who pretend at times and are, in fact, theologians at times, um, the guy just got a lot of things wrong. Peter. That's why he said, well, that's why he said things like, if you're a slave, stay a slave, because he figured it was imminent. Everything would end. Every human relationship would be over. So if you were a slave, no big deal. Jesus was coming literally within years, and it would all be forgiven and forgotten. So St. Peter works the gate. He works the velvet rope. Yeah, that's it's not in the Bible, but the St. Peter is working the gate. And I can tell you uh, that a lot of people only know about St. Peter at the gate because of a Twilight Zone episode. Perhaps you've seen it. It's a guy dies. He gets up into heaven or what purports to be heaven. He has his dog with him. St. Peter will not let the dog into the gate. The guy says, well, in that case, I'm not coming in either. And, of course, guess what? It turns out it's not St. Peter. It's Satan who uh, won't let the dog into heaven. Right. right. Yeah. I, I, I didn't learn about St. Peter from a Twilight Zone episode. I learned about St. Peter from a, a, a parable about a Jew, a Mexican, and a Chinese person all dying at the same time and arriving at the uh, gates. That's when I... Huh. A, Is there a punchline you'd like to share? I would, but my listeners okay. would write in. Peter learned about Jesus after the crucifixion. Yeah, he, he was... Um, you know, we don't know a lot of, of the truth of the history of this, but uh, uh, he presumably uh, had learned about this, and he... He was uh, instrumental in making sure that these early Christian communities, all of the places that uh, the letter to the Thessalonians, the letter to the Colossians, he was interested in making sure that all of these Christian communities functioned in a way that was consistent with his understanding of what Jesus had wanted. And the Vatican, he's like the Bugsy Siegel. Bugsy Siegel envisioned Vegas. <laughs> and and Peter 
envisioned the yep. Vatican? Is that fair to say? Well, no, but you didn't envision the Vatican because, you see, you have to listen to this as deep theology. It, he didn't expect there to be a need even for these Christian communities for very long because Jesus was returning, and when Jesus was returned, that would be the end of life on earth as we know it. So these were interim measures. They were institutions that were there for a while, but he had no doubt that Jesus was coming imminently. And, you know, he he, he didn't show up. And the, the Vatican, the Catholic Church, is the closest link we have to Jesus, right? No. No. It's, well, it depends. See, if that was true, and everybody agreed with it. There wouldn't have been a Protestant Reformation. But what I'm there saying is that was that's the th- those are the OGs, the original Galatians. No, not necessarily. No, not necessarily. They those those communities. You know, you, you're, you're starting to worry me a little bit because I'm worried that you have an understanding of the literature of the Christian New Testament, not unlike Donald Trump, who, of course, uh, famously said uh, during his first effort to become president, uh, he was down at Liberty University. We've heard the crowd noises a few minutes ago, and he was with Jerry Falwell's son, Jerry Falwell Jr. He was talking to the assembled students, and he said, that he and Jerry Jr. had been talking about uh, their favorite passage in the Bible. Mm -hmm. And he said his was uh, in 2 Corinthians. Now, no Christian or Bible scholar would call it 2 Corinthians. They would say 2 Corinthians. But 2 Corinthians always, to me, sounds like a great build-up for a joke, not unlike the joke that you wouldn't tell us the uh, the ending to. Two Corinthians and one Ephesian walk into a bar. <laughs> when I said that once in a, a meeting in Iowa, a guy stood up at the end and he said, what is the end of that joke? <laughs> that's why, that's one of the many reasons I don't think Iowa ought to be responsible for making one of the first decisions about who becomes the nominee of the Republican or Democratic Party. Because that was a foolish question. Thank you. Yeah, that was good. That's a hot crap. Um, Can I tell you something? What? Since we're at Liberty University? Sure. Okay. Jerry Falwell Jr., you know, what what Jerry Falwell used to call Jerry Falwell Jr. No, I don't. JJ, just call him JJ. JJ. Jerry Jr. JJ. Hey and, JJ. Yeah, and you know what they used yeah. to call uh, JJ's sister? <laughs> no, what did they call JJ's sister? The JJ. Thank you. What about J.J. Jimmy Walker? I guess you, you've forgotten him. Yeah, I, this is yeah. a joke. I, I have a horrible yeah, joke on my show. 
Yeah, it's a pretty horrible joke. It's the JJ. Gynomite. Divert attention. Gynomite. Okay, so I was, you know, he became a talk show host after uh, losing his uh, one and only significant appearance on television. And um, so his producer calls me and has me come on once. And I was on for an hour with him, and I never used the word dynamite, but I constantly talked about that's an explosive idea. (laughs) You could really take a bang out of that. And the J.J. Jimmy Walker never caught on in an hour that I was making fun of him. Mm -hmm. And I know that people say, why do you make fun of people? Because... I just, I'm a fallen person. I'm not perfect all the time. And sometimes you just have to do what is funny. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Let hey, it, do you care about, I have a, a very interesting story about Liberty University that happens to tie in with our regular feature, Religious Nut of the Week. Do you want ahead. to hear that story? Yes, sir. Yes, Reverend. All right. The religious nut of the week is, of course, Pastor Rodney Howard Brown. He's of the River Tampa Bay Church in Florida. He's the guy who's held services over the last two weeks. As he said in an interview, I've got news for you. This church will never close. So now he's, of course, having people, hundreds of people sometimes bust in together, come to live services in his Tampa church. Now, he's represented by none other than Matt Staver. Matt Staver, he spells his name M-A-T. I don't know why, not M-A-T-T. Matt Staver represents Pastor Rodney Howard Brown in his uh, fight against the state of Florida. Uh, Matt Staver was the guy debated there uh, from where you got that audio tape, I'm sure. He's also well known as the guy who represented Kim Davis, the Kentucky clerk who refused to issue marriage licenses to gay couples. Uh, But Mr. Staver now represents Mr. Brown. He claims that the pastor was behaving well. He didn't do anything wrong. He should never have been arrested. He was arrested. And he he said, look at the tapes. I mean, the, the, the people are separated and they're not hugging each other. I've watched a lot of tape of these church services and I did not see any social distancing. I just saw a whole lot of people hugging each other and spreading the virus. So Matt Staver back in the news. And I thought the killer of the whole thing was Matt Staver uh, said in a public statement just a few days ago, he said, I was shocked that the sheriff made a public statement that quoted from the Gospel of Mark. That was a quote about treating your neighbor as yourself. He said, it's extremely inappropriate for a government official to take sides on religion. Of course, that's his whole argument with Kim Davis. As I'm sure many of your listeners remember, a woman who refused, based on her religious beliefs, not to issue any marriage licenses for same-sex couples. So Mr. Stavery's back in the news. He once said that the LGBTQ, the Q in LGBTQ stood, he said, for pedophile. He gets getting the Q and the P's mixed up a little. He needs to mine his P's and Q's. He does need to do that. You should write him about yeah, that. You need to mine your P's and Q's. Exactly. Hey, I so have a Google alert. Yeah. I have a Google yes. alert for pastors 
ministers and rabbis yep. who yes. have died from COVID-19. Yeah. Uh, this is not, I'm doing this just because it's sure. important. Pastor Landon Spradlin, who previously slammed the hysteria surrounding the coronavirus, yep. uh, died of COVID-19 this week. Yes. We're seeing a lot of pastors and rabbis who criticized the coronavirus hysteria. We're seeing a lot of Orthodox rabbis uh, being felled by uh, by the COVID-19. Yeah, and it would be, I'm sure we would agree, better if they had looked at the science, even perhaps thought, gee, God might be responsible for helping develop scientific ideas and treatments. And maybe instead of diminishing the significance of this, maybe I should have been honest about it rather than not being honest and then also not social distancing and therefore being a fatality who shows up in your Google alert for pastors with the coronavirus. Let me ask you, there's a Louisiana preacher... His name is Tony Spell, Life Tabernacle Church in Central City, Louisiana. And he is still holding services. Palm Sunday, he held services, and he's unapologetic about this. And he was interviewed. They have a serious epidemic in Louisiana with the COVID-19. This is what he said. Like any revolutionary or any zealot or like any pure religious person, death looks to them like a welcome friend. True Christians do not mind dying. They fear living in fear. Do they really believe that? Yeah, I'm pretty convinced they do really believe it. I think Tony Spell does believe that. And he also believes that it is literally a matter of persecution that the governor of Louisiana has actually said, and he just said it again within the last 24 hours, we don't have an Easter exception to our mandate that you can't meet if you're more than 10 people in the same place. And he's, of course, it's very dangerous for the the governor. He's a Democrat. He barely was elected to take this position because uh, Tony Spell and others think that this is an act of persecution of the faith to be told to close their doors, uh, seemingly forgetting that it was uh, literally in the Bible where Jesus purportedly says in the book of Matthew, wherever two or more are gathered in my name, there I shall be, suggesting that if you and your best friend are in the same place and you ask to speak to God or you ask for prayer in any other way, it's going to happen. Two or more, not 500 people, which I understand is what Tony Spell claims uh, he's gotten during the last two weeks. And if uh, if he does this again this Sunday, and I suspect he will, he might get six or 700 people. It's a death cult. Not all of Christian. I mean, the Pope has canceled no. services. Of course but, he has. But there, there are certain people who take Christianity and turn it into a death cult. No, you're absolutely right. And it's a um, it's a horrible thing. I mean, it's as if people don't, um, you know, uh, do you know Jim Gaffigan, the comedian? Yeah, he opened for the Pope, literally, in Philadelphia. He did. No kidding. He did. I swear to you, he did. Okay. 
You don't have to swear to me. Follow that, Pontiff. Follow that. He did. He did. did. (laughs) But anyway, so he's he's made a film uh, within the last year or so about snake handling cults. And I must say, you know, he the whole film is is made not to ridicule these people but it gives a sense of uh, the passion that they have and they do believe this and it doesn't matter to them if a one or two people every season get bitten by these snakes uh, in most cases they they don't take them for any kind of medical treatment but um but the snake handlers, you know, there was this one verse in the Bible about taking up serpents. That's what they base their entire, uh, the core of their theology on. And they do take it really seriously. There are a lot of interesting books about it. And, and I recently saw this uh, movie on, on Netflix um, with Jim Gaffigan playing one of the re- lead characters. And speaking of which, um, I, I meant to, to say this earlier, but I there is evidence finally of the existence of god and i i didn't really you're only the second person i i wanted to tell this to but the it's one word netflix okay that proves there is a god are you like how would anybody get through this without that okay i disagree with you but uh I think people. Well, what the, the fact that it's uh, that it's that important, or the fact that it's proof of the existence of God. I think it's like religion, an opiate of the masses. Okay, that's fair. And I'm not seeing a left wing point of view on Netflix. I'm seeing a kind of mainstream. We're all to blame for this kind of documentary that's what i see in there in there i don't i don't see the the big liberal point of view the, the i do see a liberal point of view i don't see a leftist point of view well i mean you should check out perhaps you have jeff charlotte uh, who's a friend of mine and uh, he he and i were supposed to be at an event about a week ago and of course that was canceled but have you watched the family the documentary yeah my friend john um, john ross who does this show loves it and and i i i should watch it you're you're right i stand corrected okay and it does take a very left okay point of view about foreign policy and it's the uh, contribution that the family has made to destroying the foreign policy of democrat and republican we only have nine minutes left and i very quickly very quickly Let's yes. go through Wisconsin, Trump nullifying the election come November, the stimulus All bill, right. whether or not Bernie should have endorsed Biden, and serological tests and Tiger King. Very quickly, voting All right. in Wisconsin. Voting, what we saw happen earlier this week in voting in Wisconsin, the Supreme Court of Wisconsin by a four to two vote. They have elected judges. The only worse way uh, to fill a judiciary than voting for them is to have a president and a Senate of the same party nominate and then elevate those people. Four to two ruling says the governor's decision to postpone the election was invalid. And then on another note goes to the United States Supreme Court by a five to four decision. Uh, They ruled that an extension of the mail-in ballot deadline was not constitutionally permissible. So as people saw, 
hundreds and hundreds of people lined up to vote in Wisconsin and risk dying yep. because social was not. And, and the judges in the United States Supreme Court, by the way, operate entirely uh, by uh, electronic means. They don't even have meetings anymore, but they thought, hey, it's fine. Have people vote in person, standing in long lines, in the rain. That's okay. That's why it's important. The Supreme Court, as I always say, is so important. And their local Supreme Court are also important, particularly if you get a chance to vote for them. So that's bad. And then, of course, it is a for I think it's a, a very likely predecessor for what's going to be happening in the national elections. It is not possible for Donald Trump to essentially cancel the election. There's a lot of stuff on the Internet about it, but it's not true. But I do think there's a, an, an excellent uh, legal journalist. I like a lot of what he writes named Mark Joseph Stern. He writes for Slate and he and others have come up with what I think is the worst, that is to say, most likely to be effective way to nullify the 2020 election. As you know, we don't elect presidents based on the general vote, the popular vote. Each state decides uh, upon electors. In general, the electoral college is made up of the electors of each state who generally are asked and, and told, and in some states must vote for the person in the state who obtains the largest number of votes. But that's a policy. State legislatures could choose electors in another way. How about this one? State legislatures just say, we're not voting. Don't go to the polls. We're canceling the election. We're going to select the electors ourselves. They can do that. The Constitution doesn't prohibit that. If you had enough of the states that are now run by Republicans, that's 28 states, if they said, we're selecting the electors, folks don't bother to go to the polls, that would be 294 votes if the states simply told the electors for whom to vote. That's 24 votes more than necessary to win the electoral college. That scares me because that horrible as it is, obnoxious as it is, I think they can get away with it. He gets away with everything. He gets away with everything. Well, he gets away with everything and he gets away with it in part because the Supreme Court is so terrible. Uh, As we know, the Supreme Court has given up oral arguments for... um, the rest of the term, so there will never be an oral argument and no decision on whether he must release his tax records. Mm, So know that. Yeah, see, that's bad. Very bad stuff. And, of course, they do that with a five to four majority. And we we just have to make sure Ruth Bader Ginsburg survives. I think the Democrats did the right thing today in pushing back on on phase four of the stimulus package. I think everything we're learning about stage three makes it clear that it's worse than we ever expected. And then all the self-congratulations going on from everyone, from Bernie, Elizabeth Warren on up or down uh, was a mistake. They can't even manage to pass out the money properly. Mnuchin, the Treasury Secretary, acts like we're going to get the entire country back on its economic 
feet. They can't even figure out how to make sure there's enough money for one of the few good things in the stimulus package that was passed two weeks ago, and that is extending unemployment compensation. There's going to be a story in the New York Times tomorrow where there is a woman in Texas who has attempted to get unemployment compensation 1,000 times in the last two weeks and has never managed to get through. I have friends who run small businesses who can't, after days and days of effort, can't even be sure their applications have gone in properly to the banks. They can't. They think they filled it out. They've never gotten any word. So if that's what's coming next, uh, I say um, we better go back to the drawing board. And I'm glad Democrats, including Nancy Pelosi, said we're not just buying this pig in a poke that McConnell wants us to vote on as he did vote on it unseen today. We're going to have to think about it. This I give her high, uh, high ratings for doing that. She hasn't always done the right thing. And finally, Bernie's out of the race. Bernie, of course, I liked him. I wanted him to be the candidate. I sent him money. I made some phone calls on his behalf. But he drops out. And I wish he hadn't dropped out. I wish he'd stopped raising money, but I think the idea that he stayed in made it possible. That's uh, uh, actually, that's uh, someone calling you. That's you. No, it's not me. It's it's uh, it's a religious figure. I'm not going to tell you who. Oh, okay. But um, no, but uh, stay in the race. Make sure that there's a, still the possibility of a brokered convention. Joe Biden, whom I, I must say I think is a bit healthier than you do, but I think he's, he's certainly within the category of per- people who could uh, catch the coronavirus. Uh, 60, 70 percent of Americans will catch it. Uh, he's very vulnerable uh, to death or serious injury from it. Who knows what will happen? I think Bernie's presence uh, would make possible to have a brokered convention and to come up with someone else and perhaps it wouldn't be Bernie, maybe it would be Andrew Cuomo uh, maybe it would be Michelle Obama, I don't know, but it, I think it was a mistake for him to drop out, but you know, I'm, I don't think he owes Joe Biden uh, some kind of a authoritative uh, blessing he said he was a good guy. He said he's last night on uh, Colbert. He said he's he's thinking about how to talk about it. B- Biden's given some concessions um, to the Bernie Sanders agenda, which is the agenda of people like us. Uh, maybe he'll make some more. But I, you know, I don't think Bernie's opinion at this point will have much of an effect on his supporters and followers. We're either in the camp, we don't like Joe Biden, but he's better than Trump, or we're never going to vote for him, for Joe Biden. We're going to vote for anybody or we're going to write Bernie's name in or whatever. And people have to make up their own mind about the morality of that. But I do think that um, we're in an election cycle where this this is my conclusion. I don't think it matters who the Democrats put up. I haven't thought that for a couple of months because I think it's all now about if you like what Donald Trump has done about the coronavirus, if you believe he's done a good job, as about 45 percent of Americans apparently do, then you're going to vote for him and he's going to get reelected. If you think he's done a horrible job, 
55% of the people at the moment think so, then you're not going to vote for them. And it doesn't matter whether the Democrat is Biden, Bernie, or the proverbial ham sandwich. Um, it's not going to matter. What matters is the perception we have of whether this guy has done with his self-promotional uh, mini press conferences every day. Right. A job of conning the American people into thinking he's done a great job. That's all it's going to be about. Right. The Reverend Barry W. Lynn was the executive director of Americans United for Separation of Church and State. He is a lawyer as well as an ordained minister in the United Church of, I hope I'm getting this right, Christ? <laughs> That's right. And what kind he, of sound effect uh, is that? The audience, they they didn't know whether or not to laugh or boo, so they kind of bit really? their tongue, yes. And yeah, he joined us today from <laughs> Liberty University. <laughs> Thank you, Reverend. Stay Thank online. you. Always Stay, fun. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. Thank you. You're listening to The David Feldman Show. You happy, self-actualized hump. Joining us from California is Emil Guillermo. He is the host of the PETA podcast, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. They drop new episodes every Wednesday. Lots to talk about when it comes to animal rights. We're going to talk about wet markets, the Tiger King, vaccines. And you also write for ALDEF. You do a weekly column uh, uh, over at ALDEF. And we want to talk about... uh, the plight of Asians living here in the United States. They're not being treated nicely. And before we started, I thought I came up with a funny joke. Why don't you, you, you are a you, you are Filipino. Is that fair to say? Filipino American. It's You're safe Filipino. to say. And what did I, when we were doing the mic check, what did I say you were doing? You said, I, I must, I must be popping my F's or something. Yes. And Filipinos pop their F's, right? <laughs> well, because, you know, you know, Filipinos pronounce the P with an F sound, correct? I think you're right, David. Okay, we so also say V's or B's. Yeah. Right. So that would be the joke. I said, you're popping your F's. And then I, I thought, is that, now is that, <laughs> is that bad? Is that a bad no, joke? No, it's, I, I, look, I don't think it's bad. I'd rather have a Filipino say that than a, than a Jew from New York. But. <laughs> But it's all right. Look, it's a. I laughed at it when you said it, but it, as you analyze it, it takes a little while to get going. And uh, well, now, why do Filipinos transpose F's for P's? What what is that? Or do they uh, not well, do that? The, no. The the truth is, before 1987, there was no F in the Filipino language. Really? So they, yeah. So they said. P. They they pronounce it P, and then 
That is the truth. Are you, they're, you're they're, making that up. You're making. I am not. It, I put it in my. It's, in, it's a joke in my solo show. It's how. It, it's how I explain the F and P. There was no F in the Philippine language. There's. There's like seventy five hundred islands in the Philippines, each with a different uh, dialect, and so they were trying to come up with a standard language, and there was no F until 1987, 1984. So, so the really. fa, fa sound. Fa. Right. The so fa. Right. It the fa sound. So, so the fa sound became the pa sound. So you're pucked up, David. Don't, don't be pucked up on me. Okay, but do they make an F sound? Now now they do. They try. They try. <laughs> now there's an F. So now they do. But it's like you people are, you know, they... They they become accustomed to the sound. And, that is fascinating. And, I'm being serious. It's fascinating. It's, it's utterly that, that, fascinating. Are, are you are you footing me on? I'm not. I'm not kidding you, David. I'm not. Uh, what do you think? I'm a little pucker. I'm not. I'm not okay. around. <laughs> I'm not pucking around. Well, how do people say the f word? In the, they in say. The... They say puck. Wait, you're this, you're putting me on. It's the Philippines. It's it starts with an F sound. It's right, that's this. right. And you're putting me on. They're called Pinoys. They're called Pinoys. They're you're called lot, You are putting me on. You are. I am putting not me on. putting you on. No, that's why my show is called All Pucked Up because we're all pucked up people. All right, I I'm beginning to hate you. And now I, <laughs> if if this is true, don't hate me. The day after Passover, don't hate me, David. Bear. See, we can see the P. Louis Theroux and I worked on a yeah. show called Not Necessarily the News, and we wrote a right. sketch, and Merv Griffin was in it from Wheel of Fortune. He created Wheel of Fortune. And the idea was that we were adding a 27th letter to the alphabet because we were running yeah. out of word combinations. That was the premise of the sketch. It's one of the funniest things we ever wrote, and Louis and I shared an office together. We wrote it. And Merv Griffin came on and he was opposed to adding the 27th letter to the alphabet because Vanna White barely knew the 26. <laughs> and, you know, so that was it. And now you're telling me yeah. something and, and I believed it, but it cannot be true. I'm telling you, I, I, I have, it's been a while since I did my show, but uh, the, 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 his, the historical reason is that, not until the 80s, there was no F in the Philippine language. So they had this trouble with Ferdinand Marcos. How did you pronounce Ber Ferdinand, Ferdinand Marcos? They call him Ferdinand. What? Ferdinand. Ber Ferdinand. It, Ferdinand Marcos. Ferdinand. So why did we call him Ferdinand? Because you guys have the F. You know the F. But his name was Ferdinand. <laughs> You're putting me on. This is. I'm not putting you on. Look, I. I'll, you want me to send you the footnote citation? I will, but you know we we have time constraints here. No, no, I, you're David I, no, no, you are misleading me. I feel stupid. I, <laughs> look, I am I am the museum director. One of my one of my new roles is museum director of the Filipino American National Historical Society Museum in Stockton, California. I will, uh, you know, so I I have some credibility here, David. I think you're playing me for a fool for doing the popping your well, joke. I'm not playing you for a fool, David. No, I'm not playing okay. you for a fool. All right. All right. All right. I, I, all right. Now I don't know what. You know what the problem with you, Emil, is? 
What is the problem with me, Dick? You worked at the Harvard Lampoon. I, and not really. I was part of them. Okay, you were part of the Go Harvard ahead. Lampoon. Mm-hmm. And then you have this storied career at NPR. Semi. KRON, and you're a journalist. But yeah. you like to be funny with me. And now I don't trust you. I think you're being funny with me. Your 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 credibility as a journalist now is suspect. See, why is it? You know, journalists, we we just want to have fun. Like the the guy the other day who asked the Joe Exotic question at the Trump at the Trump uh, health briefing. You know, it's not that he wasn't trying to be funny, but it, it's a genuine question. What did what did uh, Trump? What would Trump do with Joe Exotic? Since Trump and Joe Exotic are practically like, you know, I mean, yeah. they're, they're really like cut from the same cloth, really, honestly. Right. You know, narcissists attract, right? And right. then the Trump boys, they love to kill their trophy, trophy animals. So who okay. knows? All right, but, all right. As, enough with this childish stuff. Here's my fantasy about mm-hmm. news and the American people. Mm-hmm. People like you who are journalists are going to mm-hmm. stop being funny. And we're going to stop getting our news from people like me and The Daily Show or, or late night television. And, and the American people are going to finally go back to getting their news from real journalists. Unfortunately, they no longer exist. But Well, hey, hey, look, this was the downfall of Brian, what's his face, right? Brian NBC, Williams, exactly. Right? He was trying to be funny, right? He said... And and you can't cut it both ways, but you can cut it. You should be able to cut no, it both ways. No, you should. That, that's why I call myself a humorist. I don't call myself a comedian. I do solo shows. I tell jokes from the podium, but I call myself a humorist because I'm not on that comedian treadmill tread treadwheel that you know comedians are on. You know, five five uh, laughs per per minute. You know, fifteen seconds of laughter per minute. You know, and that that that's what makes comedians less real than they should be or want to be and that's what makes people like me who can be smart and can be funny on our own terms we like to mind the truth okay go for the silences i met you i I met you when i was answering phones for the assignment desk at kron in the newsroom in san i met you pre-plug i met you pre-plug during my plugs and i had a choice I, i could have pursued a career in journalism or I could have pursued a career in comedy. And I picked comedy because I thought comedy was where you did the real truth telling. And you are picking comedy later in your life. And let me assure you that the real truth telling is done or should be done by journalists. Comedians are not telling the truth. You think they're telling the truth. They're trying to get laughs. I agree with you. And that is the problem. But see, they're telling the truth because you know as well as I what is truly funny, what's the comic voice and the comic vision are all the things that no one wants to admit or say in public, but the comedian has the guts and has the courage to say. So it's truthful. This is why Louis C.K. is coming back to... Look, I'll, oh, I'll, but, but the stuff that isn't being said in public for the most part, it, 
sometimes it doesn't need to be said. We need to pay attention to what's going on in Washington, D.C. We need to pay attention to to what our president, to what the corporations are doing. And the comedians, their their version of truth telling are sweeping generalizations that are not going to get us out of this COVID-19 pandemic. That's what I'm saying. All right. I I agree. The journalists should be journalists, but... You know, this all happened because how, it, it's all based on how do you, who communicates with the people? Who, who actually communicates real stuff, right? This is what John, when John Stewart was on his rise, it's because the media, well, people were, were bad mouthing real legitimate journalists and people like John Stewart were doing, was doing his thing and Imus, right? When Imus was in his heyday, uh, his, his, his approach was to make the news a little more relevant. Unfortunately, when he got a little too political, you know, he seemed to be more right wing than not. And that was a problem. I, I think it's, this is a complicated thing. Everyone wants to be loved and everyone wants to communicate. The people who are ultra serious, what, what better group of folks can you crack up then people who are ultra serious and you know, then all right, you want all to, right. we got to move on, but here's yeah. why here. And here's why you're wrong with all due respect. I'm wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it I'm is sort the of role, agreeing with you though. It is the role. Oh, well, here's why you're right. <laughs> <laughs> it is the role of journalists to teach, to pick a side and teach. Would Not you necessarily know? pick a side to, to teach. You mean pick a side, like, they're supposed to be objective, right? Right, but, you know, okay, okay. Pick a side, meaning be funny or be serious? No. That side? No, it, it's to inform. And what's happening now is academics are bored with teaching because there isn't enough yeah. money there, even though Harvard right. has a $60 billion endowment to pay their professors enough. So they want to be celebrities and they want to go on talk shows and be funny because what they're discovering is, you know, it's not fun teaching. That's it's very dry. I want to enter. I want to be an entertainer. Do the heavy lifting that comes with being a professor. Write the serious books that maybe don't, maybe don't be the best-selling author. David, you're, you're proving my point. Everyone wants to be loved and everyone wants to communicate. The professors are tired of being in their, their ivory tower and no one's listening to them. They're not getting paid, so they'll go on TV, get millions more people, maybe get paid too. They want to be Jordan Peterson. They want to be Jordan Peterson. They want to... Yeah, they want to be famous, right? They want they want the fame and fortune, and they want to be known for their smarts. And unfortunately, right now, the only place where you can do this, uh, like you come on podcasts, so you can talk and you can feel free. Do you get an audience? Uh, you know, if you're fortunate, maybe you do. But just the democratization of the media. So you go on podcasts, you go on Twitter, you do your thing. Who cares who reads it or how many people don't read it? You're out there. You get your thing out. Sometimes that's all you So here you are. Here you are. Here I am. An established journalist. And you told me that the Philippine language up until maybe 20 years ago didn't have the, the F sound. And I don't know if you're telling me the truth or not. Right. Well, it's, it is the truth. It is the truth. It was, it wasn't until 
the the F sound. I mean, these are some of the things about the uh, some of the things that people don't know. For example, uh, Philippine Philippine history, like today, uh, April 9th, this week, it coincides the great coincidence of the death march uh, in in, a, in our country in New York State and you know, all around the country. The Bataan death, death, death march. The Bataan Death March. Now, was it a Bataan Death March because it was cheerleaders and they were twirling batons? Is that? (laughs) No, no. But uh, it was the Bataan. From going from Bataan, they're marching. Uh, The Japanese had imprisoned Americans and Filipinos. But here's something that most people don't know about the Bataan Death March. If all you know about it is the John Wayne movie. And now few people know the John Wayne movie. But there were 10,000 Filipinos who fought side by side with Americans who were in that death march and were killed. And only 700 American soldiers were, were part of the death march. And, you know, that maybe that's the explanation why few people see or read about the Bataan Death March in their history books. Uh, fortunately, in California, California schools are going to say, are, 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 have passed a law saying, there, there needs to be a little bit more in our mm-hmm. in our American history curricula, you know, throughout our schools. And so we'll see more of uh, people understanding and knowing about the Bataan Death March. But the 78th anniversary is uh, this week, which is... Okay. So a lot of people are dying from COVID-19 due to their comorbidities, as they're called, obesity. A lot of Americans, in fact, a vast majority of Americans are not fat, but obese because they eat crap. They eat sugar and fat and meat, and they won't Mm -hmm. switch to a vegan diet. And these same fat people are blaming the Asians for (laughs) COVID-19 and are making fun of what Asians eat. And I'm getting... Are they doing that? I... I didn't see that. I know that. Look, this now. This is the truth. This is the truth. And we, I want to talk about vegan diets because I have become a certified uh, coach in whole food plant based. But, but let me answer. Let me ask my question, sir. Yeah. Let me ask my question because you do work with PETA and you write for Aldef. So we're hearing about the demonization of okay. Asians who are American and the demonization of. China and the wet market, the Republicans have found a a convenient scapegoat now for COVID-19. The Republicans screwed up. Once again, they didn't read the the warnings, the the memos that were written about COVID-19. Got to find somebody to blame. Let's blame the Chinese, even though we're discovering that the virus came to us through Europe. So we're seeing a, a raft of emails going around making fun of Asians for eating weird stuff. Yeah. But, no, I, uh, I, they're healthier than Americans. The weird stuff that speaking, Asians are eating is a lot healthier than the crap we're eating. And what's killing us is the crap we're eating. If, you, if you're not morbidly obese, you have a better chance against COVID-19. Right. The standard American diet, so uh, a.k.a. the sad diet, is responsible for the state of uh, diabetes in our country. People who are obese have diabetes. And, you know, there have been studies on the the Chinese uh, uh, diet. Uh, 
T. Colin Campbell did a big China study that showed what happens when, you know, the Chinese were fine when they, uh, they essentially had whole food plant-based diets, but when they, they came, to, when they went to urban centers and had more Western diets, ate more meat, cancer rates went higher. There was like uh, colon the, cancer didn't exist in China until yeah, fast yeah, food it's, restaurants it's, it's all the west the western diet so uh, look but look first first let, let me just say something about it. i hadn't seen those emails but i have seen the number really because i've been sending them to everybody i'm sorry just <laughs> <laughs> I have been seeing the stories about the attacks. And in fact, there's a website called stop-aapi, Asian American Pacific Islander hate. And, and people around the country have reported instances. We are now up to 1,500 since the middle of March, since March um, 20th or so to, to the date. 1,500 instances. And in New York this week, there was a, um, a bunch of teenagers attacked a 51-year-old Asian woman with an umbrella. They were trying to kill her, the Asian woman said. She required stitches, had to go to the hospital. And this is, I have been writing about this on the ALDEF site, the Asian American Legal Defense and Education Fund site, for the last few weeks, ever since uh, the, the whole Trump China virus thing started because the China virus has been the virus that Asian Americans have had to fight. And it's resulted in, um, let's see, the, the instance here in, in New York, actually the number of instances has per day has gone down a little bit, but the amount of violence, the, uh, uh, the hate, the, the level of hate has increased and, and the kind of vigorous physical attacks on Asians have increased. And, and so this is alarming. And, you and know, it's you, an underreported re- story because it's COVID-19, well, COVID-19. Well, look, it came up when you, you might recall that press conference uh, around March uh, 19th or so. Um, some reporters asked Trump when he was saying the phrase, using the phrase Chinese virus, why he was doing that. Look at the reports on March 23rd. He came out and said, Oh, look, China, Asian Americans are good people. Maybe he was sensitive to Elaine Chow, Miss, uh, you know, Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Mitch McConnell. Right. Uh, but, but I know that Trump tried to make, make good by saying, oh, how, how wonderful the Asian Americans are. But now he needs to come out because he stopped using the term Chinese virus after that. But the he is essentially green-lighted hate with all the previous statements through Twitter and his previous public statements about Chinese virus. He needs to come out again. An apology would be good, but he needs to come out and let people know about these instances, because you're right, it's underreported. The other reason why it's underreported is because there are a few Asian Americans in the media who will call him on this. And, you know, it, it also coincides with the fact that there is a bigger story about the deaths that uh, we're experiencing here in the United States. So, right. you know, it, it's complicated. Dave, we can't, we can't Right, every wrong, but we try. If they go to my uh, my blog on the ALDEF website, aaldef.org slash blog, they could read what I say. Um, my latest column about uh, uh, about the instances of hate, fifteen hundred nationwide, and then now we've got the mask thing. Right? Do you wear a mask? I I wear this to show that I'm American, and so people know that hey, I'm born and raised here in America. 
And and I I think I thought when people understood why Asians wear masks, you know why Asians wear masks, David, right? Why? I set you up there. I'm <laughs> no, not going. They were they wear they wear masks because they're thinking about you. They don't want to give you germs. They don't want to. They're if they're sick, they don't want to spread spread their pistules of of saliva out. I mean, I saw this thing about what happens when people sneeze. I mean, it's like a you know a megaton of saliva goes out on a, a normal sneeze, and if you wear a mask, the mask wearer is thinking about you. But people see that here in. Who wears masks in America, right? The bad guys, the Klan wear masks. So we're, you Domination know, Trump says, Yeah, well, Trump says, I'm not wearing a mask. Well, well, maybe that's a good thing for us, you know. He wears he a mask wear. when he gets his spray tan. That's why he's got those. <laughs> is that what it is? That's under eyes. Yeah. So I, I just think that we're, we're in a difficult time here, and I hope that he comes out soon to say that, you know, People, Asian American, he needs to come out with a stronger statement because Asian American hate is on the is on the rise. With like you said, fifteen hundred. Right. You, know, you know, we could have a problem with the nation of China, but not have a problem with Asian Americans. We can separate the two. Yeah. Well, look, you're you're Jewish, uh, and you know when people talk about Israel. It's the same sort of thing, you know. Our, right. You know, people have an affinity to their their ancestral home, but for some reason, when it comes to Asian Asian Americans, the the history of xenophobia is real, and we need to see people who are leaders, moral leaders, uh, come up and and point it out every time because the country society needs a reminder. Yeah, it's uh, and it's and it's literally scapegoating. It is. Trump I, I, messed you know, I up. First... Trump messed up. Blame the Asians. Let's move on because we've got limited time. Yeah, read the, my column. I mentioned scapegoat uh, uh, like several weeks ago, and okay. now people are seeing. Yeah, that's what it is. It's the scapegoating of Asians. The scapegoating. And, and, of and you get the virus of hate with scapegoats. It goes from yeah. scapegoats to humans. He tried to make a joke and failed. <laughs> Scapegoats. I love goats. I like goats. Yeah, okay. Greatest of all time. Okay. The, the Tiger King is on Netflix. I watched it. It's pretty amazing. There is There are more tigers in captivity in the United States than there are in the wild. Yes. They are being hunted for tiger penis? Is that Ti- why they're well, being hunted? Well, tiger... Tigers are, you know, they have this mysterious sense about them, and people believe that there are, um, you know, an aphrodisiac kind of uh, uh, thing going on with the tiger penis. Uh, you know, tiger penis has been a thing for some time. There, there, there was a, a an infamous, well, not infamous, but there was a large full-page ad in the New York Times years ago talking about tiger penis. But, you know, the thing about tigers is that when you they bring the tigers here to America, they put them in these roadside zoos. And what gets me about Tiger King is that this joke, Joe Exotic, 
has become this sympathetic anti-hero when he shouldn't be the anti-hero. The victim, Carol Baskin, is seen as the kook, and that's the surprising thing. Well, she's the, she, one, uh, yeah, but, she's the well, one who's trying to fight the roadside zoos. Yeah, but she's no saint either. I'm not saying she's a saint, but, you know, she's the one who's been following around uh, Joe Exotic through, throughout his life trying to shut down those zoos. She's doing the saintly thing by trying to protect the animals. And it's Joe Exotic who comes across as, oh, I ran for president. I ran for governor. I'm the I'm the kooky, kooky Trump-like guy, and I'm the hero. That's what I find absurd about you know, uh, about the Tiger King, that the victim, Carol Baskin, uh, is is the one who is being joked about. And the real victims, everyone forgets. The real victims, the tigers in the roadside zoos. Right. And that's what people need to remember. Right. And, and again, uh, to be continued next week, this is my problem with the Tiger King. Is Carol Baskin really the victim in all of this? Or is she a bad person? To be discussed. What 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 my criticism of the Tiger King is Netflix didn't have the courage to pick a side. And you say journalists have to be objective. Well, you see what you want to see when you watch the Tiger King. And and for you to say that Carol Baskin is the victim in all this, I think in many ways she's using not just the tigers but she's turned that into a, a sanctuary for cult leadership. I mean, she's got a cult going and she exploits her workers. She doesn't pay them. There's something right. seriously demented with Carol Baskin. And the problem with that Netflix documentary is everybody's bad in that. And you lose sight of the fact that these tigers and Apes are being held in cages to be continued. We're out of time. I want to ask you about vaccines. The PETA podcast yeah. drops every Wednesday. Tell me about a vaccine for COVID-19. It may be good news for test animals. You say. It's good for the animals because there's a lot of regulatory tests that are required that they pushed aside, saving thousands and thousands of animals lives. And, you know, and these are, this is just pro forma kind of testing that ends up killing, killing animals in order to get, get up to speed to get these, uh, these vaccines to human trials. They had to skip all of those tests. And that was a plus. I don't know if these vaccines are going to work, but you got to say that it's a good thing that at the very least you could save thousands of animals lives. And, and right now the people who realize that you could skip all those tests are going to, to, to scientists, uh, in a not, you know, who, who might be testing in non COVID uh, types of situations and saying, Oh, well, I guess this should prove that a lot of those animal tests shouldn't be required. And I, so I think that's one of the positive things that scientists are coming around to thinking, you know, we don't have to play the CYA game and test on animals when we know that testing on animals doesn't, you know, we do it because it's required, but it doesn't do anything because if we're trying to test for uh, how effective a, a, a vaccine is, why are we testing on, on animals when, 
we want to cure humans. Well, we can cure the we can cure COVID nineteen on on mice, but what difference does that make? We got to cure it on humans. Okay, I have to wrap it up. We'll continue this next week. Emil Guillermo is the host of the PETA podcast. For more on this, download the PETA podcast. It drops every Wednesday. People for the ethical treatment of animals. If you want to read more about the persecution of Asian Americans. Go to Emil Guillermo's column over at ALDEF, the Asian American Legal Defense and Education Fund. Follow the great Emil Guillermo on Twitter at Emil Emil Amok. Yeah, E-M-I-L-A-M-O-K. Say that again. We were talking at the same time. Oh, sorry. Emil Amok. E-M-I-L-A-M-O-K. Fantastic. We'll talk to you next week. I hope stay on the line for one quick second. Well, it's the end of the week, perhaps the world, and that can only mean one thing. Let's welcome Liam McEnany. Hey, everybody. We have a big announcement to make. Well, we've already made the announcement. Tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, office hours with Liam McEnany and David Feldman, invitation only. If you would like to attend office hours on Zoom with Liam McEnany and David Feldman, go to davidfeldmanshow.com, hit the contact button, and say, hit me up. Hit me up with an invite, a Zoom invite, and Liam and I are going to do office hours. We're going to talk to the listeners. As, as Tina Turner said to Ike on their wedding night, hit me up. <laughs> and it's just that kind of uh, – we see now – Liam, this I is, can't wait till the fans actually react to that live and in person. I, I don't think we can make jokes about Tina Turner and Ike right now with what's going on. I mean, people are frightened. They're they're stuck in their home with you know dangerous loved ones. There's elder abuse going on right now, uh-huh. and uh, that's just in my home. Oh yeah, so you so you've been uh, so you've been locked up with your girlfriend for the last month. Yeah, tell me how that's going. I don't know. You were saying last night, it's, uh, well, we had a little uh, pre-office uh, hours meeting last night, and you were talking about how uh, you spent the last few weeks uh, locked in your apartment with your girlfriend. I'm very curious about that. Yeah, well, tell you tell me how it's going. You tell me. Why don't you like this? I have a theory. My theory is you don't like to discuss your girlfriend because you still want to be able to be free to date your fans. See, that's interesting. That's an interesting theory. I, I Go mean, on it's with that. Not so much a theory as is probably most likely what's happening. Describe what's been going on. You're so lucky your girlfriend doesn't listen to your show. Although I yeah. guess she has to, or at least you're half of it. Describe what, what am I having like a romance with somebody? What's going on? Tell me. Uh, well, I, <laughs> you're, you have a girlfriend. Uh-huh. What does she uh, look like? I know, I know for a fact you have a girlfriend. You're trying to play this off like it's a bit, but you are locked in your apartment with your girlfriend because you're deathly afraid to leave the apartment and you're, 
even more afraid of letting her leave the apartment because, you know, if she brings the disease back in, you're going to die with a resentment against her. Okay. And what does she look like? Is she young? Is no. she old? She's probably beautiful for her age. And how old is she? 18, 19. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You no, no, were... She's probably around your age and because... And she's probably Jewish because you don't feel like you deserve any better. You have very low <laughs> You've self-esteem. Done that You've done that joke already, Liam. It's a, more of a running gag than a joke. Oh, okay. Well, I'm gagging on it. Hey, you were <laughs> right are you guys? Ru- are you guys, like, uh, fighting at all? I mean, it must be tough to be, like, locked in an apartment all the time. Well, describe the apartment and describe what it's like. Oh, I mean, I can see it behind you if you want me to describe it to you. Yeah, describe it. Tell the listeners. You have a very, uh, did you inherit this apartment from an elderly person? <laughs> an old Italian lady, maybe? Uh, she's you tied floral up pattern, You have floral pattern furniture. You're the second and, person to notice that. And you have this uh, Japanese pop art print. Uh, it looks like in the style of the 1970s bright color movement. Like a Warhol-style wow. Japanese art print. You're smart. And you have a plant that is probably not real, but looks very real. That, those, are my, those are my hair plugs. <laughs> you grow your own hair plugs? I grow my own. Yeah, I have a little hair plug farm here. And, uh, <laughs> and then also, see, every time I talk, wait, hold on. I have to pin the video so I can take a good, better look at this. You have a... What looks like a mug full of pencils, like a blind person would sell during the Great Depression? Well, yeah. (laughs) Mister, mister, I need to support my wife and three children. Would you buy a pencil for a dime, mister? I I am blind. I have a trivia question. You know how they always show soup kitchens from the Great Depression? Yeah. And who's lining up? It's always men. You ever notice that? Yeah. Why is that? You only see men lining up to get a some soup. Yeah, that's a good question because uh, women aren't home cooking. <laughs> what? Nothing. Uh, what? Oh, women know. are home cooking. Is that what you what? said? No. What? No. You go look at stock footage from the the Great. No, Depression. it's all men in suits and hats lining up at yeah. a soup kitchen. Why? And by the way, those men are dressed better than anyone you'll see in a Broadway show. Like yes. uh, anyone who's paid $100 a ticket or more to see a Broadway show dresses way worse than bums during the Great Depression. Bums. That's nice. That's nice. Why did you only see men lining up? Why is that? Because women were not worth feeding back then. No, <laughs> no because they let women and children in to the soup kitchen. They, they It was first... It was women and children first. Well, that's not fair. I know. Well, this is our men's rights subreddit that we have to we have to address it on our subreddit. All right. All right. How are you holding up? I'm all right. You know, uh, the most exciting part of my day is retrieving my mail. So that's uh, that's that's where I'm at right now. I'm getting back to being productive. I wrote the first draft of a screenplay, and then I took a week off from doing anything productive. And so what is it, what is it about? Uh, 
Well, I mean, I'll tell you off air, but it's a, I like it a lot. And I, I sent it to a couple of friends who I trust and they gave me really good notes on, on story and character. So, uh, I'm actually really excited to, to tackle the second draft eventually. Well, may I make a suggestion? Yeah, go ahead. Before Liam, uh, Liam, uh, Colin Jost marries Scarlett Johansson at the bachelor <laughs> party, why don't you do like a table read? You know, With I the stripper. <laughs> hey, you guys ready to see this lady do what she does best? Essay <laughs> 14 separate characters of different ages and ethnicities. All right. Any yeah, yeah, yeah. News? She'll do the ping pong trick for 25 bucks. But first, first. Uh, the action starts on a train in the Old West. Any good news? Uh, well, I would really appreciate you taking that Coraline face filter off. It's it's incredibly disturbing. You don't like my face? I'm going to be unveiling new face filters for tonight's Zoom show that you and I are doing. I thought we had a good meeting last night. I, I think we came to terms with what the Zoom meeting is going to be. It's really interesting to put faces to to names and voices, you know, voicemails. Uh huh. I kind of can't wait to see that you're Mrs. Doubtfire filter. (laughs) Oh, that's your regular face. I'm sorry. What? That's your regular face. I'm sorry. Hello. For the the filters alone. Do you have a cat? No. Oh. Why? Because you're starting to look like a lesbian. I don't know what that meant. Nah, my beard's not long enough. Oh, stop it. I, I You know what? I apologize. My mustache hasn't grown in that long. Stop it. Liam, stop it. So, yeah, go to davidfeldmanshow.com, hit the contact button, and say I'd like an invite to the... Each one of these filters is more horrifying than the last. <laughs> no, I know. I'm obsessed with these filters. You, you'll come and... Come to the Zoom meeting, and uh, you'll you'll see. <laughs> I, uh, I I gotta say, David, I gotta thank you, yeah, for getting me out of Exxon Mobil, for getting me to drop that stock. That was oh. uh, the best thing you could have done for me. Why? What happened to it? I I well, I mean, it's kind of went up a bit, and then it's stagnating now. Mm-hmm. It may go up again, depending on if Trump can actually pull off this deal he announced today. What's the but deal? I, I don't know. Is something for the fucking oil companies, but uh, but I decided to buy some stock in a renewable energy company instead, and that uh, is uh, doing amazingly well. It's already up over six dollars from last week when I bought it. I bought uh, some stock in a solar panel com- company, and it went uh, through the roof. Actually, it's to the top of the roof, and it's. Uh-huh taking in all the ultraviolet rays and creating energy. And that's the kind of humor you're going to hear if you sign up for, all right, I'll be honest. Is, it, is that that, is that the Polish uh, solar panel company that you only use at night? <laughs> all right. Go to David Feldman show. Sign up. <laughs> How many, what are you laughing at? Oh, I'm just laughing at the idea that my career will gain traction and then it will be immediately derailed by, audio from this podcast. <laughs> oh, because of the Polish joke? And the Tina Turner joke. 
You know, it's just like, uh, I don't know, for some reason on your podcast, I say shit I shouldn't. Yeah, like, yes, I'll do it. <laughs> I think Zoom will offer an opportunity to comedians a new way to destroy their careers. I think tr- Twitter is done. Right. I, I think this is the new way to say and do things on Zoom and get it captured on video. Oh, well, there's no better way uh, to get your stand-up out there than by performing it in front of a silent audience of 12 people who are looking at their phones while you're performing. Have you seen any Zoom stand-up shows? Uh, you know what? I've ducked into a few Zoom open mics just to see what they were like, and it was exactly what I expected. Can you heckle? Uh, I don't think it's as easy anymore because they, they <clears throat> excuse me, <laughs> Jesus, woo, better out than in, woo, Jesus. Oh, that smelled better, smelled worse than it tasted. I'll tell you that. Oh my God, come on, be be nice. <laughs> uh, but you were telling me before we started recording, your your uh, your fans think I'm rich. Yes, they do. Which is really funny because Jim Earl has maintained for years that I'm secretly rich, even though he knew me in the 90s when I was extremely poor and sometimes didn't have money to get on the subway home after these free shows we were doing all night. But you have the attitude of a rich man. Your politics reflect what? that. Of it. Yeah. What are you talking about? Not being for Medicare for all, not being for Bernie, Saying like we can't afford this, you you. No, I'm actually working class. I'm not someone who tells the working class how they should feel. I'm someone who actually comes from the working class, and I know how they do feel. You're working class fancy. I am. Oh, how did how is Bernie doing? The candidacy going well. Big uh, big run of uh, primaries coming up. All right. Well, didn't you call me a fucking moron for months for not yes. uh, for for saying that uh, that he was uh, never going to be president? Yes, I did. Mm. Now I just think you're a fucking moron, <laughs> just because. Well, I'm pretty smart. It turns out, good investor, good uh, good eye for politics. Maybe I am rich. You should be rich. We're going to get rich off our Zoom meeting tomorrow. I'm going to get rich off the screenplay I'm writing, boy. Yeah, yeah. So we talked about the Zoom meeting. We had like a little meeting yesterday on Zoom to discuss a future Zoom meeting because that's how (laughs) bureaucracies tend to work. We meet to discuss another meeting. Right, because that's that's how Medicare for All would have worked. Oh, stop it would have been uh, just layers and layers of government bureaucracy all the way down. I think meetings, Zoom is uh-huh. going to kill meetings. People are beginning to realize how unnecessary meetings are. How was our meeting yesterday? Wow, just in time for nobody to have a job. <laughs> how was our, our Everybody's going to be like, man, if I had a job, I wouldn't need to go into work every day. I mean, I don't go into work any day because I'm uh, unemployed. But did you like uh, the way I conducted the meeting? Yes, I did. Was it efficient? No, no, no. It, it, that that was easily a ten minute meeting, and it lasted an hour. Right, right. I think there was a point when you didn't know what to say anymore, so you, at, you just told me to start interviewing the other participants. 
No, we were testing the equipment. <laughs> what? Are you implying that I'm lonely and I got nothing to do? No, no, you're with your girlfriend. Yeah. What does she look like? Uh, why don't you bring her into frame and I'll describe her to your audience. Either you're ashamed of her, which is highly plausible, or because uh, you probably think like, oh, I've won a few Emmys and – you know, I, I have some success. I should, I deserve like a 26 year old yoga instructor, like a trophy, a, a, a 26 year old trophy yep. that I can put next to my other trophies. Yeah, exactly. Like Alan Ball, Alec Baldwin got a 26 year old yoga instructor. Yeah. Uh, but you're like, Oh, I guess someone is around my age. So that's, that's option one. Okay. And then option two is, uh, you want to be able free to, to hook up with like Dr. Jen or, or Bernie Ho baby cat. You, you know, we haven't gotten uh, Bernie Ho baby cat. Hasn't asked to, Oh, uh, she emailed me. Oh, she coming to the, no, she didn't email me about that, but she, emailed, <laughs> she didn't email me about that. What did she you know? Ber- Bernie Ho baby cat is on her own thing. Right. Uh, and I she wouldn't want to share the, the spotlight with the other listeners. She, I, is, I said, she is special. she, she is funny. I, I genuinely think you're right. I think she like feels like. Uh... See so here it goes. May, please make sure David gets the money and reads the email on the pod. No, Feldo owes Fred Stoller ten dollars. I don't know what that means. Because uh, you the... paid, didn't you buy me that uh, Vimeo with him? Well, anyway, this is what she's saying. I sent the money and the material to the hump because I need to remain anonymous. So I don't know what that means. Does that mean she sent you money? I think she wants me to roast Congressman Alan Grayson. By the way, saw your little YouTube clip with Feldo this afternoon. This was last week. What a look you got going there. See, you are a graduate of the Frank Zappa School of Personal Grooming. (laughs) That's a recent reference. Uh, (laughs) At least Dave had the good sense to use a filter. Although I did notice he was wearing a hat, so I guess there isn't a filter available for his hair plugs. Or the dent in my head. Or the dent in your head. Uh, uh, and don't get me started with that Saul Colt guy. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love having Saul just being there with us. Should have called the show The Unfuckables. That's a <laughs> David Tell joke. Oh, she, oh Bernie Ho. And then her follow-up, one more thing. Are you friends with that bloviating blockhead Henry Rollins? I want a piece of that little freak's ass. Get him on the show, and both of you can kiss my anal glands. So, uh, no, I'm not friends with Henry Rollins. Uh, I thought only dogs have anal glands. (laughs) Well. You express them, don't you? (laughs) Let's just say there's a reason why she won't show her picture. (laughs) (laughs) You and How Bernie did Bernie Ho Baby to... Cat look when you met her? Rough. <laughs> All right. We have uh, voicemails that we have. We're, we're a little backed up. Yeah, I know that uh, I know that Citizen Sausage has actually gotten kind of upset with you mm-hmm. over not over this. So, yeah, you should start. Uh... <laughs> All right. So if you have. Uh, Something you want to say, go to the David Feldman Show website, hit the Ask Me Anything button, and you will see on the drop-down menu, call me. 
And if you call 202-670-2752, that's the number, maybe we'll play your comments on the show. Let us now play clipping number 33. Oh, thank you. Wrong bank. Can we get this right today? 33. Hello, Feldago and Lily Liam. So, who does that sound like? That's Citizen Sausage. For That's sure. Citizen Bacon. That's Citizen Bacon, sorry. Citizen Bacon. Oh, since all the 20-second wash-your-hand songs suck so far, the bacon bits will throw this into the ring for your consideration. Oh, the bacon bits. Are you ready, little viral monster? Aye, aye, doctor. I can't hear you. Aye, aye, doctor. Oh, we live in Manhattan, right by the sea. David Feldman. Arrogant, thoughtless, and brave is he. David Bacon. If political nonsense is something you wish. David Feldman. Then listen for hours. How can you bitch? David Feldman. A dented head loser with time on his hands. David Feldman. A lot of th- dumb talking. So where are the fans? David Feldman. Forget the damn virus. Here's what you do. David Feldman. Wash your damn hands. They smell like poo. David Feldman. David Feldman. David Feldman. David Feldman. <laughs> and you soap this That would be uh, Citizen Bacon. Does that guy have the gall to call you a loser with too much time on your hands? <laughs> Oh, he's right. That's some that's some balls on that guy. He's citizen uh, bacon. All right, citizen bacon. Two zero two six seven zero twenty seven fifty two is our voicemail number. The great thing with the Zoom meeting is we can do the show live and just you know talk to the listeners directly. This is going to be yeah. exciting. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's any- we're never going to do it again. Oh, I have a God. feeling. After tonight, we're never going to do it. Were those, were those women who were uh, chanting lifelessly in the background, like they had a gun to their head, were those actual hostages? <laughs> we'll have to ask Citizen Sausage. Here we go. Voicemail 62. Oh, it's Liam's mother. Liam, are you there? Uh, hold on. Uh, okay, I'm with you. What is this? Is somebody is somebody being hurt? Do you do you think you might want to like screen these voicemails for quality sometimes? I, I, maybe I should call the police. It sounds like a woman's in distress. <laughs> Actually, we could just play audio from your new porn film, COVID-17. Get it? Hello? Can I I run a... uh... That was depressing. 
Can I run a sitcom idea by you? I'm trying to sure. write. Like when you're trying to get work writing for sitcoms, you have to sit down and write original scripts for shows like a, for pilots of shows that you would make if you were given a pot, like a deal with a sitcom, right? Right. You know what I'm saying? That makes sense. Specs, they're called. Specs, spec scripts, spec pilots. Right. Scripts. I, I call them speculation scripts. This is you're doing it on speculation. So, right. So you'll call up a showrunner and say, did you read my speculation script? And they'll say, and they'll say, Oh, it was great. And then there'll be like a minute of awkward silence until one of you just gingerly uh, hangs up the phone and never talks to the other one again. Okay, go ahead. What's your idea? So I'm spitballing some ideas, and I just want to run this one by you. Let me know what you think. Uh, Spitballing, by the way, is instead of underwear, you uh, cloak your crotch in the saliva of a teenage runaway. Oh, so your mom had take your son to work day. Got it. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like free balling, but spitballing is where you go ahead. Okay. I'm depressed, okay? Okay, well, this might cheer you up. So this is my one-sentence log line. There's a title, and then the log line, which is uh, how you describe the concept of a movie or a show in one sentence. It's called... Uh, Viet Vet 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 Vets Vet Vets. And it's about a guy who's a veteran of the Vietnam War, who's also a veteran veterinarian who volunteers on the local board that grants veterinary licenses to other veterans. And he drives a Corvette. And he drives a vet. (laughs) You're right. I should write that. Hold on one second. Viet Vet 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 Vets Vet Vets in a vet. What do you think? I love it. I really do. Chuck Lorre just optioned it. There you go. Why would you name, change your name to a, to a British truck? That's what Lorre. Well, you are burnt out. (laughs) I am. I thought you were going to say it was a truck. Uh, What did I say it was? A Lorre. A Lorre. Yeah. yeah, I thought you were going to say the word was a chuck. Oh, because then I would have been expecting you to say Lori. So then in England they call him Chuck Truck. Yeah, I see. Pick up Chuck. I'm saving it all for tonight. <laughs> I'm not going to blow blow the good material on my show. How many people there, do you think? How many do you think we'll get? Twenty five uh, listeners. I, I would be happy with 10, to be honest with you. Well, we can take as many as 100. Now, theoretically, right. not that this is going to happen, you may not be able to log on, that there'll be so many people right. who want, want a part of this train wreck. That, Sorry, number 101. Yeah. We, we, sh- we should have like a, a, a fire marshal who shuts down the Zoom room. <laughs> I think That'd we should... Fun. We should get through this before we decide on bits yeah, okay. and ancillary characters. Do you want to hear the uh, woman in trouble? She sounds like she's in trouble. Should we hear that again? Yeah. yeah. Oh, she's in trouble. Sounded like she was in pain. Okay. Hey there, David. Uh, this is Christopher <laughs> from Oregon. I've uh, before. Oh, hang on. For, hang on. <laughs> what? Yeah, she sounded distressed. 
It's, it's Christopher from Oregon. Okay. okay. Um, I'd like to address this directly to uh, Dr. Jay Sute and his Uh-oh. family. Uh, and if you want to play it on the show or just send it directly to them, that, that's fine. Uh, Dr. J, you've been a great part of the show. Uh, so funny, uh, so human, and and you've you've brightened my day many times and given me a lot to think about as a human being, and uh, given us all a lot to laugh about as a, as as a comedian. So. I uh, hope to hear you many more times on David's show as 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 things allow. But uh, just wanted to let you know uh, how much I how much I appreciated your work and uh, continue to appreciate uh, as I'm listening to you on uh, Friday's show. Thank you so much. Bye bye. Okay, Liam. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to the... Can I just say, uh, if God forbid something happens to me in the next month or so and I get really sick, yes, uh, I can promise you my, my family does not want you to forward any voicemails from your listeners. Okay. Well, folks, I have an announcement to make. <laughs> Liam McEnany is no longer with us. Well, oh, hang on. I lost my... Hang on. Get it because they're sharing. It had it been done, yeah. you know, in real time, it would have been funny. But it's not okay. That was very sweet. That was very uh, sweet. I didn't want to say anything. Yeah. Say anything. By the way, I just wanted to tell your listeners: uh, SiriusXM is doing free streaming, like a free internet streaming. They're giving out free internet accounts until May fifteenth. Uh, so oh, okay. And you work for Sirius. Don't you work for Sirius? I get played on Sirius a lot, and I supply, I, I produce content that they play, and I'm a stockholder now. Hmm. So uh, I guess you're supposed to disclose that now when you're a media celebrity like I am, and you're, you're recommending a product that you're invested in. Especially on this show. Especially have, on this show. We have standards and practices. Okay, voicemail. Yeah. So anyway, you can go to SiriusXM.com and uh, sign up for an account. Uh, you can drop my name. I, I drop your name. Why don't you drop McEnany? Too late. I wish I'd done that early. Like, honestly, when I started, when I was 19 or 20, I wish I'd done that. I think it would have made my life a lot easier. Right. But you know what, man? Like, uh, you just mis- make mistakes when you're young, and you got to live with them. That's all. McEnany sounds like a guy named McCann who's had too many trying to pronounce his last name. Yeah, yeah, I hear that. Right. I mean, honestly, I think like uh, I've lost a lot of opportunities over the years having that, that kind of and lacking any name. talent. Lacking any talent, just I don't know. You know, the breaks came easier to some other people, I guess. And there's a point where you say, like, what's the point of even continuing? You know, like uh, maybe it's time to cash it all in. You know. All right, let's move just, on. Just uh, go back to school. Become a veterinarian. What's Maybe uh, go to the army and get your veterinary training there, and then uh, and then when you become a civilian, you're you're a veteran veterinarian who's also a veteran. Uh, and if you served in Vietnam, then you're a Viet vet 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 who can then serve on a board that vets other vet vets while driving your vet. Okay. 
Mm. Oh, I hope I get played on your show. Hey, David and <laughs> Liam, I've heard that you're both really gorgeous and well hung. This is Sid in Santa Rosa, and I'm a triple Taurus, Venus and Gemini, and uh, I just got a great job at a, a local casino and before this uh, whole infected snot thing came out. <clears throat> but anyway, one of the security guys came out, a uh, tall guy, uh, Indian guy, and we were talking about the coronavirus, and he pointed up to the ceiling and said, he hates us. I went, what? Who's he? God. I go, oh, no, God loves us. He just prefers viruses. Anyway, <laughs> love your show. And, um, yeah, um, I'm staying with my boyfriend in another town. Not bad, 2,200 square feet, like 0.7 acres. I brought my cat and my computer, and we're doing fine. I just wash my hands until there's no fingerprints. Love you. Bye-bye. <laughs> Sounded like Phil Hendry. Yeah. Didn't it? Sounded like that guy you used to hang out with all the time. What are you talking about? That guy who used to hang out with and also was your roommate back in that one bedroom you used to rent. Oh, with only one bed? Yeah, with only one bed. Yeah. It was your cousin or something like that. I, yeah, I, t- I said it was my cousin. You know, when I was, uh, <clears throat> when I was, uh, when I was a kid, my best friend in grade school, his mom, uh, she was a single mom with three kids and her best friend lived with them. And because there weren't enough rooms in the house, her best friend had to share the bed with her. And it took me until I was about 29 years old to figure that one out. That they didn't have enough beds, right? That they, yeah, that they were very poor. <laughs> also, uh, well, I haven't mentioned his name. I can say this. Uh, one time we were like, uh, you know, we were like 10. A bunch of us were hanging out trying to figure out how gay guys had sex. Because, like, we had an idea of how men and women had sex because we had sex ed very early in New York City public schools. Because uh, we learned all about sex but not about geography. Um, but but, uh, but this kid was like, uh, was like, hey, well, I know when two women have sex, one of them puts a fake penis on. So maybe when two men have sex, one of them puts a fake vagina on. And it wasn't until I was 29 when I figured that one out, too. And I was like, uh-oh. Well, how old were you when you learned about the birds and the bees? I don't know. Uh, I'm 29 now, so about 29. <laughs> Why do they call it the birds and the bees? Shouldn't it be the birds and the birds and the bees and the bees? This, is, this causes bestiality. Or the birds and the birds and the one bee who has a lot of cocaine? Yes, yes. Well it's said. It's because bees have stingers. Yes, okay. Which, which are phallic. Yes, clipping number 28. It is in Franken here reporting to the David Feldman Show from a shtetl in bed, stay inside or die, Brooklyn. <laughs> is this, is this Citizen Hitler? Die, Brooklyn. What? Is this Citizen Hitler? Oh, come on. <sighs> They're having bit. problems in bed, stay. A little bit anti-Semitic, but okay, go for the it. The orthos aren't. We'll roll with it. They're not social distancing. Okay. No, they're not. No, the Hasids, the Hasids are. Uh, it's weird because the Hasids are uh, protected from the virus by God, but yet also they're getting the virus in crazy numbers. Yeah, we want them to have the antibodies. Yeah. Well, I guess uh, I guess if you have no body because you're dead. <laughs> 
well, it's an antibody. We have a problem with religious people in this country. Right. But, uh, yeah. Okay. Let's let's continue. Okay. Let's let's get back to this uh, Charles Lindbergh esque parody of the Jewish. Oh, Jewish accent. Somebody's watching the plot against America. I haven't watched it yet. Uh, I just he was the first notorious anti-Semite I could think of. Yes, he was. Okay, I'm sorry. I'll, uh, more. Uh, let's get back to this. Uh, I mean, you know David how Feldman tired ex- I am and depressed. How's that? That he hated the Jews so much. His plane was originally called. <laughs> The spirit of don't Jew us. <laughs> the spirit of don't Jew us. Because it was called the spirit of St. Louis. So <laughs> he, he went changed. with the first rhyme he could think of. <laughs> That's some lazy writing. Uh-huh. Uh, the spirit of don't Jew us. That would be fun to write Charles Lindbergh uh, as an anti-Semite jokes. <laughs> if you could have a sense of humor and be funny. but Yeah, he was so anti-Semitic. He was immediately embraced in France as a hero. <laughs> <laughs> I, he didn't even have to fly the Atlantic. He was already... <laughs> He was a hero they were, just for anti-Semitism. That's so fucking funny, Liam. Yeah, he landed. They were like, oh, you were coming by plane. <laughs> <laughs> wow. What a great joke that Thank you. one that even I don't get. <laughs> no, that's you a know, great joke. The less money there is at stake for me to write, the easier it gets. Well, people have to understand that anti-Semitism began in France. Uh, Well, I mean, I wish the French could be blamed for that, but they, they, you know, 20th century anti-Semitism. Anyway, let's finish (laughs) this anti-Semitic. I feel like the Germans uh, in the hot zone. (laughs) There are ambulances going by every 10 minutes. The other day I went out for food and I saw Rabbi Lipschitz. Rabbi Lipschitz, Rabbi Lipschitz, don't come any closer, I said. He's coming to me with his open arms. No, Rabbi Lipschitz, no, stay. Finally, he stopped. He said, I just wanted to tell you that now I agree with you about Trump. He should bury his head in the ground and grow like an onion. I said, okay, Rabbi Lipschitz, okay, I see you. And, and tell everybody, please, Rabbi Lipschitz, tell everybody, please, stop kissing the mezuzah. Stop kissing the, the mezuzah. It would be good to hear from other citizens around the country. This is citizen for, for guessing, citizen flunking. Uh, goodbye. Why is it anti-Semites know more about Jewish culture than Jews do? Because they're Jewish. <laughs> sure, nobody hates a Jew like a Jew. All right. Uh, it's a uh, well. He got one part of the impression down, which was he was long-winded and had no point. <laughs> All right, moving on. Today from the reading. Hello, it's John Hayes. Um, hey, John Hayes, the guy who showed up for possibly the last live performance of Liam at the <laughs> Improv. We can hope. Before the uh, epidemic or pandemic led to uh, the situation we're currently in. So, uh, 
I'm calling about Jennifer Vertolin. I find her quite in, engaging and uh, she's hot. Has a lot of uh, interesting insights on animals, etc. However, she did mention going shopping and having a hard time buying eggs for her protein needs. And um, as a vegan, I can strongly assert that she does not eat eggs to have protein. Uh, mm. I feel like she knows this, but mm -hmm. um, I get picking abused, up what he's putting down. Cows are abused horribly. Mm -hmm. Not just that are killed for meat. There's a kind of meat that John abuses horribly. Be nice. It's going to give her a meat. Maybe she's heard of the movie Game Changers, a documentary about some amazing vegan athletes. I suggest checking that out. That's right. John's got a protein source. I don't get it. It's not from a cow, but you can milk it. It's vegan if the animal gives it willingly. Oh, I don't get it. <laughs> you really don't get it? Of course I get it. Uh, All right. Next next one. Hello, it's John Hayes. Oh. <laughs> it's the Citizen Flunkin nice. reporting to the David Feldman Show from Brooklyn. <laughs> Again, I ran into Rabbi Lipschitz. So every time I leave the house now, there he is with his pushka, as if nothing is happening. He wants Passover gout now. Rabbi Lipschitz, please, you must leave me alone. I don't have time to give you guilt. We want Passover to pass over already. Right now, money. I'm on my way to get a new phone. My phone broke in the middle of everything. And I got to go to Fulton Street. So then, as I'm walking to Fulton Street, a bona fide crazy guy was licking his palms and touching things. Then he saw me. He got excited. He licked his palms, one first the left hand, then the right hand, and now he's showing me his palms, and he's coming right towards me. I backed away, and then I said, stop with the murder-suicide. Please, I deal already with the Orthodox community, with them kissing the mezuzah. I don't know why he stopped walking towards me. He, he turned around, and he walked away with his wet hands until he got to the bus stop, and he touched things on the bus stop, and then he licked his hands again. This was a good lesson to not touch anything. I, I won't even touch myself anymore. This is Citizen Plonkin. Reporting from Brooklyn. Hmm. Remember uh, yesterday when I said, uh, oh, my God. Uh, when I said it must be tough to have an audience that's funnier than you? Yeah. Well, uh, I, I stick with that. Wait, is that you or is that still the voicemail? That's the voicemail. Oh, my God. This guy's just gonna skin you for your for your, he's gonna wear you wear you like a suit. All right. The guy who showed up for Hang on. <laughs> You're drunker than your audience today. Oh, that's Citizen Flonkin. Live. There we go. Mr. Feldman, hello. My name's Timothy, a longtime listener from North Central Wisconsin. 
Uh, I just wanted to call and offer my condolences um, to the Sutre family um, and yourself. Uh, since you have had him on the show for a long time, I've always enjoyed hearing his comedy and his uh, segments. It also kind of made me uh, wonder if you had a comedy album, because I know you're really good about promoting your guests' comedy albums. Uh, it would be neat if there were a collection of uh, Sute bits that could uh, live on beyond him. Um, and on a similar note, I also wanted to put in a plug for Liam's two albums, Working Class Fancy and Comedian. Uh, they are very, very funny. Shit. Um, Let's turn that out there. Um, and also in that vein, I think you are selling yourself short because your Left Without Paying album is amazing. I was rolling on the floor laughing. It's so good. <clears throat> uh, you definitely should be promoting that more, I think. But um, wow, that's all I've got. Long time, first time. Uh, thanks for your patience with me. Uh, take care of yourself. Uh, bye-bye. That was very sweet. Thank that you. That was except, very sweet. Thank except you. the part about your albums. Oh, uh, uh, did Dr. J pass? He's very sick. He's very sick, but he didn't actually pass. No, away. he's on the show today. Okay, good. Because I, I thought he was. I, I thought he was still with us, but the, these guys are talking like he's already dead. Well, he's very sick. He's very sick, but you know what? People are getting better from this thing. So, oh, he doesn't have the COVID nineteen. That's different. Oh, it is? Yeah. Oh, shit. Okay. I honestly haven't been paying close attention. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mr. Feldman, hello. Well, okay, I think last voicemail. Here we go. Is this Citizen Flonkin again? I hope so. Always leave him laughing. That's what Citizen... Mo- What's that? Mo- that's what your mother said. Citizen Flonkin... Sounds like Rupert Pupkin. Yeah, there is a thing there where I don't want to be mean. I'll be mean. Uh, Go ahead. No, 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 don't do it because you know what? I, I, I Don't do it. He, he will assault you. You know, we got to be nice to everybody right now. <laughs> they, these are tough times. We have to be these nice. Are, these are tough times. You know what? At least the Jews aren't being blamed for it. That's all I can say. Well... There's still time. <laughs> Every time the president calls it the Chinese virus, I'm like, as long as it isn't the Passover virus. Mm-hmm. Woo! That was good. Jews dodged Hey, look, 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 look. I, I look like I'm a vagina <laughs> neck, don't I? Do you see that? Oh, you have a filter on. Sorry, I didn't know. I, I could just go like this. I'm vagina neck. Vagina face. You know, uh, I'm going to keep this and unveil it tonight. <laughs> yeah, David, uh, you might want to keep the achingly sincere voicemails about dying people to the very end of the segment, because that shit is hard to come back from. Here, look, I'm a vagina face. <laughs> I hope the folks look- listening to this are really enjoying your physical comedy. All right. Well, if they sign up for the Zoom meeting. They can uh, see uh, vagina face. I do look yeah. like a, like a like a vagina face, don't I? Hello, David. Uh, this is uh, Frank in Minnesota, and I just want to talk for five minutes about this uh, these thirteen kids that all died of leukemia on the same day. 
All right, I'll talk to you later. Uh, All right, like a, and back I look to like comedy. A belly button, don't I? Back to comedy. Don't I look like a belly button? Yeah. <laughs> Go. All right, last. I don't ever want to meet the person, human being that looks has a belly button like that. <laughs> okay, here we go. Uh, last voicemail. Yeah. Hello, it's Lane. Uh, I'm ringing from my five-year-long quarantine den with uh, just a, a handy hint uh, for those of you struggling with uh, things to do. Um, Donkey! You've got to bear in mind, nobody's going to visit. Nobody's going to come around. Nobody's going to come and see you. I so don't you're pretty much at liberty to do anything. But when you're all alone and trapped, you have no liberty. However, there is one way out. Get naked. Walk around your house absolutely but naked because nobody's coming. Nobody's going to come and see you. You can walk around with nothing on. You can place genitalia on favorite furniture items. And then once all this bullshit is blown over and, you know, one day you may have an altercation with a loved one in said well. <laughs> and, you know, you could be, well, you know, we're arguing about this now, but 12 months ago, on that very same coffee table, I rested my balls. And you win. You win that argument. Anyway, more to come. All right. So I got to say, yeah, this guy, funny. Lane, is a very aggressively pleasant I love presence Lane. in my social media feed. Yeah, we love Lane. Damn oh. Hang on. I'm still going. It's Bill Bray. Irritable immunologist, you're on live with Liam McEnany. Say hello to the irritable immunologist. Hey, how you doing, buddy? Your Apple device may have been compromised. <laughs> hey, everybody, how's it going? Hey, we're doing hey. listener mail, and uh, how are you doing? Liam, have you met I'm, the... I'm, why, why aren't you guys being a little more gender balanced with your, with your listeners? I mean... You mean... Uh, we, go ahead. All right. Uh, the irritable immunology, your timing was perfect because we were just wrapping up listener questions. And I literally was about to ask him, what do you think? What's the end game here, Liam? And instead of asking Liam. Yeah, let's uh, ask an expert. Let's ask an expert, the irritable immunologist, who is literally fighting. I'm an expert at end games. I don't know. Maybe, Maybe opening games. I don't know. I feel like. I've never played chess with Liam, so I, I, don't, I don't know what's happened. I, so, uh, in all seriousness, because that's the way this show has been today. It's pretty ah. serious. Any good news? Any Anything that we can hold on to? Uh, there's, yes. There's um, uh, a really productive Chinese group has... Uh, basically solve the structure of a uh, protease that COVID-19 SARS-CoV-2 uses. They generated a small molecule that inhibits that protease, and then they went through and streamed an enormous number of other compounds, and they found one called Epsilon that works really, really well. That's not been medically approved anywhere, but it's been around for years and has a, has a very, oh, very high toxicity relative to its efficacy in this. So it may be that that will be fast-tracked in more than one country in terms of investigating it in humans. So, yeah, I, I think that's kind of good news. 
can the Trumps get rich off it? Because it seems like if the Trumps can get rich off it, then we could really fast track this thing. <laughs> I mean, we should we should suggest it. We should, uh, yeah, we, we should all get together and put together basic suggestions of bizarre medications that Trump can then attempt to monetize and make mm-hmm. lots of money off of. Right. Because, yeah, that seems to be the way to trumpet it. I, I, I don't think so. This, I mean, this stuff has been examined for a number of different uses. Uh, uh, psychiatric stuff, I think they were, they were trying to use it as a drop-in for lithium a few years ago. Uh, so it's, it's pretty well tolerated. Again, not anything you'd want to dose yourself with. Don't ever take medical advice from David Feldman's show, um, ever. But, um, yeah, this, this looks really good. Uh, if it makes a difference to you, Dave, if it'll lift your spirits, the EC50 is less than five micromolar. So, bam, bam, good news. Everybody party. <laughs> so, bam. so yeah. we're My getting... We're seeing a reduced number of cases in places like China, South Korea, Taiwan, Singapore. People in Wuhan are getting back to uh, going out in public and shopping again. Right. When will we know that uh, America is open for business? When will we know that it's safe? (laughs) I don't know why you would be asking me that. Um, You know, later. Later, not now, later. I think that's, <laughs> you know, actually, I think that's the answer. I got a question for you. Uh, there's I didn't a st- do it. I didn't know she was your sister. She said she was 21, Liam. She <laughs> no, said no, no, she you, was 21. You're not OJ. Don't worry. Uh, I uh, No, no, my question is, uh, so there's a study now. They're studying whether or not uh, this came through California uh, earlier mm. in the winter, starting in November. Uh, when I and a bunch of people I know got really sick with symptoms very similar to COVID nineteen, so my question is: if it turns Ooh. out, if it turns out that uh, that I and by the way I got that twice, and then I got like what felt like a really bad cold two weeks after. So that's a great question, Liam. So no, but my question is: it is. But here's here's my my question is: uh, if it turns out I had it, would my body then have the antibodies to fight it so that I could go out in public and not be worried and not have to wear a mask or gloves or like, am I at risk of getting it again? If I did indeed, it turns out I have, I have the antibodies in my system. If they ever are able to give me a test for it. Uh, hopefully. Yes. There's, you know, there's some anecdotal reports that reinfection may be possible. Um, as far as I've seen those, those are at least, there's as much a question about whether this is a failure of uh, the way the test was performed mm. uh, as, as much as, as a, oh, a demonstration of that per se. So I, I think the answer is hopefully. He called me per se uh, again. I told you stop <laughs> yeah. calling me per se. Go ahead. No, he took you to oh, take you to dinner per you. se. Oh, I'm sorry. I interrupted right. you. Uh, but that was um, a good question yeah. because a lot of people – are saying mm. a lot of people say that they had similar symptoms to the coronavirus and an earlier flu. Mm. But I maintain sure. that if you talk to anybody who had the coronavirus, there's no flu like it. That you think you had. I mean, I, I, well, yeah, I didn't, maybe I, I, I don't have, I don't have enough information really. Well, I didn't think well, I, I had the flu. I didn't I, like uh, there at no point was I like, man, this feels like it felt like no flu I'd ever had. I was really, really sick 
two weeks at a time for uh, almost two months. Ugh. That sounds that sounds terrible. And this wasn't the symptoms didn't arise immediately after listening to David Feldman's podcast. Is that <laughs> Well, I, I did listen to his album, Left Without Pain, now that you think about it. Oh, well, let oh, me ask God. you a, a serious question. That's the vector. Okay. Uh, you know, <laughs> real, real quick, Liam, did, were, you, uh, were you getting rhinitis? Were you, did you have the sort of standard symptomology seen here? Was there like fever, dry cough, almost no sneezing, almost no runny nose? Was it that sort of thing? You know, it's really funny. Uh, I didn't get a runny nose. I got, uh, I was warm. I wasn't feverish. Uh, I also didn't have a, a thermometer then, so I couldn't tell you for sure uh, what my temperature was. Uh, I was weak. I uh, at times unfunny, unfunny. I was, I was unfunny. Uh, any anyone who anyone who listened to the show at that during that time can tell you I had a really bad cough that lasted forever. Uh, and then yeah. the th- and then the third time I got sick, I got sick with like a like just a runny nose and what felt like a really bad head cold, and that lasted about a week. Ugh. I mean, I, I would be fairly surprised if, if you would have acquired something in November unless you were you were gallivanting back and forth from Wuhan, as, as I believe is your want. But I, I think you had held off this year, right? Like you couldn't afford it. So well, well what they're saying is something else. Well, the, re- the reason why they suspect uh, California might have gotten a coronavirus already is uh, this is the number one place for Chinese tourists to visit. So, like uh, California, the west, the west coast, uh, San Francisco, but especially Los Angeles are just—they're always thronged with Chinese tourists. And believe me when I say, uh, "Enough's enough." All right. You know what? Well, I mean, yeah, they all—they all come out to California just to like ogle the potholes and be like, "They think they have a functioning government." Look at that. All right. Let's the irritable immunologist. Is doing, yeah, I, I, sorry, sorry, I'm not, just just not an MD there, buddy. So I, no, 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 it's all right. I mean, I, but I figured you're Liam? okay. Good. Oh, yeah, yeah. All right. We have to show, but, but it's you know maybe it's possible. I think the uh, you know possibly even Boney's group at, at Penn State just did a phylogenetic analysis of a couple hundred sequence samples of the virus from around the world, and they they grouped them into three clusters. I, I don't think they were seeing anything that would indicate that, but, you know, I, I okay. wouldn't completely rule it out. Okay. Okay. David's getting impatient because I'm actually asking good questions well, on Well, I have podcast. a good question that's smart and rooted in science, okay? Not <laughs> anecdotal. Oh, I had a cold. Could it have been? Uh, let's talk about gene sequencing for a second, please, irritable immunologist. You talked about antibodies. Uh, yeah, yeah. Is there such a thing as uncle bodies? To go along with the antibodies. <laughs> oh, 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 you're giving Liam shit for a question. Oh. It's been like this uh, oh. all afternoon. Hey, what are you doing? Wow. To, what are you doing? Do you want to come on? Oh, you're too. The guy is working on a cure for COVID 19. Uh, it's going to take me a while. <laughs> uh, gonna, well, I, see, man, we're, we're actually. Um, there's already a couple of institutions down here that have uh, spun up their biosafety level three facilities to maximum capacity. We're, we're going to be collaborating with one of them. We may have biosafety level three facility um, going, going one, one of these days as well. So it's, it's possible I'll be in a moon suit sweating my butt off uh, 
I'll be able to go to the bathroom for eight hours. It's done. <laughs> so we'll see. Well, Liam and I are in a moon suit, sweating our butts off, but that's because... Uh, sure, but that's a fetish. That's a <laughs> fetish. I'm not talking about that kind of moon suit. I oh thought David God. meant because we're both I, I so full of cheese. <laughs> Oof, I can't believe you let him talk, talk you know. into getting into that thing, Liam. I mean, wow. Oh, well. Well, so, so you you were you were asking about uh, it wasn't a real question. It wasn't. Yeah. A real so, um, I just we I wanted to sure, sure, let's, let's let's talk about anybody's real quick since since I'm on the phone and I like my aunts. Um, well, I don't <laughs> don't know about their bodies. Um, anyway, so there's when when you're taking anybody's from somebody else uh-huh. and putting it into you. That's going to be called a passive immunization because those antibodies, you're not producing those. I feel like I, I should have disambiguated that a little bit uh, a couple times ago when I talked to you. Mm-hmm. And so when, when you're injecting, you take Liam's antibodies. You're, you're harvesting Liam for his antibodies, for his serum, because uh, you, you're a bastard like that. And can I just, can I just interject? Uh, it's um, cheaper. For 20 bucks. you can get David's mommy body. Ooh, wow, that's right. I, that seems more that seems pricier than I would have expected. But, uh, All right. Let's just say it isn't passive. Yeah, it's like so. So transfer of antibodies from somebody who's produced them or has, that have been produced into a lab into you is called passive immunity because it doesn't last very long, but it works fairly well for a week or two uh-huh. uh, to to pull stuff out of out of your your blood and, and secretions if it's a secretory antibody, but. But when you get a vaccination, an immunization, or contract something like Liam may have had, uh, you're developing antibodies internally to yourself, and the cells that secrete those antibodies are going to hang out in your body for a while and be able to really really mount an aggressive response if they're confronted with the same thing again within the next, oh, it's a coronavirus, a couple of years. Right. Before you go, and, and thank you for for calling in and it's an honor it really is the virus is believed to be spread no it's not uh, quit lying to your audience like that respiratory <laughs> respiratory droplets liam was complaining about runners oh uh, yes people oh, running sure so uh-huh. if, if somebody runs past you uh-huh. in a park are they are they naked no, but they're you know I'm, it's more about a narrow sidewalk, and oh, so it's yeah, just yeah, like running you. and fucking sweating uh, half an inch away from my body as they pass. Can can you get infected? Well, that's well, probably not from their sweat, but yeah, the you know there's been a lot of work on. Oh, I think we talked about this briefly, but typically something that's considered airborne is transmissible in really, really, really tiny particles that can hang out in the air really well. There's some evidence that could be the case here. I, I don't know if that transmission's actually been demonstrated at all. And the studies that have shown that, there was recently one about uh, mask usage uh, in, in, uh, in patients, uh, which is a really good idea. Um, they're usually testing for the presence of the viral RNA, which doesn't necessarily mean the virus is viable. Uh, in many cases, it's probably not. So uh, some of the stories about, oh, crap, they tested this cruise ship, and three weeks later they found virus. 
they did an RT-PCR test and found the viral RNA, um, which is wrapped up in a, in a protein that keeps it pretty stable. But that doesn't mean the whole virus is still operational. But yes, back to your question, potentially, Liam, if they if they had a you know a, a massive wearing coronavirus infection ran right by you and coughed in your general direction. Yeah, yeah, that, I suppose that could be possible. Yeah. But, not, but not if doors, especially, especially in the sun, I, I wouldn't be hugely concerned unless it's right next to you. What about Just elevators? Those, so, what about elevators? Yeah, what about what elevators? elevators? Do, they, do they go up and down? Is that what your question is? Well, you get into an or, elevator after somebody was sneezing or something. Yeah, enclosed space, right? <laughs> enclosed space. I mean, potential transmission in, in both droplets and possibly smaller particles. So, yeah, that that's a potential concern. I mean, I, I know in your palatial penthouse, David Feldman, you have a copper-clad elevator, which would probably be helpful to DAA viruses on surfaces. Yes. But for the rest of us, in the hoi polloi, the rest of us filthy plebeians and proletarians, um, unless we have, you know, brass-covered elevators, it's certainly possible, yeah. It's an enclosed, unless it's aggressively filtered. If you're right there next to someone in an enclosed space and they're coughing and they have a full-blown infection, you, you could you could readily pick it up. Okay. And that well, includes an elevator. Right. Now, here's last my question. question. I have yeah. a question. Can I right. ask this a question? This is your last then? question, Liam. This okay. is my last question. Okay. Let's say... Uh, just for argument's sake, you were watching a show about a Vietnam vet who was working. Oh, this is a good question. This is a scientific question. I just want to point out that the irritable immunologist works right. like 20 hours a day coming up with a cure right. for this virus. That's an exaggeration. <laughs> but you are working hard. You're doing the most important work right now. You're, doing, you're, an es- you're essential, and you're doing the right. Lord's work. And Liam is a comedian, but right. he is but right, I, and, and he, he does have an important question. That, and you're a medical professional, so I think you're the guy who's, uh, who's most qualified to actually answer this. Uh, let's say you're watching a, a TV show about a veteran of the Vietnam War uh, who has been working as a veterinarian for a very long time, and he also volunteers on the local board. Yes. Wait, wait. Okay. And he volunteers on the local board that grants veterinarian licenses to other veterans and he drives a Corvette and it was called Viet Vet 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 Vets Vet Vets and his vet. Would you watch it? I mean, I, I think I would have to hate watch it at least the first episode merely on the title alone, <laughs> uh, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a, you know, Nielsen audience, but I don't think it'll be too much help for you. I got you know, I, I got a backlog of, of documentaries here, Liam. So that's you know. Well, yeah, Liam all, proves that you know, very boring. Liam proves once again that comedians are truth tellers. They are, <laughs> and it's an honor to to, uh, to hang out with comedians. They say the things <laughs> other people are, have too much self respect. to. Uh, <laughs> all right, irritable. Absolutely, irritable. We'll Absolutely. Do, thank you. We'll, we'll do a. Uh, I've been studying and reading, and I'm going to use the weekend to. Uh, well, yeah. Well, actually, the, real quick before I before I let you go, Dave, I know you're itching to get off the phone and and you know talk some more with with Liam about potential TV shows. But the, a compound that I mentioned um, 
the epsilon, which is a organic or organoselenide, that's not super important, but it's it's blocking up the core protease of SARS-CoV-2, which is a little bit different from other stuff that we've talked about. So I think last time I, I talked to you a little bit about translation, about running mRNA through a ribosome to generate a polypeptide and effectively a protein. Well, the the really fascinating thing about coronavirus is one of many is that their genome, when it gets run through, it all comes out basically as a single polyprotein. So there's all of these little proteins. There's probably 25 plus different proteins that it has, and they're all chained together. And the core thing, the protease, that's one of those pieces has to cut itself out and then has to cut them all apart separately. And so this particular compound has just been found to be very, very active, reasonably well tolerated, and in humans previously, interferes with that action directly. Um, and now that I'm done talking about interfering with that action, I, uh, I leave you back to, uh, to talk to Liam about interfering with his action <laughs> in the future. Well, so. uh, Liam wants to know if there's such thing as a golly genome. Sorry. Wow. Okay. Wow. You know what? Wow. This is at the end of the wow. show, and uh, and I'm going to let you go. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, can I swear filthily for like 30 seconds? Well, you goddamn good. Right. We, we, you're, you are. The listeners love you, and and I don't want to waste your time. I'm going to study. Well, I'm, I'm sorry. I feel, I feel like your listeners may not have had as excellent a taste as I initially assumed that they were. <laughs> um, Okay. I, I have okay. to say, you you sound a little less irritable than I was expecting. Oh, you sound I'm, more like I'm the giddy, uh-huh. You sound more like the more like the good natured immunologist. Well, we well, I, I'm I'm very excited. Clearly, Liam, I'm incredibly excited about the crystal structure of non-structural protein five, the uh-huh. MPRO protease being solved, and the compound being found that inhibits it. That's been used in humans for years and years, although it hasn't been approved for anything specifically. So I'm really excited about that. And to be perfectly honest, I'm really excited to talk to Liam McEnany. Hey, I have an idea for a second. Stand up, dude. I have, a, I have an idea. I was, just, I was complimenting another one of your guests. You can't interrupt me. Oh, actually, no, that is, that is when you would expect to interrupt me. Go yeah, ahead. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he hates that. Yeah, you can't compliment yeah. Liam. Yeah, Why, we that. should do, when you have time, we should do a segment on this show where I ask you a question and Liam has to figure out whether or not you're bullshitting us. Well, that sounds like an excellent, excellent segment. I'm being or, serious. We have to guess, is, is he telling us the truth or is this just double talk? Or a segment where... Yeah, no, you, that good. A segment where you, uh, you explain something scientifically for a minute and then I have to prove that I actually listened to the entire thing beginning to end. All right. We'll figure <laughs> I don't have much of an attention span. We'll I figure don't have much yeah. attention I'm, span. I'm going to let you go. Thank you for your work, and thank you for being a part of this show. I, yeah, thank I you for really your work. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for uh, your service. Thank you. Irritable, yeah. irritable yeah. immunologist. Thank you. Thank you. All right, guys, have fun. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And he'll be back later as Jackie the Joke Man. (laughs) (laughs) The guy's a genius. Who, Jackie? Yeah, and this guy isn't...
dumb either. All right. Uh, we got to wrap You You di- accidentally dialed me into your Jackie uh, interview. We did? You did. You don't remember? It was very know. confusing. All right. We get some sleep because we have a busy night. We're going to do uh, do the, uh, what are we calling it? Office hours with Liam Office and hours. Office hours with Liam and David. It's going to be an experiment uh, in uh, David's uh, skills as a producer. Mm-hmm. should be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. How long do you think it's going to last? Uh, well, uh, I'll be there for an hour. <laughs> All right. If you want an invitation, go to davidfeldmanshow.com, hit the contact button, say, hey. Hey. Uh, hey. I'd like hey. hey. Oh. And there is a possibility that we may get 100 people, in which case we'll see, you know, we'll have to figure out how to do this. Liam's comedy CD is Working Class Fancy. Tell Your Friends is the name of his podcast. And check out a free trial subscription of SiriusXM. They constantly play uh, my comedy and comedy that I uh, produce uh, for other people. Hmm. Any chance you're going to be uh, asking me to do stand-up on one of your shows? Well, if... uh... (laughs) If live stand-up ever comes back and it's safe to travel to New York City ever in the future, uh, I actually would like to come and uh, and record a show, and you are welcome to attend uh, for free. I'll give you a – well, not for free. I'll give you a half-off code. All right. Stay on the line, Liam. All right, David Feldman. See you tonight. Uh, see you tonight, buddy. You're listening to the David Feldman Radio Program, you sad, pathetic hump. Let's go to Malibu, California, where my childhood hero is standing by. Growing up, my father said to me, there are two people whose feet you have to worship at, Ralph Nader and the former mayor of Fort Lee, New Jersey, the man who not only took on the mob, but he also took on Bernie Madoff, Please welcome my hero, Bert Ross. So let me get it right. Your dad wanted you to worship my feet? Yes. Okay. Just wanted to want to understand that. So uh, you're, you're doing this whole intro, even though I was on a week ago. You, you don't have people who watch two weeks in a row? I just want to... Weeks in a row. Clean slate. We have a lot of new listeners, a lot of new listeners. You're also a a humor columnist for the Malibu Times. I want to ask you how you're holding up during this pandemic, and I want to ask you about your Seder. I understand you had a a, a Seder the the previous night, but I came up with a brilliant idea. You know, this is what I do, Bert, and I'm really proud of this idea, and I want you to support me on this, okay? Will you support me on this idea? Uh, I would like to hear the, the the idea first. Okay, I put people together. I don't have any uh, inherent talent. 
my skill is putting people together. And I realized that I have two guests whose last names are Ross. There's John Ross and Bert Ross. And I thought what a, it would be great to do a segment where John Ross and Bert Ross get to talk to one another because both their last names are Ross. It's got to work. So please introduce. You, I'm going to introduce. You are, you are a fucking brilliant human being, I tell you. Thank you. Your new best friend, he's a Jersey boy, and he comes to us from Deerfield, Massachusetts. Please welcome John Ross, who has the same exact last name as Bert Ross. So this segment is going to be golden. Will Ross, brother. Hello. Now, how are you, brother? I'm well, thank you. (laughs) I do a pretty fair Bert (laughs) Ross impression. (laughs) <laughs> so I could that, sounds, do that sounds like this. Bernie uh, Sanders. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> I I will I'll spare you my Bert Ross impression. Here's my question for you, Bert. What was your last name originally when you were? I was going, that's hysterical because I was going to ask you the same question. My, I was. You may be related. I, I I don't think so. I was born a Ross. Uh, my father was born a Rosowski, and ah. all of his brothers changed their name to Ross, and he was in the family business. It got a little awkward when all these guys said, you know, Ross, 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 and he was my brother Rosowski. So he changed it. And uh, how about you, John? My dad was Alvin Rosenblatt. And mm-hmm. when he got back from the war, WW2, he yes. He decided uh, business might go a little better <laughs> if he got rid yes. of the blat. <laughs> so the black went especially, especially if he was doing a lot of business with Germans and Italians. He was selling Here's homes in New Jersey. He was selling prefab. It started out as prefab garages. Then it was prefab mm-hmm. homes, Plymouth homes. He put up a lot mm-hmm. of houses to the, all the guys who had the GI Bill when they came back. Where, where in Jersey? Where in Jersey did you live? Uh, I grew up in Long Branch. Mm-hmm. You know it? Have you been watching the uh, Plot Against America? No, that's on our list to watch, though. Yeah, be interested to hear how you. How about you, David? Yes, I should mention we're coming to you live from Liberty University. <laughs> we don't shelter in place because we've got Jesus. Well, I told you this segment would be fantastic. So How could far. it not be? So far, it's electric. It's it's incredible because <laughs> because your name is Ross and his name is Ross. How can it not work? How can it not work? Two Jersey boys growing up, John Ross in Jersey. Did you know about Bert Ross? Did you follow this story where he single handedly took on the mob like Liam Neeson? I, I'm afraid I didn't. I. I was a beach How old are you? How old are you, John? I'm 60. Yeah, so at the time I was 28, so you were about 11 years old or something. Not only do we have John Ross and Bert Ross, but there's Matt. We're doing math on the show. I want to say, if it were not for David's father putting him on the scent, David wouldn't have picked up on the Fort Lee story. No, no, he would. No, you don't understand because I'm from Anglewood, and 
Burt Ross, every Jewish girl in Anglewood and Tanafly and Teaneck was in now, love with Burt Ross. My, my aunt. How, did, well, how does that, excuse me, how, how does that, you're, you weren't a girl, so how. Because my sister, because when I met you again, when I did that benefit at Dwight Morrow High School, and you were yeah, in you were, were Burt Ross. You were so good, yes. Thank you. And my sister tugged on my shirt and she said, and she was batting her eyes and she was, She's married. She's married. It was disgusting. And she bad, She says, is that Burt Ross? Is it, go walk up to him and introduce yourself to Burt Ross for me. The women. You know what I said? Burt. You know what I said to her? You know, yeah. what, you know what I said to her? I said, it's so nice to meet you. I'm not Burt Ross. I'm John Ross. <laughs> <laughs> Worship my feet. Yeah, right. And wash my feet. They're a little dirty. The. Uh, I was at, um, apropos of nothing, actually, it has to do with math. The word math got me thinking. I was at a, um, of a Harvard function. Let's not go into a, an hour debate about you're not disliking Harvard. And somebody told me that across the living room was a famous mathematician who was apparently my class. And uh, so I went over to him and everything was around him like he was Einstein. He was fairly tall. And I looked up and I said, I have a, are you the famous uh, mathematician? He said, well, I'm a mathematician. And I said, I have a, I have a question for you. Each of my parents lived exactly, this is true, exactly through the day, 91 years and 20 days. What are the odds of having two parents who live exactly 91 years and 20 days? And he put his hand on his chin and he thought and he thought and 15 seconds, he said, I have the answer. I, and we're all looking like you could hear the computer going. I've never heard anything like that, seen anyone. Like he said, the odds of your parents each living 91 years and 20 days, the odds are very, very slim. And we started to laugh. And I looked up this guy. He, he's not only a famous mathematician, he does stand up. Oh. So that's the joke when you say mathematician. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, that's, let let me ask you how you're holding up. You are a humor columnist for the Malibu Times. How are you holding up? I don't know if you're able to be funny. I mean, can't do we I, have I, permission to laugh yet? Yes, yes. Look, you're a, you're a professional comedian. I'm not. The answer is you bet. That's but we do have way. permission to laugh. You. That's the only way we get through this shit. Okay. I mean, it's either that. It's alcohol, drugs, or laugh. I got a call. True story. I, I think called, John Ross hit the trifecta. <laughs> I was going to say, the, the listeners to this show have permission, but they're, they're missing one other element they need in order to laugh. Oh, yes. Yes, that's true. Something actually they have funny being said. Some, John said what? something funny has to be said for them to. Well, that, that's why you guys can do that. That, so you, is, uh, are you finding humor in the pandemic? Because in the past 10 years, your home in Malibu burnt down, correct? You, you don't actually have to remind me. I, I do recall. Okay. <laughs> it, uh, it, it's something that just hangs in there. Yeah. Bernie Madoff. Uh, I remember that you. too. Yeah, yeah, Bernie Madoff yeah, screwed yeah. you. And yeah. worst of all, I convinced you to start doing my show on a regular basis. <laughs> Well, that, 
Yeah. I'm, I'm hanging in. I, uh, I find humor in almost everything. I get a guy emails me a few days ago uh-huh. and he, he asks me a little bit like when, when you asked me about the show, you said, are you available? And uh-huh. the guy says, are you available for a call next week? Right. So I'm thinking to myself, is this, is this a trick question? LeBron James is available. So I, I said to him, because I'm a corporate guy, I, 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 said, yeah, I, I said, you know, let me, let me get back to you and see if I can fit you in. So I look at my calendar and I'm flipping the pages and everything's been canceled. My college reunion, trips to the dentist, trip to get my car fit, everything's <laughs> off. Between, between t- today or when the guy emailed me, and Labor Day, I had call my ex sister in law on her 80th birthday and call a friend of mine who's going to be 90. <laughs> That's it. Are you, are you available? I, I think I, so I called them back. I said, I can fit you in at 4 30 on Monday for a call. So that's where we're at. Uh, I, I, okay. The famous people here, the famous people here, it's even they're going crazy. Did you hear uh, Matthew McConaughey was playing? Bingo with senior citizens in South Carolina. I think it was Zooming them or something. Uh, he called a bingo game for them. He called a bingo game. I mean, this guy, once if he can't drive a Lincoln, he's out of business. <laughs> we have, I went over, I know all the stars here. I mean, Lady Gaga, Barbara Streisand. I went over to, to Bobby Dylan's house. People, some people don't know him, call him Bob or Robert. I know him, Bobby. I said, he tells me. He tells me he's working on a new song. He's just changing the lyrics. Uh, it's something, the lyric is, oh, mama, can this really be the end to be stuck inside of Malibu with the COVID-19 blues again? He, he told me that. He told you that? If you believe, if you believe that, I you, believe. Have, you have more serious problems than, than the virus, I can tell you. There's, these people are so lonely. They're getting rid of their bodyguards. They're opening the gates. I heard Lady Gaga, she was saying, could, could, could paparazzi come in and visit? I mean, something. These people have nothing to do. Are you watching the late night guys at, at night? Stephen Colbert, Conan. Um, and they're humming. Kimmel. They're doing it's it out hysterical. of their homes. Yeah, it's hysterical. They're, they're, you're used to performing without a, a laugh track, without an audience where it says laugh, applause, a band to accompany you, You're, you can do it the equivalent of radio, what we're doing now. Imagine, these guys are now in their basement and they, they tell jokes and there's silence, absolute silence. It doesn't matter if it's a terrible joke, if it's hysterical. And the only one who I think is pulling it off, I listen to Seth Meyer also, Jimmy Kimmel is pulling it off pretty well because he used to do radio. And somehow the rhythm, I think, is working better for him. But I, I find it fascinating to listen. John, I, you, I, have I you thought, listened to any of these guys tonight? I thought uh, Seth Meyer's closer looks are pretty much the same whether there's an audience there or not, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I, I laughed out loud at uh, something uh, he said, you know, Oh, what? what? You remember what it was? I'm trying to remember. It was the very last one that I saw. Something. Yeah. 
Um, do you the, think uh, the do you think the audiences sometimes hurt the comedy that it shouldn't be the audience dictating what the comedy is? It should be the comedians dictating what the con the comedy is. At some point, somebody like Seth Meyers or 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 Colbert shouldn't have to cater to an audience. They know what's funny. Get rid of the audience is what I'm saying. Well, I think that uh, if you were to ask all these guys, I, I would imagine that they can't wait to get back in front of a live audience. But look, you've done it. What's it sounds, the when, it you're doing, like, when you're doing stick on your podcast, how does that feel versus when you're in front of a, a, a live audience? I understand that when you're in front of a live audience, it doesn't appreciate. You told me once you were in, in I guess it was Reno, uh, not Reno, uh, uh, Lake Tahoe. And you, you just said you bombed twice. It was so bad. And, you know, and then you started to talk about the audience. Um, Jerry Seinfeld, uh, Seinfeld talks, he says it's never the audience's fault. He always says it's, I'm not, uh, my job is to understand who that audience is and to get them to laugh. I don't know. It's, when, not, my, it's not my business. Whether David is doing stand-up or his podcast, He's always trying to get rid of the audience. <laughs> and he generally does a pretty damn good job. Thank you. Thank you. You have actually a very distinct style. Uh, Who? You're, you. John it's Ross. at the end. I don't, I, I, you didn't tell me who John Ross is, other than he lives in Deerfield and came from New Jersey. I'm assuming John is a comedian? I was a, a comedian turned uh, television writer uh, turned gentleman farmer. He and grows everything except avocados, unlike you, Burt Ross. Burt yeah, Ross grows so avocados. Maybe well, we can I work out a well, trade. Maybe Burt can send him some avocados. Yeah. And, John, you can send him okay. some chicken manure. <laughs> I don't grow avocados. I have a tree that's about 20 years old that's humongous. And just, I, I was so concerned and strange when we, when we first came to the property after the house burned down and the, the tree was a little damaged by the fire. And I was, I think almost as sad about that as the house. And then fortunately, uh, the tree recovered and looks pretty good. Uh, I have a friend who is, is an actor. Uh, named Jonathan Banks. He's, uh, was in Better Call. He's one of the stars of Better Call Saul and he was in, uh, Breaking Bad. And he says they're the best avocados he's ever had. And one time I said, I think I gave him the, how to get on the property. I said, just help yourself. That son of a bitch stripped it. <laughs> stripped that tree. I, 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 from now on, I'm not telling him to come on the property so fast. When, but never here, trust here. the banks. That's when, the lesson. When I live, oh, 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 wait, excuse me, John. Yes, that you can't step on that. No. That was absolutely brilliant. I, I, it you was never trust was. the banks. It was brilliant. It was, Thank you. It was great, and and I, you just can't step on that. I'm sorry, John, but that was no, I, telling a story about Jonathan Banks and having that story end with David's conclusion was great. Yeah, and Liberty, the kids at Liberty. <laughs> Are laughing because when you say the word banks, they think of Jews. And they think, go ahead, John. Oh, I was, when I lived on the west side of LA, I had chickens even back then, and I used to do a trade with somebody who had 
an avocado, had a several avocado trees, and I would bring them fresh eggs, and I would get a big bag of avocados. When I lived in Santa Monica, I had chickens. No, you didn't. So Santa Monica oh, Boulevard, guys, I had you? chickens. At a donut shop, so, late at night, I had chickens. Chicken hawks. I, I ended up here on the West Coast, and you guys who have been on the West Coast ended up on the East Coast. What, John, you're, where is Deerfield? Is that where Deerfield Academy is? Yes. And that's where, in relationship to Boston, uh, is it closer to New Hampshire, near Exeter? I'm in western Massachusetts, the Pioneer Valley, and um, I'm between Brattleboro, Vermont, and Northampton, near the, okay. the five colleges. Yes. The five sisters. Okay, let, let's see if I can name them. The five uh, sisters? Amherst? Wait, yeah. am I right about Amherst? That's yeah. not one of the five sisters, though. I think it is. No, he said, no how can it be part of the five it's sisters? Sister. It's, it's an all-male school. No, it, no it's, it's probably co-ed now. Mount Holyoke. Mount Holyoke. Smith. Smith. University of Massachusetts. Yep. But that's not a five what? sister. No. I don't know. No. Faster. Maybe they call it the seven sisters now. Well, what, was, what was that girl's school? When I went to college, it was the most liberal uh, girl's school, anything. And yeah. I went there. I heard. I heard that if if you're a guy, you guaranteed you're going to be satisfied if you go to Bennington. Not me. I <laughs> I struck out. My batting average was as close to zero. I majored in college. I majored in begging. <laughs> my favorite word was please. That's that was it. I, I will tell you anyway. one of the my life is very is largely unchanged by this pandemic. Um, the biggest mm-hmm. change is that uh, my wife, who is a therapist, is now working from home, and my daughter, who is fifteen, is not is doing school from home. So everybody's at home all the time, and I can't get any privacy. So. I'm unable to take care of certain things that I'd like to be taken care of uh, because I have no privacy. That's like what cutting up uh, this year's crop of coeds in your basement abattoir. You win. <laughs> I, I, I hope your wife is listening to this. <laughs> if I put a gun in her head, she would prefer a bullet through her head to listen to this. If you put a gun to my head, John, yeah, I'd ejaculate. <laughs> I don't know what that meant. But here's the point. I know people are suffering just from listening to this. Yeah. But what good? You know, again, this is a pandemic. It's horrible. And people are truly suffering. You know, so I don't want to discount that. But in your first word bubble, John Ross, in your first world bubble, how have you used this positively? Uh, I think I wrote a couple of killer tweets. And that's what the world needs. We also need permission to laugh at your killer tweets. Yeah. Here's, here's, here was my financial tip was uh, get, use the money from your stimulus check to buy stock in body bag companies. Yes, that's cheerful. Right. Body bags. Yes. How about, how about this tip? 
for uh, making your toilet paper last longer. Yeah. Only wipe every other time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Can I, can I talk about that for a second? I, I told my oh, son, yeah. hang on for one second. When my son was very young, he believed me. I told him that for time, you know, efficiency, I, <laughs> I wipe at, on the first day of the month. I get all my wipes done. I know I counted the number of wipes I need, and I get it all done on the first of the month, so I'm good to go. And he he was really young at the time, and he, he his head tilted up, and he was trying to figure out whether or not I was joking. It was so cute. He's probably a patient of John's <laughs> wife now. <laughs> you know, I, I, I've used the time uh, – you know, to benefit. One is, uh, is I've spent a couple of, uh, I'd say maybe two weeks a week trying to rearrange my socks. That's very good. But I've also learned, I've learned some lessons, and, and, and I'm going to share something, a scientific discovery, and I am telling you that you've never heard this before anywhere. So the people who are listening to the David Feldman podcast are about to learn something that I've learned because of the pandemic, because I've had time to think about it. When you're losing weight, as almost everybody is in this country, we all eat and then we try to lose weight. I get out of the bed in the morning and then almost doesn't matter if it's six o'clock or five o'clock or eight o'clock. And the first thing I do is I weigh myself. Now, here is what I discovered. Go back to bed for and you have to be in bed. You don't have to do anything. You could sleep. You could watch television. And a half an hour later, you weigh yourself. You weigh anywhere from four-tenths to six-tenths of a, of a pound less. Now, is that an important discovery? Isn't that worth a pandemic or two? Absolutely. Speechless. Absolutely. Two men are speechless. Well, I, I, I'll like, tell you my you, discovery. I'll tell you my discovery. John Ross calls me up. He says, I got a great idea. My name is Ross. I'll do an episode with Bert Ross. We'll call it a couple of Rosses. And I've discovered that John Ross's idea was not so good. John, this idea, not a good idea. That's my discovery. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. All right, well, how, you, you said... It was your idea, that it was a brilliant idea. Now that the, the idea sucks, it's all of a sudden his idea. Welcome to the uh, NFL, rookie. Well, uh, this, is the way, to, this is the way comedy rolls, Bert. You, you dabble in comedy, but John and I are professional comedy writers, and when we come up with an idea that doesn't work, we social distance from it. <laughs> it's John's idea. All right. <laughs> Wait, I would love to play back the recording of you for, for the first opening, you know, two minutes, taking credit for this great idea that now sucks. Wonderful. How about uh, this for an idea? Uh, I want to yeah. market, I'm going to market a bumper sticker that says, shit, oh, well, Biden, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> That that oh, is great. great. <laughs> Seriously, Biden, I guess. Shit, exactly. Biden, I guess. I, I like that. That is that's great. How do you? How that do you? Ab- 
How do you sell bumper stickers? I don't know. I don't look. You have a lot of time on your hands. You can you can go and spend another few weeks doing that. I don't think people. I don't think people put bumper stickers on their cars anymore. Because uh, no, you know what they do? They make them into magnets, so you can put it on as a magnet and then take it off. Right. Right. John, uh, you must be happy that uh, Bernie dropped out. You're not a big Bernie fan, right? I'm a very big Bernie fan. I think that um, Biden should pick Bernie as his running mate, and they should uh, build themselves as the Sunshine Boys. (laughs) And duh! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great. (laughs) That's horrific. The Sunshine Boys. You know, mm. have you been watching any of these press conference things? Yes. I'm, I'm waiting for them to start having, like, music stings and <laughs> sound effects and, you know, uh, graphics. And it's, uh, it's quite a show. It's, it's maddening. With Trump, yeah, fat- uh... with Trump fatigue – when I wake up and I start, you know, I turn to the New York Times and everybody's Trump this, Trump that, Trump this. And I'm like almost I, I'm too cool for school now with Trump. Like, I get it. I get it. And that's where the trouble starts when people say, we get it. He's a bad guy. I'm not paying attention. This is when he starts taking away our civil liberties. Are you worried? I believe, Bert Ross, you're a lawyer. I think. Uh, is that correct? Uh, I was a member of the bar for many. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. I was uh, a member of the bar for many years. I never practiced law. Uh, and uh, you can't get me started on Trump. It's, uh, okay. it's, it's, it's actually, I'll, I'll say one thing. You remember when we were much younger, they said that if you took a couple of chimpanzees and they typed, there was such a thing as a typewriter, and they typed long enough that the odds were ultimately they would come up with a, a Shakespearean sonnet. You remember that? I'm not making yes. this up. It yes. was, okay. And I said to my wife, you know, the odds are that if Trump speaks long enough, he is, the odds are overwhelming that at some point he's got to say something truthful and intelligent. And I'm still waiting. Uh, the thing that's frightening about him is not him so much as the fact that people, millions and millions of people, half the country, not only likes him, but adores him. I, I have a number of friends who are Trumpsters. I know that my liberal friends can't understand how I can have a friend who supports Trump, but I have friends who are Methodists and Catholics and everything else. So uh, I'm sitting at dinner and the wife is very, very into social media. She spends a good chunk of her life on uh, social media, and she's very concerned about bestiality. Apparently, people throughout the land are, are fucking goats or something. I don't know. And so we asked her if Trump were found to have uh, committed bestiality, would you still support him? And there was the longest pause. It must have taken literally 10 seconds. And she finally coughed up, probably not. Hmm. Probably not on an issue that she was passionate about. 
Right. And I would like to think that if you took any person whom I admired in politics and asked the same question, I'd say, of course not. But right. there, there, it's a cult. There's no thought process. Uh, we have a, they only, he has inoculated the public so that people only watch Fox News. And if you quote anything from anything else, the New York Times, Washington Post, the public television, it's all fake news. And they believe that. And if you listen to Sean Hannity, who two or three weeks ago called it a Democratic hoax, the virus, and now he says, I never said that, even though it's on the air, the people who are watching him can't remember what he said two weeks ago and realize there's a credibility issue. It's frightening. I watch all these stations to, to, to compare and, and to watch it. Is, it it's, it's, it's horrific anyway. Well, the problem, the problem isn't, as you say, it's not really Trump. It's the fact that one-third of the country is either severely stupid or mentally ill or both. Yeah, uh, it's more than one-third. It's more than one-third. Maybe, yeah, maybe 40%. It's, it's, it's right now it's, you've got half the public who thinks he's doing a great job with, the, with, with, with this pandemic. We well, are going, he always talks about our being number one. We're going to be number one by far. In right. both deaths and cases. Right. And some of that I might attribute to people being scared and, and wishing that he does a good job and feeling like if they say it, it'll be true. I don't know. But Well, at some point you realize when you, when you, when you, when you hear him say every single person can get a test and, and who needs it or who wants it. And you realize all you have to do is be alive and talk to some people and realize that that was bullshit. It's getting close to being true now. It's not quite there. But when he said it, it was, it was just nothing but a pure lie. And uh, his, his attacks on, on members of the press who, who sometimes ask perfectly legitimate questions and he just berates them personally and attacks them personally. And people, people watch that and go, oh, that's okay. I, I've never, I've never. It's frightening. I've gotten to the point where it's so bad that I'm not even mad about any of the things he says or does. It's, it's his hands when he talks and it looks like he's playing a, an invisible miniature accordion in front of him. His hands are going back and forth. Yeah. They go yeah. wide and they go close. They go wide and they go close. And I, I just want to hit him with a shovel. Hey, hey, yeah. he's uh, our president. Gold plate. He's not mine. He's not mine. Well, I went to on. Canada, and I, all I did was go around and apologize. At the, all right. Uh, it's, it's, well, yes, this well, was, you know what? You didn't ask, how about my Seder? You want to know about my Seder? For John, did you have a Seder? No, I'm, I'm afraid I didn't. I did not have a Seder. Bert, well, did you have a Seder? Let's, well, it depends on how you define a Seder. Uh, my goyish wife served Hey, me. hey, hey, hey. My shitza, my shitza, Joan, the love of my life, the mother of my children, my bride of 37 years, served me to fill the fish. And divorce papers. And, and <laughs> <laughs> which, which was more delicious? She <laughs> <laughs> filled the fish. And... With horseradish and then matzo balls. So that was it for last night. I didn't want to have more courses in one night. And then we went to the living room 
and we watched three episodes of Ozarks and ate licorice. That is a wonderful tradition. That was Monsanto. Why is tonight different than all other nights? Yes. <laughs> well, because it's a good story. This is a true story. I was around. I went fishing with my brother and my father in the Finger Lakes. I was about 10 years old, and we had a guide. And the guide said, well, what do you guys want to fish for? And I'm 10 years old. I didn't know. I said, gefilte fish. <laughs> and my father laughed hysterically and explained to me that gefilte fish was not a fish, <laughs> but a combination combination of two. And I remember as a kid when my grandmother lived in the Bronx and I went to the bathroom, I got very frightened because there were some large carp in the bathtub, live carps, which she really made not so live very quickly. No. Wow. Oh, she would buy uh, live chickens at the, uh, at the market. I'm cheap. Yeah. A wet market. From the old world. A wet market. A wet market. Yeah. That can't be healthy That's having live carp in your in your in your bathtub. Not for the carp. <laughs> uh, she got them nice and clean. <laughs> oh yeah. It was a bubble she, bath. She 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 had a bubble bath. Very very now the fish are gonna smell oh. that way. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I've been doing lately? Okay, we got to wrap it up, but yeah. last story. No, I'd rather you wrap it up. No, I want to hear what you've been doing lately. No, I, said, no, I just, okay, just very quickly, I've been, I've been reading a little, you know, everybody's been talking about the end of the earth. And, and, uh, and so I went to, you know, my, my Bible, the Old Testament, the beginning. I looked at Genesis at the beginning. And I was just amazed uh, at what God did. And I'll just give you the summary. Uh, because on the seventh day, God ended his work. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work. And I won't tell you about all his work, but everything in this universe, the sun, the stars, the, the people, the animals, the plants, he created in six days. And what I can't understand what impresses me most about God is he only needed one day to rest for everything he created. I literally did nothing this past week and I need the entire weekend to recuperate. <laughs> that's my, that's it. You know why God got, you know why he got a full day to rest? Because there was no Mrs. God. If there was a Mrs. God on that seventh you day, you don't, have to explain. you don't have to explain that joke. It's funny. <laughs> it's funny. Well, you know, this morning. You know, saying, you know what John's saying to you after this? He says, let's kill this Ross idea. I mean, <laughs> I mean no more. No I'm more gonna get, I'm going to get. I'm going to get the roast master general, Jeff Ross. There you go. We're gonna get the three rises I, I have next to tell week. Something, I have to say, I have to say something to Jeff Ross. By the way, his performance in that prison. Anybody who really appreciates humor has to bow down at his feet, my friend. That is fucking impressive. I performed in a prison. You granted, it was oral sex, but still, I was. <laughs> Did you hear up. what I'm talking about, John? Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. We, we performed. Yeah. Okay. You didn't think that was a, a tour de force? Yes. It oh, was I, no, I didn't. I did. I did not uh, see it. Yes. 
Yeah. All right. How about you, David? Bert, yes, I did. Bert Ross is a columnist for the Malibu Times, and uh, because of him, Jared Kushner got into one of the top schools in the country. We'll talk about that next time. Didn't, didn't you interview J- uh, Jared Kushner for one of the schools? Uh, we're not going there for the eightieth time. You need to have listeners who listen more than one week at a time. They, okay. <laughs> yeah, they, so they don't have to hear that story again. Can I just? Can I? I'm signing off, John. No, I'm. I you, my half hour left. When you mentioned Jared Kushner, it reminds me that one of the things about this Trump administration and comedy, it, it's impossible to make metaphorical jokes because they're already the bad thing that you would compare them to right. in the joke. Like, right. you know, mm. seeing, seeing Jared Kushner riding to your rescue is like seeing Jared Kushner <laughs> riding to your rescue. <laughs> All right, Bert, you sign no, off, nice and I'll finish up you. with John. So Agreed, sir. Be well, guys. Be well. Thanks. John Ross, thank you. How about a hand for the great Bert Ross? <laughs> We're coming to you live from Liberty University, where we don't social distance unless you're gay. Hey, John Ross, we'll wrap it up. Wasn't that, I told you this was going to be a horrible idea, but you go, no, 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 my name is Ross, and his name is Ross. And I said, okay, I'm going to do it because I love you. But it was a, you failed me, buddy. I I apologize for agreeing to come on the show (laughs) to myself. Couple quick questions before you wrap it up. Go ahead. I am doing uh, a Zoom show. Friday night, we're doing a a town oh, hall. Hmm? Yeah, I know. Did you get an invite? Do what? Uh, I I can't promise I'll be around. I mean, yeah, send me an invite. No, I'm asking you. Uh, no, say you didn't get it. Did you get an invite? Oh no, I didn't get an invite. Oh, good, 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 good. You're wow. Invite. All right, John Ross. Uh, I love you. You okay? I'm fine. <laughs> I really am. Uh, yeah. All good. I haven't been outside for three weeks. Well, I've not seen the sunlight. I'm taking vitamin D. I'm so deprived of... Uh, Do you have a window? I overlook a shaft. Not an air shaft. Mr. <laughs> Peterson's... I don't get to see the helmet, just his shaft. And uh, thank, Hey, thank. what are you talking about? Um, okay, let's wrap it up. Follow John Ross, Fun with Friction. Any uh, any charities up there in Deerfield that no. uh, people should no. give to? No, there aren't. Any follow-up jokes about the Finger Lakes? No. Bert, Bert Ross said he went fishing in the Finger Lakes. No. Okay, you, we'll wrap it up. Write your no. own jokes. Okay, John Ross, stay on the line. You're listening to the David Feldman Radio Program, you sad, pathetic hump. Here we go. From New York, from beautiful Bayville on the glorious gold coast of Long Island's North Shore, let's welcome our old friend Jackie, the joke man Martling. For endless jokes, say, Alexa, play Jackie Martling. 
Follow Jackie on Twitter at Jackie Martling. Jokes every day at 4.20 p.m. International Marijuana Time. You want personalized videos? Of course you do. Go to cameo.com forward slash Jackie Martling. Instant fun. Call Jackie's Dirty Joke Line. Use your finger, 516-922-WINE. You want jokes sent to you? Simply email Jackie, jokeland at aol.com. Hello, Jackie. Jackie, what's the porn version of Twitter? <laughs> what? Porn version. Water. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What's black and white and smells? <laughs> what? A nun who shit herself. <laughs> oh, Jackie. Be nice. It's Easter. Be nice. What would you call a Native American terrorist? <laughs> what? A Native American terrorist. Been drinking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, Jackie. Be nice. No. <laughs> So I and his wife decided ten years of being married they're gonna take separate vacations. First time separate vacations. And they get home and the guy says, Honey Honey, I almost did something horrible. And one night at the hotel I I drank and I danced all night with the same girl. All night and we wound up in her room uh, on her bed naked and, and, and I crawled on top of her. But, but honey, before anything could happen I, I I thought about you, and I hopped off her and, and ran back to my room. His wife says, you're lucky. You are on top. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, who was the first Jew to get credit? <laughs> get credit? Extra credit? Who was the first? Hello? Moses, when he was three days old, they floated him alone. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great joke. You know what? We, we've got technical problems. I'm going to, you're, you're breaking up. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to do this. I'm going to keep this, tell one more joke, and we'll wrap it up. I, I can see, it, we can get all these jokes in, but I just see problems. Uh, yeah, no, no, I, I don't want them. I don't want to. It's so hard to find them and collect them. Right. Tell one more <laughs> joke. We're, we're having technical problems, so just tell one more joke, and we'll figure this out. So a guy says, so a guy says to the librarian, "Hey, have you got the new book for men with short penises?" I can't remember the title. She says, "I don't think it's in yet." He says, yeah, that's it. Would you get it for me? <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. I saw that one coming. I like All right. All right. So figure it out. We'll do this again. Okay. Right. I love you guys. Stay on the line for one second. Stay on the line. You're listening to The David Feldman Show. You happy, self-actualized hump.